Hello again, friends. And you are my friends. And welcome to another edition of 605, the super podcast. The only podcast on Turner Time. The Mothership! The best oh. wrestling podcast on the planet. The only wrestling podcast that matters. The most influential wrestling podcast. Call somebody. I am your host, the great Brian Last. It's me! The hardest working man in wrestling podcasts. Yeah! Baby, baby. And I am very happy to welcome back to the show in the co-host chair once again, the humorist himself, popular co-host, Scott Corner. Scott, welcome back to the show. Uh-uh. Thank you very much, Brian. Yes, pull up a chair, listeners, and uh, sit by the fireside with the old wrestling humorist, Scott Corner. <laughs> well, it's a nickname that uh, people have seemed to have taken to. Jim Cornette certainly has. <laughs> yes. My my standing as the wrestling humorist was recently called into question as recently as yesterday morning. <laughs> I know less than legendary wrestling renaissance man Jim Cornette. But I, I did not dub myself the wrestling humorist. That title was thrust upon me. Well. <laughs> by you. <laughs> uh, well, maybe so. But uh, that is yet to be shown. Remember uh, Hunter S. Thompson was once on, once on a Canadian talk show, and they asked him about the story that it's in his famous book, uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72, where he said that Ed Muskie had an addiction to Ibogaine. And they asked <laughs> him about this on the show, and they said, well, you reported that it was true. And he goes, no, I didn't. I reported there was a rumor that Ed Muskie was addicted to Ibogaine. And they said, is that true? He goes, yes, it's true. And I started the rumor. <laughs> so, I mean, he started <laughs> the rumor, then he reported on it, and then it went around. So, I mean, that's... uh. I don't know what that had to do with what you said, but here we are. And uh, this is the first regular episode of the Super Podcast being broadcast from the new Arcadian Vanguard offices. So I apologize if there's any differences in the sound. Hopefully nothing too drastic. But uh, the studio portion of the office will be a work in progress for the foreseeable future. I'm going to keep upgrading and making things better now that I got so much space. So uh, hopefully everything sounds good, though. How does it sound to you, Scott? It sounds very good, and I just want to reassure the listeners that the shitty sound from Cornish Acres here with the passing traffic and che- creaky chairs and things, that'll just continue as normal. Stop the murder on TV. <laughs> it's not my dad! I don't know why I'm throwing that at you for, for no real good reason at all, but... Uh, I'm just throwing it out. You know, in uh, putting together my office, I ran across some things I hadn't seen in a while. I just found one of my Dory Funk Jr. wooden nickels. Remember these? <laughs> Promoting his I- website www.dory slash funk.com slash and uh gunslinger rap right <laughs> he, he actually had in the early days of wrestling on the internet i shouldn't even say the early days but let's say in the mid 90s late 90s he had one of the best websites because yeah he was telling stories he was telling stories he was breaking kayfabe and he was one of the first guys from that era to do that kind of thing it wasn't really a shoot interview it was him writing stories or maybe even marty writing it i don't know but it was dory's stories on dory's site and i don't know i don't haven't checked in a while if that stuff still exists anywhere but his site in the early days was my favorite one i used to go to the library in school during lunchtime i was in high school and i would go on dory funk jr's website and read those stories and print them out wow yeah that was great a early an early blogger Dory Funk Jr. I never thought of it that way, but yes, an early blogger, Dory Funk Jr. You know what else I found? I got here. I recently, I've been picking up things from my collection. I've been finding things. Three wrestling magazines, two of which you never hear anything about. Here's Wrestling Guide. This must be from 78. 
The Grappling mm. Game's Fiercest Feud, and there's a picture of my VM Backlund on the cover. Action is spelled K-I-N-I-S-K-I, Kaniski. Nick Bockwinkle, when you're number three, you try harder. <laughs> Why do the invaders wear masks? And Debbie Combs, not just another pretty face. So that's this one. And then I found, here's Wrestling Today. Bob, ba <laughs> Bob Backlund vows, they'll have to kill me before I give up the belt. Vern Gagne's terrible loss. American wrestlers are the dirtiest, says Toru Tanaka. Abdullah the Butcher should be banned. The Valiants, how many more will they destroy? Peggy Patterson reveals, everybody said I'd never make it in wrestling, and a pin-up poster of The Crusher. And then the, uh, the real winner here is Wrestling Review from November 74. Here are the headlines. It's, it, it looks like a National Enquirer. They're just all over the place. I'm just, I'm just still thinking about all those little girls out there that bought that wrestling magazine and put that dreamy pinup of the crusher on their <laughs> bedroom wall. Well, this magazine here, Wrestling Review, November 74, here are the headlines on the cover. Your favorites of yesteryear, where are they now? Page 64. Are blacks taking over wrestling? <laughs> Discover why the Sheik just had to eat. Yes, he did. Wrestling Review, and there's a bloody sheik eating the magazine. <laughs> Our official survey, The Millionaires of Wrestling. Will Pat Patterson be the man to rid the West Coast of Moondog, Maine? Mm -hmm. NWA, WWWF, AWA ratings on page 58. Kung Fu Wrestlers on page 26. And there's a picture of, uh, I believe, Heather Feather here. These two gal grapplers weigh a quarter of a ton. <laughs> What's it like to be really fat? And that's that letter. I don't know what what's worse there. Are blacks taking over wrestling or what's it like to be really fat? <laughs> Jeez. Excellent. Did you get to watch the Andre special? That kind of happened in the middle of my move, and I got to see it after the fact. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did. It was as good as everyone says it was. I mean, it's never gonna be perfect, but I liked it a lot. I guess as good as everyone's, I don't know. I was disappointed. I, and I know everyone has been raving about it, but yep. I don't know. I kind of thought it was a cop-out. In a way, it kind of just seemed like ah. a puff piece. Just an easy, easy documentary to make with no, like, you know, how do you have Shane McMahon, like, just talking bullshit on the documentary? How do you just have Hogan and Vince McMahon unchecked, just talking bullshit <laughs> about things that aren't true. And the worst of all, and I don't know the guy, he may be a nice guy, but David Shoemaker, who was a, a, ah. and he did a wrestling historian on here, doesn't was, know a fucking thing about anything. That was embarrassing. His performance on there was embarrassing. He literally was just either making shit up or he is completely misinformed about wrestling history. <laughs> so that raises the question, can anyone be a wrestling historian? Is that what it's come to? Anyone can get in the ring? And now anyone can be a wrestling historian? I wonder what that accolade even means. I, it's probably my fault that I've never heard of David Shoemaker. And, uh, I, you know, I guess he's written stuff. But uh, it's just interesting that they would put the focus on him. And, uh, yeah, given the stuff you brought up, I'm already backtracking. The thing stunk. I hated it. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I guess because I, I have a background in documentary films and sure. I love documentary films and I know what they could be and I've seen the other things that Bill yeah. Simmons has done. I guess I had higher expectations. But then again, yeah. it was in conjunction with the WWE. And also 
if David Shoemaker Shoemaker is who they think a wrestling historian is, and he used to work for Bill Simmons, who's actually doing the fact-checking on any of the wrestling information that's used in that documentary? What did you think was especially uh, egregious or or troublesome about the stuff there? I mean, the Hogan stuff is so... Andre touring the country as a heel attraction to go into towns against the top babyface? That never happened. That never happened. What territory did Andre go in as a heel to? <laughs> what territory? No, you'd I- get the friendly Andre interview. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, you'd get the friendly Andre standing yeah. on a milk crate next to Vince stand McMahon. On, stand on this milk crate, please. And uh, <laughs> Oh, is there any wine? Uh, See, I like when Andre goes from the baby face, like, you know, just a... Uh, I wish I could do Dave Drayson actually did a really good Andre impersonation on the Cornette show a couple of weeks ago, but Andre's just from very common. Oh, I'm happy to be here too. Ah, Hulk Hogan. You know, just <laughs> when he becomes a heel, his interviews quickly go off the rails and he gets ridiculous. I, I like him though, but they're ridiculous. I'll say my brother, uh, who's a wrestling fan, but not a diehard wrestling fan uh, that follows everything. He saw it. And because he doesn't watch the current product or watch it or stay up on things, it really was kind of a nostalgia kick for him. And I'll, I'll say that's probably the way I looked at it, too, is just he was watching it going, oh, my God, look, you know, look, look at all these people from my youth. The little parade of, uh, of stuff. I loved the early footage that I had certainly never seen. My take on it, it is it's as good as anything can be and still have Billy Crystal in it. <laughs> well, there you go. He didn't ruin it. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, and so much time of it was focused on the Princess Bride, which, you know, it's a it's a great movie, and it's certainly something he's known for with people who aren't wrestling fans of a certain generation. But it was a movie. <laughs> it was like yeah. one thing, and they had they interviewed the entire cast, seemingly <laughs> of the fucking movie. Yeah, except Christopher Guest, he he somehow had something else to do uh, <laughs> on the day where they filmed it. But I don't know. I guess that's the thing. Like, it, it's nice enough. Uh, if you get past the historical inaccuracies, I mean, Shane McMahon, he's like, well, you know, Andre was working for, uh, you know, just 20 people, 100 people in different towns until my grandfather found them. Yeah, okay. See, does Shane he believe re- that? Has Shane been led to believe all these things and he just wow. doesn't know any better? Or does Shane just lie on behalf of his family because it puts forth the bullshit agenda? That's what I'd like to know. Because he was a good guy. But that's what did, he like really, did he really say that? God, yeah. I must. they yeah. must be... Uh- Something must just numb you when you're watching these things. I don't even recall that. I mean, I I had already heard that that Hogan uh, was was off the rails. That's a totally separate conversation. I'd like to hear you uh, bring that up with Cornette. It, I think he almost talked about it a little when he was talking about the documentary. Why, when Hogan's career reached such heights and is so so big in the history of wrestling and so why does he do? Why does he say the things he does? Why does he feel the need to just make up stories when he's uh when he's talking about somebody when the when the truth is is interesting enough you know it's just it's easy it just rolls off it rolls off the tongue for him hey ask me something I'll be Hulk Hogan ask me something <laughs> well Hulk boy I, I... <laughs> well that's okay that's your voice though <laughs> that's a, what did you think uh, when uh, the NWA was uh, and people like Ric Flair and uh, and so forth. When you were on top in the uh, WWF, uh, their 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 uh, 
<laughs> this segment is going great. This is awful. What are you doing? Just ask me a simple question. I'm Hulk Hogan. Brother, ask me a question. Did you ever wish you could have met up with Ric Flair at the time when you when you were on top in the WWF? Oh, brother, all the time. But, you know, at the time I had a broken back and I was working like 600 days a year. And I was <laughs> just, we were selling out. There were days where we ran Philadelphia and they ran Philadelphia. We drew 50,000. They drew 60,000. And then right around that time I made, uh, th- that was when I made Commando. And then I couldn't do it. So Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> replaced me. I, th- that's just, it's just stream of conscious bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I don't know if anybody else, who else does that? Who else just. Bruce Pritchard. Lou Al. <laughs> We're talking about just making shit up, Bruce Pritchard. Just literally making stuff up off yeah. the top of just Yeah. Whatever fits, you know, the moment. Just, just say it. <laughs> Crowbar those winning impressions in there. and <laughs> <laughs> Hey, did you say uh, Lou Albano? I used to, as much as I love Lou Albano, when he would be interviewed, whether it was Morton Downey or anything else, he just had that sort of switch went off and he would just say whatever he was going to say. And you'd look at it and knowing a little bit about pro wrestling back then, you'd say, I don't think this guy's ever been in a, a locker room. <laughs> it just seemed completely crazy. His, I mean, he was just in character the whole time. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe Hogan just, it's easier for him to be constantly in character. I think it's just easy for him not to think. It's easy for him just to say whatever comes to my mind. I don't have to sit down and think. And you never see Hogan go, oh, geez, let me think about it. I think that was 86, maybe 87. I don't know. No, he'll just say whatever the first thought that comes to mind. I was wrestling Andre and Cheese, and I body slammed him, and I got uh, (laughs) just like that. And that's sad because there's a fascinating story to be told there that you'll never get. Unless you talk to Brutus. Oh, well, that's another matter entirely. But yeah, just that the idea is if you thought, oh boy, if somebody really got down and could, could, could interview Hogan, that's his way of, you know, that's his version of the truth. You'll never get an honest account of, of, from Vince McMahon's uh, perspective. You'll get his version of something. You know, I think that Playboy interview, if you go back, the Playboy interview of Vince McMahon, that's just an example of how You'll just get his side of things, you know, or his version of it that he decides he wants to go with. Look how uncomfortable he was in that in that entree documentary. God damn! Now I have to go back and watch it. You you brought up no. I just I just you know what it is. I thought it was nice enough, but people who were like, "Oh, it was great." It was. I'm like, really? It was great. It was great. Let's do a documentary about Babe Ruth and say he hit a million home runs. (laughs) Why not? I don't know. Again, if you're going to have wrestling historian, there's a lot of wrestling historians out there. I've had a bunch on this show. Go talk to one of the ones that actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Go talk to Scott Teal. You know, not David Shoemaker. Whoever whoever (laughs) the fuck. It's it's weird when when a historian gets whipped out and you're like, I've never heard of this fucking guy. Yeah. And then someone told me he used to write for Bill Simmons' website. I'm like, oh, that's why. I never heard of the fucking guy. He was the wrestling historian for the sports fans who don't really don't know anything about wrestling. But anyway, anyone mm. can be a historian. But there we go. There's uh, the verdict on the Andre documentary. It was all right, but I was disappointed. I was dis- I expect more you- from documentary film. What? Did you know that Andre liked to fart? That oh came as God. a surprise to me. No, I needed that. 
You need that, though. I mean, like in the Babe Ruth documentaries, they have to at some point say, like, he just loved whores and yeah. hot dogs. Why know? not dogs? <laughs> <laughs> like, they have to at some point. You can't tell the story without leaving. And, and obviously, Andre Farting uh, was that. You know who I thought came across great in the documentary? Tim White. I thought Tim White uh, was really good. And shit, they had Dave Meltzer and Pat LaProd in the documentary. <laughs> so when I'm talking about wrestling historians, Right there are two really good wrestling historians. Right. But instead we got this slob on a couch or wherever he was sitting, <laughs> just making shit up. I, I think I, it was a little bit of Hogan there. I'm just going to say, what was it? What does he say? Like, while Andre hurt his ankle, while, while Andre was hurt after Killer Khan, that's when Vince went national. And Andre came back into that. Uh, what? Yeah. yeah. It just sucks that there's not, like, results readily available everywhere. <laughs> online i don't know oh boy it's too much historical accuracy is too much to ask <laughs> oh yeah you imagine if they'd had melts around there that the internet guys would be going out of their minds oh yeah over his every utterance <laughs> he has like dudley level heat that's right dudley level heat dudley that level yes nuclear heat is that nuclear heat dudley level it is. It's nuclear heat if you get in the face of some drunk people that love you and scream obscenities and, and racist comments about their mother and uh, and have Atlas Security flanking you on either side. <laughs> it's very easy to do that, isn't it? That's what some people thought was nuclear heat. <laughs> I dare you to hit me. I dare you to hit me. The guy surrounded by security guards, daring yeah. the guy to hit him. When everyone says the Dudleys had great heat, you know, I've never heard anyone say, boy, I just got to punch that Devon. <laughs> <laughs> One guy had heat because he really was a dickhead. <laughs> and not even much heat. They all loved those guys. They loved the whole act. They had. Uh, no, they had nuclear heat. The Dudleys had uh, nuclear heat. You're not remembering ECW the way I remember it. Nuclear heat. The Dudley boys. What were you going to say about their act? No, I was going to say it was nuclear heat. Let's let we got nuclear heat. Let's cut it off for a second and and uh, let uh, let sign guy and Joe Gertner do their jokes. Then <laughs> <laughs> get back and get Atlas Security out here, and we'll get back to the nuclear heat portion of the program. The heat will commence after the comedy portion of the show. <laughs> I remember when Bubba got a got a singles run in in TNA. I was reading this stuff all over the place. Oh my God, this, this is finally, you know, he's the greatest heel anyone's ever seen. And I said, well, let me turn on TNA and see this nuclear heat that he's got as their top heel champion. He was walking around ringside like he does, getting in people's face with the security on either side. And there were children laughing at him. <laughs> and I went, wow. <laughs> well, you're, 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 you were watching the wrong thing. That was before he became Bully Ray. That was when he was Buddy Ray. The buddy of the kids. <laughs> was he actually, did they call him Buddy Ray? No, no, I just made that up. And now that I'm thinking about it, he's been Bubba Ray, Brother Ray, Bully Ray. The next thing, I mean, he's getting to the point where he's old. He needs to yeah. change his style to, you know, be a little safer. He'll probably be working on some small shows eventually with kids. Buddy Ray. Buddy Ray sounds like his Catskills comedian gimmick. <laughs> buddy Ray Dudley. Buddy Ray, nuclear heat. Was it ever explained why exactly the, you know, I've heard people say this. I've heard Cornette say it. Like I watched WWF and I wondered why would any of these people allow Albano to guide their career? 
Has <laughs> it ever explained why Joel Gertner, shirtless, was representing the Dudleys? Uh, no. <laughs> Just the, they, it was something that that audience in that arena, and then when they took it on the road, that they came to expect the jokes, you know, the, 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 the rhymes, you know. There, there is that side of things where everybody was enamored of Howard Stern, and they were trying to pick on some kind of Howard Stern thing, raunchy humor. It was part of the overall package. <laughs> Buddy Ray. <laughs> oh, that's money. He should do that. Yeah. He can start wearing the glasses again. Does he wear the glasses still? I don't even know. Uh, he wore them at the Hall of Fame. Like the slap shot bullshit glasses? <laughs> Come out with that, hand out that's balloons. Not a, that's not a dated reference. No, no, not at all. He could hand out balloons to the kids, dance around. Remember he used to dance? <laughs> Buddy Ray. And he could own that. Vince doesn't own it. So there you go, a gift for Buddy Ray. There you go. There we go. Well, speaking of nuclear heat, let's get going with the top 10. It's been a while since we've had the top 10 on the show. And let's, uh, <laughs> let's get Buddy Ray in the top 10. Nah, let's not. Let's not say we didn't. <laughs> let's not say we didn't. But you guys okay. know what it means when we're going to talk about the top 10. That means we have to tell you about our friends, the wrestling fans over at Ramsor Records. And let me play some music here. Hold on one second, Scott. Very soothing sounds right here. You are hearing the sounds of the Ruin Brothers, their new single, All My Shades of Blue, which will be coming out on June 1st on Ramsor Records. Of course, you guys know where you can go. You can go to ramsorrecords.kungfustore.com, enter the promo code 605 at checkout, and receive 20% off all purchases. But this right here, the Ruin Brothers, and Dolph Ramsor has been building them up to me for a long, long time. I know Rick Rubin produced the album. I know they have some guests on the album, like Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I know that a lot of people are really raving about their sound. They're comparing them to Roy Orbison and different things. They're like, oh, here's the hook. Listen to the hook. I've been listening to this over and over, so I'm hooked on it now. So I get excited. And now here comes the part where he starts doing the O's. One, two, three, four, five. Boom. See, I know the song. Once again, the Ruin Brothers, Henry and Rupert Stansall. They are the Ruin Brothers. So Ruin is not their name. It's Stansall. But they're the Ruin Brothers. Don't forget that. You know who else is on the album, uh, Scott? Ian McLoggin. Oh, my gosh. Such a fan of his. I saw him. Didn't he die? He did pass away a couple of years ago. I think I saw him about a month before he passed away. What a, what a big fan I was of his. It's absolutely great to hear that he's new release yeah actually uh it's not really known but he said before i die i have to make sure i record this new ruin brothers album Rick Rubin. <laughs> no i kid but he is on this album and uh lots of other people are too and it's really really good i've had an advanced listen once again here's the chorus oh there we go <laughs> i love this song but uh, once again, the Ruin Brothers, the new album on Ramsor Records on June 1st. The album is All My Shades of Blue, and that's also the name of this single that you're hearing right now. You can go check it out on YouTube. You can advance order the album. You can go to The Usual Suspects, iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon. The CD is out June 1st. The LP on vinyl is out on June 22nd. And for more information about all of this, you can go to Ramsor Records. Dot Kung Fu Store 
Bruinbrothers.com. And I also want to make a note, the Bruin Brothers are on tour. They're going to be on May 31st at the Mercury Lounge in New York, New York. On June 1st in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at Milk Boy. On June 2nd at Jamon Java in Vienna, Virginia. And on June 15th, the Mercury Ballroom in Louisville, Kentucky. The Gathering. Also, they'll be playing River Jam at the U.S. National Whitewater Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's a festival show. And wow, did I get the whole song in? Just about. Well, let's stop it now. But there we go. The Ruin Brothers. If it'll ever stop. Oh, here we go. Well, there it is, Scott, the Ruin Brothers. Some good stuff there. I am looking forward to the release of this album. I think everyone's going to really enjoy it. And yeah. uh, with that, it's time for the top 10. You guys know how it works. You can vote for the top 10 at facebook.com slash super podcast. Top 10 voting usually goes up the day after a new show comes out. And it will go at least a few days. So after the show comes out, check in there and you can get your vote heard. But number 10 this week in the top 10. Scott. Who could it be? How does this sound in the new room? I'm not sure who this is. It's been that long. You still don't know. Hmm. Sounding familiar. Maybe you should just tell me. Maybe this will remind you. Scott. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. It's the Black Scorpion. Boy, it really hit my voice hard this week for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. So I give up. Black Scorpion, you are nothing but the bottom of the car chopper. What the fuck was... Is, <laughs> is that one of your uh, effects again? Black Scorpion, you are nothing but the bottom of the car chopper. Black Scorpion is nothing but a bottom of the car chopper. Kiss like rich Black Scorpion. Wait, what? Sucks. I'm done. Are you talking into this or is this prearranged? I'm not a, I'm not at liberty to reveal all my uh, all my tricks. Uh, <laughs> I just bought a new one the other day I'm going to reveal on the Cornette show but he doesn't listen to this so I could reveal it here this is I was in the uh, a deli to get a pastrami sandwich and uh-huh. they had like all these like old retro toys for kids yeah and the prices are ridiculous but I said what the fuck you know it's a sound effect I said what would Scott do they had a little harmonica there and that's what made me think of you I said what would Scott do I said Scott would buy it and then point out how much he paid for it so I said, uh, I'm not going to get the harmonica, but I'll get this. And this is what I got. <laughs> get this train whistle for eight ninety nine. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It's maybe the stupidest spending I've ever done in my life. Wow. This girl sucks. Oh. Imagine that. I didn't hear what he said. It doesn't come across clear. What did he say that you reacted to, Gorilla? <laughs> or Mean Gene. Excuse me. That was your Mean Gene. I think he said, this group sucks. I'm done. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, there's uh, s- certain mother shippers may uh, get a kick out of that uh-huh. comment there. Uh, but the Black Scorpion, number 10 this week in the top 10. 
doesn't seem like we have too much more to go with, with that this week. But uh, number 10. Sorry, really? my voice. How about this? How about this? Try this on. I hope you die in the next 30 minutes. No matter if I can faster down. You fuck son of a bitch. You, I hope you die in the next 30 minutes. You motherfucking bastard, you. Not as good as the original. Not as good as the original. It's clear that I'm overmatched. <laughs> the coldness of the night wraps round me like a blanket tied. It gets inside your seat. All right, that's number ten. The Black Scorpion playing alongside the Ruin Brothers. Catch them on the road <laughs> this summer for their joint shows. But number 10, The Black Scorpion. I heard that the uh, the Black Scorpion is going to do an acoustic set opening for the uh, with the Ruin Brothers. An acoustic set? An acoustic set, yeah, down there at the Mercury Lounge. Get there early. Oh, boy. I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of Mercury Lounge. Even when I used to like going to shows in Lower Manhattan, the Bowery Ballroom, or any of those great clubs that are gone. I was never a Mercury Lounge guy. I passed out there once. Did you? Yes. Who was playing? <laughs> the Figs, a, a band I absolutely love, but I was tired and like, just like today, as some people may have detected, I was fighting a cold and uh, a weird situation where I got kind of caught in Midtown and had a long ride out to my brother's place and uh, happened to walk by the Mercury Lounge just as the figs were going on stage. I thought, Oh God, I love the figs. Let me go in there. And there's actually a couple places in there where you can sit down. And I sat down and fell asleep. And fortunately I was not thrown out. The figs, not the fugs. No, the figs. Not from the shacks. The figs. The figs. They are kind of like a power pop trio. We'll say from uh, Saratoga Springs, New York, the Albany area. Uh, one of the great underrated, unheralded rock and roll bands that are out there today and still playing. I might go see them in two weeks. Oh, there you go. It's always good when you promote them by saying their hometown first. (laughs) But uh, anyway, number 10, the Black Scorpion. Number nine this week in the top 10, Yo Mamba, the Jungle Savage. Yo Mamba, the Jungle Savage. I will tell you more about him later. You know, we got to make a very sad announcement. I'm sure most of you, many of you at least, know, if you were on our Facebook page, you know, friend of the show, Terry Garvin Sims, has passed away. He had been battling uh, various ailments for a little while. I had been in touch with him just a few months ago about coming back on the show. He actually originally was going to be on the anniversary show in November to reveal who Yo Mamba was. And unfortunately, he couldn't do it for health reasons. And I was trying to get him on. I know Travis Heckle talked to him all the time. And I'm going to probably have Travis on to talk a little bit about their friendship. Because Travis is actually going to be a part of something really cool with him that didn't happen. But very sad to say, Terry was always a really nice guy. He was was someone who I messaged back and forth with. And very, very sorry to hear about his passing. Friend of the show. He truly was. Yeah, I was just... Just yesterday, watching a bunch of uh, Continental Wrestling stuff, I wanted to see the early uh, introduction of uh, Terry Sims with uh, Guleen as Beauty and the Beast. I was surprised to see, I guess I hadn't known that part of their history, that 
for a month or two, uh, Sims was in there first, and he had a female partner who was the beast and uh, was immediately uh, set against uh, Adrian Street and Miss Linda. And it built up to a, a big cage match uh, between uh, Beauty and the Beast, the female beast, Adrian Street and Miss Linda. And that was the night that they introduced Mark Goulin as the Beast. Although when he came out there, they said, oh, this is this is his original partner. But I liked uh, Terry's whole thing. I loved the uh, the idea of the uh, sanitized pink mat <laughs> that had to be rolled out before all of his uh, appearances, you know. I'm very generous of Adrian Street to uh, to bring him along in such a strong way uh, early on in his career. I used to watch him when I would come home from school and watch Global on ESPN at 4 o'clock every That's day right. week. And for a while, it was good. I mean, people see the really bad Global, and they forget for a while it was good. Eddie Gilbert was in there as a booker, and that's when Terry Garvin got rid of the name Garvin and became Terry Sims and became a babyface. And I thought it was great stuff. I really enjoyed it. That's that's really the first time I got to know of him. I got to see that stuff before I got to see the stuff where he was doing the gorgeous Jimmy knockoff. Yeah, it's really sad that we lost him so young. Definitely my condolences to all of his fans and his family. Good guy. Very good guy. And I hate to look at it under these terms, but one more person who knew who Yo Mamba was. So... <laughs> The mystery gets a little more mysterious now because one of the few sources who knew who he was, who was ready to do a reveal, is no longer with us. But uh, that's just something funny to look at. Once again, it's real sad to hear about Terry's passing on behalf of the show. Best to his family and his friends. We're all thinking about him. And uh, like I said, we'll have Travis on pretty soon to talk a little bit about him. But that's number nine in the top ten. Yo Mamba the Jungle Savage. Yo Mamba the Jungle Savage. I have a surprise coming for you. You cowardly dog. At number eight this week in the top ten, disappointed Lance Russell. Ah, tell him in Mexican just to get out of here. Any thoughts, Scott? (laughs) No, just that somebody saw, somebody posted a picture of uh, Schultz and Condry with Lance Russell uh, just today or yesterday. And uh, Lance is just rolling his eyes in the, in the biggest way possible and looking directly at Schultz's giant afro while he does. <laughs> Almost in disbelief. That's a different, that's a new character. Disbelief, Lance Russell. I always liked when he was standing next to another baby face and it was a heel or someone there saying something. And he would kind of turn to them and roll his eyes to them. Like, can you believe what <laughs> this guy is saying? Absolute classic. And I can't get over, every time I see him, I can't get over the Baxter suit. That always kills me. Why? Because it just, it strikes me as so damn funny, that line of uh, Lawler's, which unfortunately he, he said to Dave Brown. Lance wasn't even there to react to that that line where he said, oh, Lance Russell couldn't be here today. There was a death in his family. His Baxter suit died. It shined itself to death. <laughs> hey, if Lawler said that joke, that you know what that means? It means Rodney Dangerfield wrote it. <laughs> he actually released a joke book at one point at least oh, one right yeah i'd love to see that yeah no there were so many comedians that would have shot him because it, <laughs> it was everyone else's material Jerry Lawler's joke book. <laughs> yeah jerry lawler's not known for his fresh comedic material he's known for recycling other people's jokes well I he's guess. the carlos mencia a professional wrestler Uh-oh. <laughs> Oh, come on now. <laughs> That'll get Lance Russell disappointed, won't it? Oh. Is the joke book in Lawler's 
cartoon lettering. It's in his joke handwriting. Yeah. The same lettering <laughs> that he wrote that note to the district attorney <laughs> about the, uh, the young woman he was accused of sodomizing, molesting. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but same yeah. handwriting, same, same pleasant handwriting. Yes. Right. Very warm. That's a nasty turn. Well, you know what it is? I've said this before on other shows. I've met Lawler, especially when I was younger and I would meet him. He'd be standing there at a table and he looked so unhappy. And he just looked like he did not want to be there. And he did not want to be talking to you. And then you say, hey, can I get an autograph? And in the warmest possible handwriting, to my pal Brian, your friend, (laughs) Jerry the King Lawler. It's like, really? A smile would have done done a long way, Jerry. But... What do, what do I know? I was 14, but I didn't have 14-year-old girls with me. So, Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I'm bummed. I, I kid. I kid. I kid the kid. I kid. I kid the man on those easily researchable comments. Ah! Well. That's not my dad! That's number eight. Disappointed Lance Russell. I don't want to see you around here anymore. Number seven this week in the top ten. The old lady, Mrs. Spencer. Well, let me play your favorite. Hey, stupid. That one. <laughs> Why is that your favorite? Is it the fact that she's just resigned to, yep, he's on the line again, or is it something else? Yeah, it's just that it's so it's so laid back and casual. It's just something, hey, stupid. You can't even determine what it takes to set her off and how quickly. Because you know it's going to happen within seconds. Just to think that she goes from zero to 80 right after that. Well, for comparison's sake. Hey, stupid. Go to hell, you motherfucking son of a bitch. That's less than 30 seconds later. You know? <laughs> You're a liar and a bastard. Mrs. Spencer, please. Who are you and what do you want? You fuck son of a bitch, you. I hope you die in the next 30 minutes, you motherfucking bastard, you. Wake up, you stupid jackass. Antichrist is the number one. <laughs> Well, there she is, the old lady, Mrs. Spencer. You motherfucker, motherfucker! (laughs) Speaking in tongues, that's very, very powerful. Yes. At number six this week in the top ten, making a debut in the top ten. What? Hiccuping Fabulous Moolah. Oh, my. Now, you may remember this character made an appearance last week, or not last week, but a few weeks back during the top ten. While the Magnificent One was introducing his own personal, wasn't a top ten, it was just a group of wrestlers that he was going to name on his behalf. I forget exactly how it was phrased, but Hiccuping Fabulous Moolah made her debut. and Yeah, potential top ten characters, and this one was definitely the breakout star. Absolutely. You heard that and you said there's no way that they cannot completely go into overkill with this character within a few episodes. Like Like I had an idea for a new character. And uh, I don't think it tracks as well as hiccuping Fabulous Moolah. What was your new character? My new idea was racist coffee shop barista Ken Patera. <laughs> Give me an example. Ah, oh, hey, look at those two jokers over there. I'm going to go kick their ass. No, don't call the cops. I don't give a shit. <laughs> This this may be a breakout character. <laughs> I think I think brevity is the soul of wit in this case. So is that eligible now for the top ten racist barista Ken Patera? 
No, absolutely not. <laughs> Come on. Like I said, I, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step all over uh, hiccuping Fabulous Moolah's top ten debut. I don't think it really tracks all that well. You got the 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 blase. I hate to use blase because people will think of Antichrist when I say blase. Antichrist is the number one. But you got like the blase nature, which is just whatever you said. Like I don't give a shit. <laughs> just, you know, like, Kevin Tara just doesn't seem like he has a worry in the world. I'll kick their asses right out of here. <laughs> well, let's get going. Let's get number six, hiccuping fabulous moolah. Here making her debut this week at number five in the top ten is hiccuping fabulous moolah. She got a big reaction from her previous appearance here on the show. Now she is in the top ten, and I believe she is on the line right now. Hiccuping moolah, are you there? Well, hi, Mister Last. I just. <laughs> I just wanted to say hello to everybody from Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. <laughs> okay. Five Super Universe. Okay, before you hurt yourself and hiccup too much, uh, let's move on here. You've been voted into the top 10. The listeners of the Super Podcast, the 605ers, have reacted spectacularly to you. However, you've been a controversial figure in wrestling just recently. Your legacy has been under fire. And what a legacy it is. You know, just the other day, I was watching Lipstick and Dynamite, of course, a movie that you and Mae Young appeared in, in many ways, crossing over between wrestling and entertainment, I guess, before many others did. Well, of course, of course, you know, we was in plenty of movies before the entire sports entertainment, the entire sports entertainment thing became even a word. We was in, I remember in 1932, we was in Tough Titties with Laurel and Hardy. (laughs) Uh, two years later, 1934, we were in Titty Twister with the Ritz Brothers. See, we were pot- I'm so sorry, Brian. I need to- we was we was in Tiggle Bitties with Miss Shirley Temple in 1940. Okay, 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 okay. Enough, Mulawa. You hit and up. I just wanted to. And by the way, Brian, not one, not one of our girls came away from our camp. And I'm sorry if I get a little excited about this because it's really. Super personal to me, even though we, we didn't use the word super to identify everything back in our day. But our girls were total entertainers, Brian. They could talk. They could sing. They could dance. You got to excuse Benjamin, would you bring me my medicine, please? I'm dying. I'm conducting an interview with the 605 Super. Can you please do something for your money? I'm so sorry. Who are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? That's part of my staff. I have six midgets and two African-American gentlemen. I believe that that's what you're supposed to. Anyway, Brian, I don't know where we're. Every, Every night between myself. Darling Dagmar and my husband, <gasps> these girls were taught to play numerous musical <gasps> instruments, including, <gasps> and not least, the skin flute. Uh, okay, okay. And every night. Mula, enough. <laughs> Mula, I don't know where you're going with this. Well, I am just trying to get my story. <laughs> I am just trying to. Okay. <laughs> I am just trying to clear my. I'm so sorry. Did you drink an entire bottle of champagne? Why are you hiccuping like this? I am so... I am so sorry. Every night, you know that I had the best in nutrition? Did I... Did I ever tell you guys about that on the on the mansion? In the mansion, every night they would have the choice between chicken or tube steak. And the tube... Sta- and the chicken was never available. 
Brad, I have got to go. I don't think I can. I don't think I can withstand any more of this third degree, if you don't mind. All right. Well, there you are at number five in the top ten this week. Hiccuping fabulous Mula. You want to say goodbye to the listeners? Well, I just want to thank all of you for your support for this humble girl from Columbia, South Carolina over these years. And um, thank you very much, Brian, for having me. There it is. What a debut. Number six, Hiccuping Fabulous Mula. Number five this week in the top ten, one of the all-time most popular. People still love him. Orgasmic Larry Nelson. And now the short form. What's the stipulation? Are we having fun, people? Are we having fun, people? That's the question everyone needs to know. Oh, Jesus! Gravity! Gravity! He didn't blink, he didn't fall, he did nothing. Look out, Baron Von Reisky! Don't ah. drink the piss, Jake. Is it pharmaceutical or off the street? I just felt like playing that for no reason. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I will say this, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later on. There have been limited edition items that I've made. I haven't really talked about it and put in with various items for the last year whenever anyone orders merchandise from the Super Podcast. There was a limited edition House of Galeen magnet, never for sale, but it was put into various packages, so a lot of listeners have those. There have been, right now, there's a limited edition Mothership magnet that's actually uh, probably going to be replaced by a different one soon, so this is going to be very limited. And then there are limited edition Kiss Cut stickers that I've made, and the first one, the most limited of them all, because uh, they're no longer available, was the Orgasmic Larry Nelson sticker. So if you got one of those last year when you ordered from the Super Podcast, Perhaps one day amongst a very small group of eccentric fans that could potentially be worth something. Or not. Or it could be nothing. But <laughs> orgasmic Larry Nelson. We had a bunch of uh, great uh, 605ers and mothershippers that were out at Cauliflower Alley Club uh, in Las Vegas this week. And had several people mentioned that uh, certain AWA talent was out there, like Baron Von Raschke, who was honored out there. Al Darusha was out there. Everyone that met them had nothing but fine things to say, but they also all added, oh, I, I forgot to ask about... Yeah, I saw that. Nelson. Everyone, so. yeah, every, I saw that a few <laughs> times. I didn't get a chance to ask him about Larry Nelson. It's the only thing I'd be asking them about. <laughs> what am I going to do, talk about Vern? I want to know about Larry Nelson. Wow. But anyway, number, uh, number five this week in the top ten. Shawn Michaels uh, should have been asked about uh, Larry Nelson. He did Conspicuous by his absence from Shawn Michaels' speech was uh, his chunk on Larry Nelson. He didn't blink, he didn't fall, he did nothing. Well, there you go. Number five in the top ten this week, orgasmic Larry Nelson. Oh, Jesus! Gravity! <laughs> Number four this week in the top ten, a man who remains very popular amongst the 605ers. It is Brother Midnight! Baby, baby! The regulator, innovator, dominator, creator, updater, the imitator, assassinator, baby. I uh, believe Brother Midnight is still having his battle with the government. Uh, I will check back in with him <laughs> via email later on today and see how he's doing. But uh, last, last I heard, he was off the radar temporarily. Oh, my. Why should he be different than anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. We want to get Brother Midnight back on the show. Still want to do some Brother Midnight t-shirts. Hey, we may have to do some Brother Midnight uh, limited edition stickers uh, pretty soon, but we'll see about that. But uh, number four this week, pretty quick, in and out, Brother Midnight. Baby, baby. I don't know why I said it like that either. Brother Midnight. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but, but anyway, that was number four. Number three this week in the top ten, one of the most popular characters, certainly one of my favorites, I'll say that. And that is the handsome boogeyman, not Jimmy Valiant. And uh, we did have an opportunity earlier today to speak to the boogeyman. Let's go to that recording right now. At number three this week in the top ten, the always popular handsome boogeyman, not Jimmy Valiant. I hear the clapping. Boogeyman, welcome Woo! back to the show. Woo! <laughs> That's how long it's been. <laughs> First day Canada. Number three. Number three is me. I just got back from WrestleMania weekend, brother, in New Orleans. Land of dreams. While I was hanging out with my main man, Kid Rock, now a fellow member of the WWE Hall of Fame. I sponsored the man, personally put out the word with Vincent Kennedy Jr. McMahon, you understand? What? And I greased things up so he could slide right into the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame. All right. Well, that's what happened. And when it was not without controversy, that introduction, I'll admit it. The family of James Dudley protested the selection of Kid Rock what? because they said it made a mockery of the Hall of Fame. Oh, come on. <laughs> James course. Dudley's family. Can you believe that shit? Of course, James Dudley was Vince McMahon Sr.'s driver, and that's always been something that people have thrown up there about the legitimacy of the Hall of Fame, the fact that he was one of the early inductees. That's true. Personally, I thought the Kid Rock introduction was much overdue. They should have inducted him back when he still had a rapping midget in his band. Uh, How could you go wrong with a rapping midget, I ask you? Well, well, uh, I'll be that as it may. Yes. Oh, jambalaya and a crowded pie, mumbo jumbo. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's been a long time, brother, since last we spoke, has it not? It's been a while. I thought you had misplaced Not Handsome Boogie's telephone number. You realize I check my answering machine daily. I'm a busy man. I'm very sorry, Boogeyman, but I get busy. Well, did you even realize that I had quit the show and come back in the interim? (laughs) All within these last two months. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I did not realize that, no. So what's new with you? Uh, Not too much. You know, here we are in the top ten. Well, fascinating, brother. Fascinating. (laughs) Well, you're at number three this week in the top ten. Of course, that means you're getting close to the top, getting close to once again being able to challenge for and potentially win the championship. Well, let's get down to brass balls, Brian Lasto. Okay. Who could possibly be in my way? Who are some of the able contenders ahead of Boogie Not Jimmy in this illustrious top ten? Well, we haven't revealed the remainder of the voting in the top ten yet. That will happen during the top ten on the show, which this is a part of. Well, throw some names at me. Hot Dog? <laughs> well, Hot Dog potentially could finish ahead of you, yes. Nice. Well, I'm going to knock that footlong Frank Burter in the dirt. First chance I get. That morning zoo shit ain't funny. It's just not. <laughs> well, we, I agree with you there. The magnificent one. Is he starting to make noise? He's starting to make noise. He potentially. Or as I refer, not refer, as I refer to him, Beach Bum. Beach Bum Morocco and his cast of characters. <laughs> well, Season stems Morocco. That burnout. Okay. Can't compare that a handsome one. Okay. All right. Well, listen, Boogeyman. Hip, hiccuping fantabulous. We <laughs> <laughs> Hiccuping fantabulous moolah. Don't even bring up that old bag. She tried to set up a romantic rendezvous. <coughs> you all right over there? 
There's a lot of pollen up here in Charleston, uh, <laughs> Virginia. Well, who did you, who did Hiccuping Moolah try to set up a rendezvous with? For the not exactly Boogeyman and one of her best girls. And at the last minute, she tries to tell Boogeyman that it was bring your own coffee table. It kind of <laughs> It kind of killed the mood, you understand? No, thank oh, you, man. Yeah, no, well, thank you. That will kill the mood for sure, Boogeyman. But here we are in the top ten. I do have to ask you before we leave, any words, of course, for so many years people remember Handsome Jimmy and Luscious Johnny, the Valiant Brothers. Uh, Anything you want to say about the passing of Luscious Johnny Valiant? I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to tip my bandana to the memory of the late Luscious Johnny, not Valiant. I loved him like a brother, brother. Or so the storyline goes. Uh, Hall of Famer, tag team specialist, manager extraordinaire. And on that microphone, the man was gifted with such a scatterbrained uh, verbal dexterity. (laughs) Even I, your humble and handsome not Jimmy, struggled to decipher uh, what the fuck he was trying to say. (laughs) Brilliant. In short, parlez-vous scramble eggs, my brother, qu'est-ce que c'est? Uh, no comprende, it's a riddle. All right. Well, Boogeyman, uh, as we wrap things up, anything you want to say to the voters, the listeners of the Super Podcast? Before we get to that, I think I'd be even a further remiss, or perhaps remisser. Is that a word, Lasto? Uh, could be. If I didn't mention the end of the most legendary storied feud in squared circle history, the boogie-woogie man, handsome not Jimbo, versus Paul Jones's army. Oh, that's right. I forgot to bring up to you the fact that Paul Jones just passed away. So many people remember for years, seemingly yes. forever, you feuded with Paul Jones. It's over like Rover, the war between us, the only way it could ever be over, uh, when one of us was to drop dead. As my brothers John and Yoko said, the war is over if you want it, Paul Jones. And that is what has happened. I salute you, number one, Paul Jones. Uh did you know that the number one Paul Jones reportedly deflowered a young Janis Joplin? I have heard that. In fact, I heard that on Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Bowery this past week. Talk about cheap thrills. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <Mercy>. okay. <laughs> that was, of course, her, her album with Big Brother and the Holding Company. But, but I digress. Yes. yes. Cover by R. Crumb. Yes. Let's <laughs> Cover by R. Crumb. Yes. He had a brother named Charles. But uh, before you digress and I digress and we digress ourselves into the hole, uh, as, any, anything further you want to say this week, Boogeyman? As regards the top ten, the not handsome Boogie Jimbo is turning over a new leaf, as it were. From this point, henceforth, if Boogie's army can keep voting me into the upper echelon of the top ten, or preferably the top five, then I'll be satisfied. I've beaten all the contenders and pretenders to my throne. I just let them burn out or quit the show or whatnot. As long as I'm in the mix, Brother Lasto, this is all that I ask. And we can talk t-shirt deals and spin-off shows and stickers some other time. Soon to come, Not Handsome's audio book coming on eight-track tape for all you big rig truckers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Woo! Mercy, Daddy. Well, there he is at number three in the top ten, the handsome boogeyman, not Jimmy Valiant. He retains his popularity. Once again, he's near the top. He's at number three, Scott. Any thoughts on this? No, I think he said everything that could possibly be said. I have to ask you, Scott, Luscious Johnny Valiant, do you think he had a lot of fans who actually called him Luscious? (laughs) I certainly hope so. It was written right there in that 
incredible block lettering on the back of his tights. Like I or, hear people talk I'm about Jimmy. People will talk about Jimmy. They'll call him handsome. They'll say handsome, handsome. I don't hear people doing <laughs> that for Johnny. <laughs> I really don't. Are you trying to say the guy wasn't wasn't handsome, but was luscious? <laughs> they really used up their adjectives by the time they got to Gentleman Jerry. <laughs> yeah, really. They, they are a lot more advantageous uh, than Gentleman Jerry, I would think. Yeah. Guy goes from the stomper to the gentleman. Very versatile. <laughs> well, what other options do they have? Handsome Jimmy, luscious Johnny, what could Jerry be? Jealous Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Jealous Jerry. See, that would have been an interesting angle, and he's jealous of the attention his brothers get during promos. There you go. Because no one ever wanted to put a microphone in his face and hear what he had to say. Hmm. Did he say anything as a valiant brother? None that I can recall. He had to. I, I think if Jimmy wasn't there... They had Albano. They had Albano. They had Johnny. Probably not. He has thought. He, that's that's the gentleman part. He had thoughts, but he was too much of a gentleman to... <laughs> Share them with the yeah, world. To speak up, yeah. What a gentleman. Much to his, his uh, something. <laughs> when people <laughs> talk about him to this day, everyone just says gentleman. Right. But Johnny Valiant passed away, as they say, from me to you, parlez-vous scrambled eggs, Grandma. Uh-uh. We'll always miss you. Yes. Well, like I said, number three in the top ten, the handsome boogeyman, not Jimmy Valiant. But, uh, but let's go now to number two in the top ten. The very, very, very popular Hot Dog. And I believe we have a recording that was sent in from the studios of Hot Dog earlier today. Let's go to that recording right now. At number two this week in the top ten, the always popular Hot Dog, or Hot Dog and Last, though, as he has asked me to refer to him, and I believe he is on the line right now. There he is. (laughs) Hot Dog and Last, though. We're back. Back, back in the New York, New Jersey groove. <laughs> We're back, back in the New York, New Jersey groove. Yeah, back from hiatus by popular demand. This last break of ours was longer than WrestleMania, man. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I don't know about that. That was pretty long WrestleMania, but here you are. You're back on the show. That was longer than, yeah, it was longer than Robert Fuller on a tanning bed. I'm okay, talking okay, okay, okay. okay, listen, listen, hot dog. <laughs> Let's not go too far off here. Here you Number are in the top far. one. How far can too far go? Well, too far this week is number two. Number two in the top ten. Yeah, here we are skyrocketing up to number two in the ratings, knocking on the door of that elusive number one spot. Wow. Normally, if you're gone as long as we were, your ratings might take a nosedive, but ours actually went up. Go figure. Maybe I should stay away longer. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, geez, oh, gravity. Well... Hey, Lasto, have you had a chance yeah. to tell our listeners about my new limited edition hot dog sticker? <laughs> I have not. I have not yet. Available now from the 605 prize wall. Oh, I have not yet plugged it. Yes, the new Mothership baseball shirt comes with an exclusive limited yep. edition hot yep. dog sticker. Designed by our our pal, the totally dialed-in fine artiste friend, Travis Heckle. He really captured me, I think. It's a sticker depicting me here in the uh, 605 studios in full color. Man, everyone's going to want a couple of these for their locker or book bag or car window. In full color. In full color. Collect them. Collect them all. Swap them and trade them with your friends. Put them in the spokes of your bicycle. Exactly. Well, I don't know if I'd do that. 
These stickers are collector's items. They're the hottest thing since the Superstar Graham Outer Space Sabertooth Tiger poster. Hey, I still want one of those. I Don't actually... miss out. <laughs> All right, well, Frank, hot dog. Maybe Frank the Collector can lay, lay one of those on us. <laughs> well, hot dog, we're getting a little bit off. Don't miss out. And I think with the purchase of every sticker, uh, the kind people there at uh, Arcadian Vanguard throw in a three-quarter sleeve baseball shirt. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> the other way around. You buy the Where shirt. Where do I get these, you may ask? And it's not three-quarter inch. I learned that uh, after I said it many times last time on the show, and I heard it from people. Three-quarter sleeve baseball-style shirt. And uh, you buy the shirt, you get the sticker, not the other way around. Ah, well. While supplies last, I should add. While supplies last. Hey, Lasto, I'm always getting cards and letters from our loyal listeners who love it when we just blast some tunes on the Mighty 605. (laughs) And I know how you feel about commercials. What do you say, Pally? Why don't we start off a 605 rock block and then go the next 65 minutes completely commercial-free. Yeah! We've already had the Ruin Brothers on the show this week uh, a few times. We've already Ah. had the Black Scorpion and his synthesizer. I think we've had just about about enough music on the Super Podcast this week. It's time for more wrestling talk. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to lead off with uh, one of my favorite tunes, though, Jake the Snake Roberts and his take on the Aretha Franklin classic, Respect. Yeah! (laughs) Oh, I love the part where Jake goes, if I may, R-E-S-P-C-T, drank a bottle of my pee, R-E-S-P-C-T, get ready for D-D-T. <laughs> I am, next time. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that song, uh, Hot Dog. <laughs> That's his cover of Respect. Stick that in your Amazon cart. <laughs> All right, well, hot dog. Um, interest, maybe maybe, we, maybe we'll blast some tunes next time, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're not going to be playing any more tunes on the show this week. But you oh. are at number two. I'm knocking into stuff. Where you are at number two in the top ten. The listeners have voted you that high. Anything you want to say to them? Why should you be higher in the top ten? Number one. Everybody wants to be number one. Can you imagine if we pull a number one in the next ratings book? That would be the best. There's no ratings book. <laughs> the, the listeners vote on who they like. Well, now that Paul Jones is gone, somebody's got to be number one. All right. Well, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. That's a good, that's a good way to look at it. Anything else you have to say this week, Hot Dog? Absolutely not. Can we Hang in there, man. We're going to do... We're going to do a super music special one of these days, man. It'll be the coolest. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. Although, if there's more songs on the Jake the Snake album, I may want to hear some of that. But no, we, we will not be doing a music uh, extravaganza or anything else. But any uh, any final words? I'm taking a look at the clock on the wall. It looks like I don't even have time for final words. Hey, Brian. Yeah, yes. We got to go. There he is at number two, Hot Dog, or Hot Dog and Lasto, as I'm supposed to say. Scott, uh, any uh, any word? You didn't get to listen because uh, you were recording with me, but what did you think uh, of uh, the conversation you didn't get to hear with me and Hot Dog? Oh, God, who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sick of Hot Dog myself. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, no, tremendously, uh, tremendously popular feature on the program. I'm glad that people respond so uh, so favorably to him. You trying to you trying to uh, kill off your own character, similar to Harrison Ford <laughs> as Han Solo? Yeah, I thought 
the second we got sticker merch going, <laughs> I would kill the character. <laughs> Certainly, we've never seen that before in the 605 universe. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that limited edition hot dog sticker, Travis Heckle did a great job on it. That uh, is so cool. It's now one of the three limited edition stickers that are available. Orgasmic Larry is no longer in print. I have a few extra here uh, for me, but every now and then, if someone really wanted one, I could use one as a prize. But those are out of print. Then there's the hot dog one, and one free hot dog sticker comes with every single Mothership baseball shirt. And then we have the Denim Fritz one, and those are going to come with the Mothership t-shirts. So now there's three, and we're going to have a few more probably in the next uh, few months. So stay tuned for that. Yes. At number one this week in the top ten, he's risen up in the ranks, and now he's here, the very popular, magnificent one. And I believe we have a direct connection right now to Sunset Beach, Hawaii. Let's hear from The Magnificent One. Here at number one this week in the top ten is The Magnificent One, a man whose rise in popularity has been noteworthy here on the show, and here he is now at number one. Welcome back to the program, Magnificent One. Aloha, hoy. <laughs> you know what they say out here on, out here on the Big Island. You know what they say. Ikiona ono noho ikanipu. You're not you know even on the big means. island. <laughs> you know what that means. You're not fooling me, Brian Lass. You know, Ikiona ono noho ikanipu. That's a line from my favorite island poet, Sam Likahaini. Okay. <laughs> on the big island of Oahu, on the big beach, the white sand. Sam Likahaini. He's a dream weaver. A dream, it means Ikiona ono noho ikanipu. For you simpletons out there, it means the charming one who dwells in the bowels of hell. I don't know how to break and this to you, Magnificent One, but Oahu is not the big island. <laughs> I was already in main events by the time you got a C-plus in geography. I don't give a fuck about I, it is Ikanika. I am the charming one who dwells in the bowels of hell, the prince of darkness himself. What would you like to know more than that? I dwell in the bowels of hell. Who? Every what a movement! Tell me, tell me what a movement! What a, <laughs> what a movement! What a phenomenal <laughs> movement we have going on! I have got my fans. You do. Not only do I have my crew. Would you like to hear the big names who have been contacting me? Big. Wait, hold on. Big names. Would you who, like to know? Contact I've become what? my domination. I would like to hear the great Brian Last announce. The role, the position, the number, the ranking of the Magnificent One this week on the Super Podcast. Once again, you are number one this week in the top ten. Number one. Too much pressure. Don't even want it. Don't even need it. <laughs> what? Who's number? Who can? No. Uh-uh. Way too much work. All the people. Rolling Stone. MTV. CNBC. Don't need it. Don't want it. Too much. Vote me down. I want to be in the mix, not totally in the mix. Too lazy. Don't want it. Don't need it. Losing my tan. Losing my pump. Okay, losing my look. Okay, okay, don't okay. need it. Got no time for this shit. Okay. Who? Oh, phone blowing up. Land on the big beach. White sands. Toes in the sands. But couldn't be any better looking. Perennial Central State favorite. Labradoodle Bob Brown. Wait, 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 Eternally wait, youthful. Wait, wait, wait. Bob Brown out of the out of Labradoodle Bob Brown contacts me from he the Central States. You. Okay. 
The eternally youthful, unbelievable African American Bart. African American Bart. Whoever thought what? we'd see the day? Instead of we black keep Bart. <laughs> <laughs> we keep it PC here, folks. We're woke. We're woke on the Big Island, on the on the South Shore. Women's sensation, Corduroy McIntyre. Who will ever forget what? Rough Trade, Corduroy McIntyre, women's sensation. Okay. Here's a big on. name you hold people on. are going to love. You, you people are going to pop for this. Everybody knows he's in the news right now, right? Goldberg, right? Right. Lou Goldberg. He spits a different colored mucus at his opponents, which varies according to his dietary restrictions. Okay, hold on. What is this? Because last time you had your own top ten, this time... These are people looking to get in. These are people I didn't even let in yet. These are the people contacting me because everybody else is on the way. Lactose intolerant Bobby Jack. Everybody. Mentally competent Luke Gray. Everybody's on the way. Remember those guys? Sure. To get my back at the 605. But I got more. I got backups that I don't even need. I got, why did I ever leave L.A.? Raul Mata. <laughs> I was a star. I was a star. And now I'm like Don Serrano doing jobs in a fucking curtain track. What's going on here? I'm very talented. I'm Raul Mata. Former Bahama champion, retiree pride. Re- he lives in Florida now. He lives in Florida. Perfectly reasonable Mark Lewin. Nothing wrong with that. Nice to see. It's refreshing. <laughs> Mil Mascaris' broke brother, Un Mascara. <laughs> because that's obviously all he could afford. the masks cost a lot of money in Mexico. Mil Mascaris' destitute brother. <laughs> Only here. Essa Passa Dave Penza. That's right. Essa Passa Dave Penza. <laughs> Was that your and last you know, one? <laughs> no. <laughs> Far from. Although we are running out of material, folks. I don't think you'll be seeing this vein of material no. on the next installment of The Magnificent <laughs> One. But let me just leave you with this. Jewish Jim Cornette. Jewish? What hey, is... motherfucker. Would you get the fuck out of my way and hand me the Hamitashin? <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> Jewish Jim Cornette. Never thought it'd be seen. Paul E. Paul E. Safely. Paul E. Safely. Toy box murderer, Dusty Rose. Well, hold on, hold on. Toy box murderer, Dusty Rose. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what? That's not you even funny. You may wonder what you're doing strapped to that gurney, baby. Well, hold on. What are you about to find out? Will you stop, stop it? That's not And that's funny. all I got for this time. And that's probably the end. Because we can't take no people in the Magnificent Federal. S&M. Dungeon Master. Bob Cottle. What? <laughs> Take a look at my pussy, David. <laughs> oh my can I hear a little more SM Dungeon Master Bob Cottle, please? You might want to tighten up those nipple clamps a little, sugar. <laughs> okay. All right. Magnificent one. Uh, before we wrap things up, and, and before you keep going on with this ridiculous list you have each and every week, but this week, the championship match, Denim Fritz defending against Kevin. And you, of course, get the winner. You're number one. What do you have to say about that? Remember, don't vote for me. But really do. Wink, wink. <laughs> Aloha. There he is, the magnificent one. And, of course, he's at number one of the top ten. That means next time he challenges for the 605 Super Podcast Super Universe Championship against the winner of the matchup between Denim Fritz, the reigning champion, and 
Kevin, the challenger. The votes are in. We've tallied them up. The winner is Avon Eric. No, the winner is Kevin. That's right. He defeated Denim Fritz. He is now the 605 Super Podcast Super Universe Champion, and I believe he's on the line right now. Kevin, uh, I have to step away. Uh, Kevin, will you, start, will you talk to Scott Cornish <laughs> while I uh, walk out of the room to uh, go to the bathroom or maybe make a cake or something? Hey. Kevin, so nice to talk to you. Are you still out in Hawaii? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I'm out here. You think this will bomb as bad as it did last time? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you ever run into the magnificent one in your travels, Don Morocco? Oh, no, I'm on a different island. He's he's by the surf on the north shore of Oahu, and I, I like collecting volcanic ash. I hear it just falls out of the sky like snowflakes. Sometimes it lands in your mouth. It tastes kind of funny. <laughs> hey, Kevin, I have a joke for you. Oh. Uh, I heard you're a big fan of cats. Maybe I've got that wrong. Oh, no. Where'd you hear that? I hate cats. I crush them oh, with my claw. You still want to hear the joke? Yeah. What has four legs and chases cats? A dog. Uh, no. I give up. <laughs> Thank you. Someday, Kevin, we'll have to have a discussion about joke etiquette. <laughs> I do the straight line and you say, I don't know what. I don't know what. Mrs. Katz and her lawyer. I don't get it. Four legs and chases cats. I hate cats. I read somewhere someone said something. Bobby Fulton said I threw a saw blade through a cat's head. I, I'm here to... Uh, let me ask you that. Did you ever throw a saw blade at a cat's head? No. That's very good. I could crush a cat with my claw. Why would I need a saw blade? <laughs> oh, Kevin. I used to crush them with my claw, and then Dave would throw them in the air, and Kerry would shoot them out of the sky. That's outstanding. Say, Kevin, are you going to a luau tonight? Luau <laughs> Have you been following what's happening in the world, Scott, world news? And what are you referring to specifically? The Middle East. Ah, yes, you and your brothers toured off and over in Israel. That's right. Any, mem any memories of those tours? Not a lot of people know this. But my dad was very close with Ariel Sharon, and he was working with, with Yasser Arafat and Ariel Sharon on a Mideast peace deal. And that was right when Gino Hernandez blinded Chris Adams, and he had to rush home. Wow. Can you imagine what the course of history uh, had been had, had uh, Gino and, uh, and Chris not come to such a... You know, another thing a lot of people don't realize, people say Kerry was dumb. Kerry was in the garage with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. He could have been one of the partners in Apple. But people don't talk about that. They want to talk no, about don't. scandal and filth. <laughs> oh. How do we get out of this? I'm getting a little static on the line, Kevin. <laughs> I'm just going to let you go till it may next. Be, it may be that volcanic ash. That could be. Ooh, it tastes real funny. Does it hurt your feet to walk across the uh, the lawn on top of all that volcanic ash with your bare feet? Oh! oh. <laughs> hey, them Ruin Brothers, they're pretty good. Almost as good as the Von Eric Brothers. We recorded some <laughs> albums, too. Really? Did you? <laughs> I understand you went under the name of the Ruined Brothers. <laughs> <laughs>
Kevin. That, that's a good point. Yourself. <laughs> Control yourself, Kevin. Please. I just saw the other day. Hold on. Let me see if I can find this. I just saw the other day on eBay. I was looking for a, a Von Eric themed item, a specific thing that I couldn't find. And I looked at eBay and I saw this and I was just like, oh my God, that's so amazing. Let me Google it. Let me see if it comes up. It's valued at $400. It's being sold for. Hence, I did not purchase this. Oh. It is a Von Erich's WCCW small towel and headband. So it's a little towel. It's a picture of the state of Texas. And it says, this is Von Erich's country. And then it lists the Von Erichs in order. And it gets the biggest name, and then they get proceedingly smaller. It's almost like an eye chart. The top <laughs> line is the biggest, and then it gets to the bottom. I'm going to read you the names in order, okay? Okay. Kerry. Kevin. David. Hmm. King. Chris. Mike. Oh. King? Is King their dog? Nah. Did he not only make this, but he's listed above Chris and Mike? Wow. How do we find that out? Can I Google? Let me see. Von Eric Dog. Because I remember <laughs> there was a story that the Von Erics had a dog in the studio when Chris recorded My Dad Could Whoop Your Dad, right? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Kevin Von Eric on Twitter with a picture of Kerry and a dog. It says that was Kerry's dog, Bo. So Bo is... Kerry's dog, but not the Von Eric family dog. Bo Von Eric <laughs> is not King Von Eric. I assume yeah. King has to be their dog who made the Von Eric towel. <laughs> so, is, yeah. Fritz, is Fritz on the towel? No. Lance is not on the towel. No. Kerry, no, Kevin, David, King, Chris, Mike. I'm not sure I subscribe to that theory that your dog has your last name. I do. Swami last. Swami last. Well, that rolls off the tongue. It was weird <laughs> when I, I had to take Swami to get neutered uh, recently. And it, it it really, it broke my heart, I think, even more than his. I was just like, oh, God, no, no. And when I got him back with the medication, the medication said Swami last. I was like, oh, <laughs> uh -huh. this kind of made the whole thing worth it. What do I know? I've got a whole new scene out here with animals in the new house. Yeah. I move in, and as I'm unloading stuff, a neighbor comes over. She's very nice. She introduces herself. She has a couple kids with her. And she just casually says, oh, yeah, and we have a family of stubborn deer. And I said, what, the ah. what does that mean? And she goes, well, there's like a family. There's like six or seven deer. And they're pretty, you know, they leave you alone. But every now and then they'll stand in front of your car and they just won't move. Said, <laughs> all right. All right. You know, I'll deal with that. And I figure at some point we're going to get bears because there's lots of area for that here. And then... I notice what I assume is a giant fox in the backyard. And this thing is pretty big. So that's why I was confused. I was like, it can't be a fox. I picture a much smaller thing, but it's this big fox. I see at least once a day, sometimes more walking past the backyard in my backyard, right by the basketball court. So I'm thinking, Oh great. The kids will be there. And this fox will come out. I don't know anything about foxes. I've never dealt with this on long Island. We didn't have to deal with any of this shit. So now I'm thinking, like, what do we have to worry about with foxes? I'm already worried about rabies. So right. the mailman, I finally meet the mailman. He comes over, he shakes my hand. He's been getting my mail now for a couple of weeks, so he still doesn't know me. So he comes up to me and he goes, so you're the amazing Brian. 
<laughs> I said, no, no, no. no. That, that was the embarrassing situation of explaining. No, no, I'm not the amazing. I'm the great Brian. I, I apologize. But I'm talking to him and it becomes clear very quickly. He's been in this neighborhood for a very long time. And I explained to him, well, before I even get a chance to explain to him about the fox, he says, would you mind every now and then if I park my car over here and I go in the back and I cut some wood? And I'm, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you're going to cut my trees? He's like, no, when the trees go down, I take some of the wood. I don't know for what. And clearly he had a relationship with other neighbors that he was doing this. So I can't now be the guy who says, no, do not take my downed wood. But I have wow. no use for it. So I said, okay. And then I asked him, I said, okay, we're talking about the backyard. I've seen this giant fox. Is there anything I have to worry about? I have a baby. I have a very small dog. What do I have to be afraid of? And the guy says, oh, I wouldn't be afraid of that fox. He's fully grown. He knows the fox. The fox isn't there. He knows the neighborhood fox. He goes, the fox is fully grown, and he's probably just taking food back to his pups. It's the time of year, and uh, you know they'll be walking around soon. You'll see them. And I'm like, oh, great. And he says, you have nothing to worry about. I said, good. I feel good about that. He goes, but I would keep an eye out for the coyotes. There you go. And I'm thinking, whoa, I didn't expect that. First of all, I've never, I'm not sure exactly what kind of outlaw dog a coyote is. I've heard (laughs) of them. I've seen cartoons of them. I've never been around or near (laughs) seen a coyote, but I call it a fucking coyote. My mailman, because he's out of the fucking wild west, he's cutting wood and he calls it the coyotes. And I'm thinking, no, I can't have anything to worry about. I mean, the coyote, what's he going to do? And the guy points in a general vicinity to the west, or excuse me, to the east, and he goes, oh, yeah, coyote over there. Guy took his dog out. Whoosh. Coyote grabbed it and took off. Oh. And I'm like, what the fuck? And now I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to be building. I was going to build a fence anyway. I'm like, I'm going to be building as big a fence as the town will let me. And he goes, oh, no, that won't do anything. So now I, I'm just not going to leave the office. Wow. Yeah. The coyotes. Yeah, I've, I've lived up here where there's, you know, animals <laughs> roaming around, but they've gotten bolder in recent years. I can only say that. I never, growing up, I never saw a deer, and now I see them constantly everywhere. And foxes I've seen, skunks, certainly possum. And I don't live in a rural area. They're, I don't know what it is. They're becoming uh, certainly less Certainly bolder, <laughs> less skittish. Uh, coyotes is definitely something to uh, to keep abreast of. Here's some advice. If you've got like a big stone wall or a mountain or something like that anywhere near your property, paint uh, a picture of a tunnel. <laughs> and I think the, the coyote problem takes care of itself from there. I'll make sure to construct a big cement wall somewhere <laughs> nearby. So I can do that. But let's get going with the show. People don't want to hear this nonsense. Uh, let me grab a couple things here, Scott, because I want to mention them. Let me, here they are. Okay. I want to mention a few listeners who have sent in some really cool stuff, and I'm very appreciative for it. I mentioned this on the Jim Cornette Experience. Eli McCausland sent me a framed Detroit Body Press card from 1973, autographed by Dr. Jerry Graham. Eli, thank you so much. This is so cool. It will be prominently displayed here in the offices of Arcadian Vanguard in the brand new Last Manor. Thank you. I also want to thank Mark Bowdry, who sent me on vinyl a single 
for, let me actually take it out so I can say, I Broke Wahoo's Leg and the Ballad of Terry Gordy by Sweet G.A. Brown. I don't know if he's supposed to say Georgia or not, just because of the way it's written here. Sanctioned by Opossum Records. I guess that's the name. Wow. Thank you, Mark. And then Jason Freeman sent me a book he just put together, The History of Wrestling. uh, Actually, let me get the exact title. The History of Pro Wrestling in Lenore, North Carolina, Volume 1, 1951 to 1959. Some clippings, results. Very much appreciate this. I got to see wrestling in Lenore in 1995. So Ah. Jason Freeman has this. I don't know if it's something he's selling because he did not say, hey, plug me. He just said, I thought you would enjoy this. And I certainly did. And I'd like him to make some money if he is selling them. So Jason... Get in touch. Let me know if you're selling it. We'll uh, promote it on the show and also on social media. But thank you very much, Jason, for sending this. Mark Bowdry for sending the vinyl single. And, of course, Eli McCausland for the Dr. Jerry Graham autographed Detroit wrestling card. So let me put all these down now. That's awesome. And if I could uh, mention myself, the last time I guessed it on the show, I threw out a joke, mentioned that people should start sending me (laughs) gifts of that nature. And I received... uh, an overwhelmingly wonderful uh, package from Frank the Collector, who we know and love here, a uh, great listener. And he sent me an actual menu, a placemat, and a napkin, all from Ilio DiPaolo's restaurant. Wow, in that's awesome. Very much appreciated. And uh, I've all I've been to Buffalo a couple of times in my life, never have made it out to Ilio DiPaolo's yet, but I... That's definitely a plan for the future. Just reading the menu uh, had, me, uh, had me all worked up, but uh, thanks very much to Frank the Collector. Is it still there? Is Ilio DePaolo's restaurant still there? Absolutely. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. He died a while back, didn't he? It was quite a while ago, and I don't know exactly when. All right. Well, once again, death brings the show to a crawl. <laughs> Uh, let's move on here. We mentioned, you heard us earlier, the new mothership three quarter sleeve baseball shirt. I have to say, this is the best item we've ever put out. I saw this and I was over the moon, how good it came out. It's the first shirt we've ever made that I immediately ripped one out of the box and put it on. It's so cool. Thank you to everyone who pre-ordered it. All those orders have shipped. And thank you to everyone who is in the process of ordering them. Several have come in just today. So thank you very much. Every order. For the Mothership three-quarter sleeve baseball shirt comes with an exclusive limited edition hot dog kiss butt sticker. So you can get that. But I also want to make a note. We have a very, very limited amount for the Mothership three-quarter sleeve shirt, the baseball style shirt. And for the 605 logo shirt, a limited amount have been ordered by popular demand in the size of small. Several women have asked if we could have a smaller size for them. So now the 605 logo shirt and the Mothership baseball shirt both have an option in small. So if you've been waiting for that, jump on it now. Tinyurl.com slash superpod store to get that. And, uh, you know, we have mentioned several deaths here, Scott, and uh, I guess we do have to mention a few more. I have not had time to do any segments on them. It's something I'm going to look into, but Mrs. Baba. The wife of Giant Baba passed away, and she has a pretty interesting place in wrestling history, so I'm going to look to do something about her on the show. Also, Universo Dos Mil, one of the brothers with Cien Caras and Mascara Año Dos Mil, just passed away. We're going to look to see what we could do about him, and we'll have a little bit about Paul Jones coming up 
in a little while. In fact, we'll have it coming up right now with Front Row Section D with John Hitchcock returning. Of course, you guys have heard John telling these hysterical stories about him causing chaos at ringside at various wrestling events in Greensboro and sometimes on the road. And we're going to begin today's segment talking a little bit about when Dusty Rhodes returned to WCW in 1991 to be the booker. And there's John causing problems. And we're also going to talk about Paul Jones. You know, so many people, when Paul Jones died, focus on his career as a manager. I wanted to talk about him as a wrestler. And John was there in Greensboro the night for the 1975 U.S. title tournament. And Paul Jones, of course, was in the finals and would be someone in that mix for the U.S. title for many years to come. Let's now go to Front Row Section D with John Hitchcock. It's time for another installment in what has become a very popular segment here on the Super Podcast, Front Row Section D with John Hitchcock. And Hitch, I know you're here, and today we're going to talk about something that isn't really the usual kind of mid-Atlantic shenanigans. We're going to talk about the famous U.S. title tournament in 1975, but before we get there, I have to ask you about something else. On the Mothership page recently, someone posted a picture from, I believe, Super Brawl in 1991, and it was a picture in, I, I want to say it was in Florida. And yeah, first night, Dusty Rhodes is back after he leaves the WWF. He's back as the booker for WCW. And there, right behind him, I see a giant sign that says front row section D on tour. What's the That's story? Right, baby. <laughs> What's the story about you guys being on tour? We decided that, uh, you know, since we were on television, like all the mid Atlantic shows, we're always sitting in the same place. We've always got signs. We're always in coats and ties. You know, I, I used to have a straw hat, but then I went to the uh, Parts Unknown hat to advertise my store. I thought somebody it would might get me some business if that wasn't a bunch of hooey. I don't know what was. But anyway, <laughs> but we went we went a lot of places. You know, we went uh, we went to the Meadowlands to see Flair win the title back in, in that horrific snowstorm up in New Jersey from Sting. And we did Florida a couple of times, and um, I think Casey O'Connor once took the sign to uh, Tennessee and held it up. But um, our good buddies down there in Florida, uh, Jeff Bowdrin and Dave Flaherty and uh, Ron Lemieux and a few of those guys, caught, you know, got us, you know, front row seats. And we were like, "Oh, this is great! You know, this is this is where we need to be, front row. You know, we're in the end zone." And it was one of those fluky things where all our friends were knew that we had we had flown down to Florida for this thing, and and I, they just got finished saying, "I wonder if we're going to see you know Hitch and Bruce and, and everybody there." And in the opening shot, there's Dusty Rhodes and in it Shivani, and they're they're starting, and we're right behind them, right behind them. <laughs> it it couldn't have been any more interesting. And, uh, and of course, the, everybody fell out laughing because they couldn't believe that the guys from Greensboro happened to be in the right place, right time, a total fluke. And Dusty ignored the whole thing. He didn't even look back there. But, but Oban was hammering the shit out of him, which Oban <laughs> always would do. He'd say, hey, Dusty, we went all the way to Florida just to make sure you know you still suck. You know, and he was like, hey. And, 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 and they just ignored us. But it was uh, – that was also um, – Missy Hyatt came out and Bowden started doing the uh, the blowjob sign with his hand, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't do it. I mean, I didn't do it. But you know, I was a marked man. I mean, they didn't. They they knew I was the sign guy. That I was a troublemaker, whatever. And uh, Bowden started doing that like crazy. And it's on. It's on the film. You can see yeah. it big as life. <laughs> and um, here comes Doug Dillinger, who had a you know had a hate on for us. 
And and he comes walking up. He goes, hey, you, the guy with the beard, you're out of here. And I was like, Doug, what I do? He goes, I saw you, you Missy Hyatt, you're doing the blowjob thing. You're out of here. That's obscene. You got to get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, Doug, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I did, I came all the way from Greensboro. I, I'm not, you know, we're not doing shit. You know, I mean, come on. He's like, and he goes, well, if you do anything else. And I was like, we dodged that one. Of course, I was, if I would have seen the, the screen, I would have said, Jeff Bowden's the one who did it. <laughs> and you should take him out and beat him. You should beat his ass because he's always trying to cause trouble. I'm a peacemaker here, but they, at least they let us go. But I thought, I thought they were going to throw me out. It just started. I think that was also the night of, uh, God, that was so funny. Of Oz, remember the first time Oz came out? Yeah. And they had Kevin Sullivan uh, dressed up like a wizard with a monkey, <laughs> and and it had the had the yellow brick road back there, and and Oz comes walking out, which is you know Kevin Nash. He's walking out wearing this rubber mask, and the whole crowd is like going, "Oh man, this is kind of kind of odd." And they kept having this person going, "Welcome to Oz, welcome to Oz, welcome to Oz," and you know that had uh, Jim Hurd written all over it, right? So anyway, uh, so so funny. It's like they get in the ring, and he goes, "Here's Oz." And and Nash walks up, gets into the ring. He's got that big robe and that rubber mask off on, and then he takes the rubber mask off, and everybody in the arena sees it's you know it's Nash, right? And there was a kid that was about 12 years old sitting right down from us, and the kid just just looks at his mother and goes, "That's not Oz. That's one of those stupid master blasters." <laughs> and, I, and I was like, "From the mouth of babes, right here." <laughs> The kid called you on it, you big dummies. They used to do stuff that you you shake your head, but that was that Florida was always a lot of fun. I mean, Florida was always a scream. And uh, one day, one day we'll get into the 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 match. You, you got to bring up. I can't do it now because we've got this U.S. thing. But we went to a match, matches independent show the night before at a shuffleboard court, and we tore the place down. I mean, it was just incredible. The front row really. Just stirred it up like nobody's business. So, I have to anyway. ask you though, you know, watching wrestling now, I don't know how much you do watch, but I'm sure you see something every now and then. Oh, I see, I watch. Well, what do you think though when you see the fact that the fans are just sitting there on their hands, where no one's really giving it to the wrestlers, no one's really seeming to really lose themselves in the show. Everyone's just sitting on their hands watching. I don't like the fact that the the a the wrestlers the wrestling fans today seem to be programmed. When they play the music, they know the chants, and then they sit there. It's it's almost like it's the Pavlov dog, you know. They, you know, oh, this is the guy we're supposed to go. You suck, you know. Like you know, I mean, it. You know, we that would never go over, you know, around, or, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s. It just wouldn't. Um, you go, oh, it's that guy, you know, that's cool. But you wouldn't do these mechanical reactions, which is kind of weird. Um, and then you know the other thing, let's face it, you know, why they have a bunch of people writing speeches for the wrestlers to say. And, um, you know, I, I got fortunate enough to sit at one of the Charlotte get-togethers. I got to talk to Arn Anderson for about half an hour. And as you well know, Arn's one of my heroes, if not my hero. So anyway, yeah. uh, I was talking to Arn. I said, Arn, I said, damn, Arn. I said, I really can't, I can't believe that you guys aren't, you know, these guys can't cut a promo. I mean, what, you know, I mean, I said, you know, the magic of Arn Anderson is Arn would take one kernel of truth and he would expand on it and get people mad and i'm you know and they would get they want to kill him and he goes well that was my job to get them angry to make them come to the show he said I, what do you what? and i said yeah but nowadays a heel will cut a will cut a promo that's been written for him but they leave the open the opening at the end 
for the baby face to make him look stupid or to make it, you know, to make him look awkward. And that's not the way, way it's supposed to be. And, um, and Arn just said, he said, he said, John, we only have between 30 and 45 days to teach these people the most basic match. He said, if we had to actually teach these people how to do an interview, we'd never get rid of. And I'm like, well, you need to get better. Immediately, I just went, you need to get better people. You know, quit, yeah. quit trying to go for bodybuilders. Quit trying to go for pretty boys. I mean, try to find people that have different body styles. I mean, you know, I mean, Abdul the Butcher worked for a long time. He was a big fat guy, but he sure did scare the shit out of everybody. I mean, think um, of every big name you could think of. Dusty, Murdoch, Adonis, guys who were bigger guys. They never would have been mm-hmm. signed today. Well, you know, if you can talk and you have charisma, at least they would listen to them, I guess. But but you, you should not have one writer write or a group of writers write the same stuff for every single guy. But then that just makes them all sound like they all make them all sound shitty. You know, you, you got to go ahead and say, I want to see your personality. You know, Cena's a guy. I always compare Cena to Sting. You know what I mean? It's like he can do what he can do. He's competent in what he can do. He's not the greatest wrestler in the world, but he knows what he can do. He delivers what you want him to do, and then that's it. He's he's not Flair, you know. He's not Terry Funk. He's not Tully Blanchard or Bobby Eaton. I mean, guys that were just geniuses, you know. I mean, and you know, and the last little bit of Cena, he's actually breaking character and just starting to let people have it. You remember when he humiliated Reigns, and Reigns had no comeback. He sat there and started laughing because Cena was cutting him to bits, and he thought it was funny. You would never get. You would never do that. If 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 a, a babyface started cutting you to bits, you'd knock the shit out of him with a tire or something, or you or you you come you'd fire back and go after him over his personal life. There's a lot of it there. You know, his wife's on that diva show, and you could you could rip him on that shit. So anyway, I I don't know. There's a lot of things today that don't make any sense, and and and, and the, you know the sad thing, Brian, is as time goes on, the subtleties of professional wrestling gets farther and farther away. And I'll give you I'll give you the classic example. If you remember when Bill Watts would come out of retirement and he would he would grab somebody like Dennis Condry or Bobby Eaton and he hit him with a punch, he would hit him and those guys would fly all over the place. But then what did Watts do? He'd shake his hand because he hurt his hand because he hit him so hard. You know, he hit him so fucking hard that he hurt his own hand. And that stuff, you know, makes so much sense on a psych, you know, the psychological edge of it, because you know the guy sold it. He, the reason why he sold it like that is because he hit him so hard, he hurt his own hand. You know, it, there, there's just something there. And then the fans go, "Damn, he must really hit hard." I mean, Jesus, look how he knocked him over, and he hurt him. You know, it. it but that stuff's gone. And 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 the stuff nowadays, you know, with the clothes, the thing that drives me nuts is the clothesline. Because back when I used to watch wrestling, if somebody hit you with a clothesline, the mass superstar, you know, the flying clothesline, or, you know, Barry Windham did the flying clothesline, Stan Hansen, Jesus Christ, you know, he would kill people. They wouldn't get up from that shit. And now they clothesline them and they pop up and down like Pop-Tarts all over the place. The women are the worst. The women pop up from clothesline, 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 clothesline. They just keep popping up. And I'm like, you got, you got a, a neck to stack of dimes and you're popping up like nothing's happening. I mean, do a monkey flip, do an arm bar, do, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, don't turn the, the clothesline in, you know, the clothesline's illegal in football, right? I mean, you can't clothesline the shit out of somebody in, in the NFL. That's right. So I, I, I sit there and watch and I'm like falling out over the, over little things that just are, do not make sense. And they, they, you know, I mean, 
Remember when the with the wrestling used to do the uh, flying head scissors, and they used to do the monkey flip, and then they used to work the you know the beginning of the match was always working a hold because you're trying to you know you're trying to work over you're trying to you know get a weakness on the guy so you work on one body part kind of thing. That stuff's gone. I mean, it's just totally gone, and it sucks because it's the most powerful thing you got because you can keep a guy's career going for a long time if you don't kill him every single night and have him jump off the top of a tractor trailer or some crazy damn thing. Which you know, another example. And, and we'll get to the tournament, but you remember when Ricky Morton was pile-driven by a macho man in, in Memphis? Of course. And he went through that table. Everybody talked about that shit for years because, A, it was the first time we ever saw anybody do it and on um, you know, television. And, B, Morton was off television for, what, two, three weeks? Came back with a neck brace on? I mean, they sold that they killed him. And now they they drop people through tables like cordwood you know what i mean it's like bam bam and nobody sells it they continue the match yeah okay that's great you know i i I don't there's a lot of things that don't make any sense and then that's and that stuff drives me crazy i watch it now and i just go god that's not a finisher You, you you fell off the top rope you went through the table and you landed on your head on concrete and you get up and wrestle another 20 minutes are you insane you take that bump that's you're risking your life i mean that's it that's the match you finished Anyway, you hit the right subject, brother. <laughs> you got wound up. Well, John, let's talk about when things made a little more sense. And of course, let's go back to <laughs> 1975, which is a big year for Mid-Atlantic Wrestling for a number of reasons. And before we get to this specific show, the November 9th, 1975 U.S. title tournament, a really big night in wrestling mm-hmm. history, especially in the Carolinas. What do you remember about the arrival of the U.S. championship earlier that year in Mid-Atlantic? When race brought it in? Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, everybody knew who Harley Race was. Everybody knew that he was legitimate, a real, one of the toughest guys in the world. I mean, because we'd already seen him. You know, we we're getting ready to see him square off against Valentine. And, you know, I told – I already did that whole thing on Jeff Bowdrin's podcast for you folks. And, and um, the U.S. belt was such a big, big deal because, you know, I think the in the legend that Race just – they gave Race the belt, had him come in from Florida. I remember he had blonde hair. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. And he came to the ring to kind of make people, you know, they called him handsome Harley Race, which made people think, okay, he's a bad guy. He's a conceited guy. Yeah. And then Johnny Valentine, we'd already watched basically fillet people for the last, you know, year or two, just crushing people and just beating the shit out of them. So anyway, uh, it was, the, you know, it was it was kind of weird because the fans started to cheer Valentine as he, as he walked in. And uh, Valentine was not somebody to pass up any opportunity to get any kind of reaction. And he stood at the steps and he turned around and he looked around and paused and looked around because people were cheering him because he was like, okay, you're our guy. This is a guy coming from Florida. And so they had two matches. Uh, that was the first time that U.S. title ever changed. I changed hands and uh, in Valentine wins the title. And it went like 58 minutes or something. It was incredible. I mean, you know, it, they just basically killed each other. Then they went to headlocks and, um, and, and kind of worked the holes in the middle of the show and uh, of the match. And then at the, at the last 10 minutes, they just unleashed hell on each other with suplexes and forearms and elbow smashes. And, you know, those, that incredible Johnny Valentine forearm where he grabbed the guy and push him over the top, uh, put, lean him over the rope. And then he throw that forearm and he, he swung it like a, like a pendulum. There's no other way to describe it, but he would just hit him and he would hit him so hard. You could hear it in the upper deck. I mean, it was incredible how hard he pit people. And what was so funny is it was like, it wasn't a legal move, you know. It wasn't something the referee go, "Hey, you hit him with a fist." No, nah, I hit him with my forearm, and um, 
Seamus does it now, but trust me, it's, that's that's romper room shit compared to Valentine. <laughs> anyway, so they already set up, you know, the the big feud. Uh, you know, they had a Valentine wins the title, and I mean the place was rock. And I remember sitting outside with a couple of my friends after the match, going, "There's a there's a there's a shift in power in the NWA." Because they had the title change, a big title like that changed hands. That was the touring title in Greensboro. So Greensboro is getting some power away away from you know St. Louis or whatever. So anyway, we kind of we sit there and think about this shit, which shows we didn't have a life. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then they had a rematch that went over fifty five minutes, and Valentine maintained the title, and then they set up the big feud with with um, you know Dusty being sacrificed, you know after the second match, and then. You know, I already talked about this with Bowden. I don't want to relive all that. Right, but, right, but right, it, right. But anyway, they had they had Valentine set up the Valentine Wahoo feud, and uh, they sold out every everywhere they went. And uh, I I, ever, I don't know if I ever told you, but I got to meet Wahoo once, and uh, I had a bunch of posters, and I asked if he'd sign them, and he was like, "Yeah, sure." And I said, "Well, let me ask you something, Wahoo. Do you uh do you have any of these uh you have any of these posters? Do you have anything like that? Do you remember being something?" He goes, "No, nah, we were always on the road." He said, "We didn't save anything. We didn't even think like that." So I had a poster that was uh, him versus Valentine and uh, and Wahoo versus um, Jack Briscoe, you know, main event Greensboro, right? And I said, which one do you want? And Wahoo said, uh, Wahoo said, I'll take Valentine. Everybody always asks me about him. And so I said, well, look, I'm giving you this poster, and you know it's pretty valuable, right? And he goes, yeah, I guess. And I said, look, you can have it, but just answer, you know, tell me the truth. No bullshit. You know, tell me the truth. What was the deal? Okay. What was the deal between you two guys? I mean, you guys killed each other. Every night, you killed each other. And then Wahoo, I watched it. I was there. You know what I'm saying? And, and Wahoo goes, well, let me, let me tell you. He said, I got my break in Florida, and then I got my big run in, in, um, in Texas. And it, the first big match I had was against Valentine. And he said, I think Valentine probably just hated football players. And he just beat my ass and uh, just gave me nothing and was trying to chase me off. I mean, he, that, that's the way Wahoo looked at it. He said he was trying. He said, but, you know, he said, hey, this is what I want. This is going to be my profession. And he said, so the next match we had, I decided to fight back. And he said, and if I didn't fight back, he'd kill me. He said, because, and I said, I said, God almighty. He goes, yeah. He said, he beat my ass every single night. Race once told me, he said, if you saw a match with me and John Valentine, you really saw something. Because this was a test of manhood, a total test of manhood every time you climbed in the ring with the guy. Because he would kill you. He would just, he would just, you know, he was just so stiff. He was so legit. And I said, I said, Wahoo said, I finally got tired of him kicking my ass. And I left Texas and I went up to the Mid-Atlantic and who was there but Valentine. And he went, oh shit, we got to go through this again. And I said, I said, Wahoo, I said, you guys just, I'm telling you, Brian, there's no way to describe how hard they hit each other. I mean, there's nothing that compares to it. Maybe a little bit when Flair and Ronnie Garvin went at each other and started slapping each other. I mean, kind of like that, but it was just the best way to describe it is just thicker and louder. But anyway, they really went at it. And I asked why, I said, you know, what's the deal? And he goes, he said, one time, John, I got so mad at Valentine because he was whipping my ass. He said, I decided I was going to kill him. And I hauled off and I hit that son of a bitch as hard as I could possibly hit him. He said, I tried to take his head off. He said, and I hit him and he took three steps sideways and the eyes rolled back up into his head. And then suddenly he got this look on his face of murder, and then he really hit me. And he said he looked at, at Valentine's arms, and there were chili bumps running up and down his arms after he hit him. And he goes, I'm not going to say it was sexual, you know, but he said, he said, but I'll tell you this, the contact and turn that guy on. 
And he said, and every time we got in the ring, it was like that every time because he was, you know, he was legit. And if you weren't ready to go, he, he was going to eat you up. He was just going to kill you. And that's just the way it was. So there's your backdrop. And so here's the famous plane crash. You know, Tim Woods and, and yeah. David Crockett, yeah. Johnny Valentine, Ric Flair. October 4th, 75. Yeah. And so, you know, everybody knows it. Everybody remembers it. So, you know, they're, they're right in the middle of this, this big thing. Well, hold Valentine on. If, if, if you don't mind me interrupting you right here, I, I want to no. know your story. When did you first hear about the plane crash? It was everywhere. It was in, it was in our newspaper. Uh, it was on the front page. It was it was newspaper. It wasn't radio. It was newspaper. And um, the only other thing that got more coverage than that is when Magnum went down in that 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 car wreck. Huh. Now the Magnum car wreck in Greensboro was front page news for a couple of days. Just incredible. But you know when when I heard that I was I was really heartbroken because this guy was. You know, the, George, the famous thing George Scott would always do is he'd, he'd bring him in. He'd be, the, he'd be the toughest guy in the world. The fans would really get into it, and they hate him. And then eventually he would turn him face. Right. And then he'd be a bigger star because he'd earned everybody's respect as being the toughest guy in the world. So, yeah, it was in the newspaper. I was, it, was, uh, it was covered, you know. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was, it was, a, it was a big deal. And, um, you know, they did the old thing saying it was Tim Wooden instead of Tim Woods, which right. kind of fooled a lot of it did fool you, you know. You're like, well, that's kind of weird. Anyway, um, sorry about the little popping on my end, but I'm I'm on a landline, so you got to take with what you got. What you got is what you got. <laughs> so they had the tournament, you know. They had the tournament, and uh, listen to these names, okay? Rufus R. Jones, Steve Strong, Terry Funk, Red Bastine, Blackjack Mulligan, Kim Patera, Boris Malenko, Dusty Rhodes, Superstar Billy Graham, Wahoo McDaniel, Harley Race, Tiger Conway. Paul Jones, Ole Anderson, Johnny Weaver, and Gene Anderson. Wow. They all were wrestling that night. Now, Ray Stevens was supposed to be there, and Weaver took his spot. Do you know why? Um, Do you know what happened? Uh, it was just travel problem. I, I, that's what they said. It was a travel issue. Now, the thing I remember about going that night is that crowd was hot and sold out, not a seat to be had. And they put bleachers, they put these giant bleachers in the end zones that were huge, big metal bleachers. And, uh, and they, they set the record on the Eastern Seaboard for years and years. And um, the Crockett took a picture of that end zone shot, and it was hanging in his office until the day they closed. I think Paul Jones got that picture, and I think probably George South got it off of him. But it's incredible to see because these bleachers, I mean, if you look at it now, you say, there's no way anybody get on those bleachers. But it, people give anything to get in there. Because they knew they were going to see the best wrestlers in the world. I mean, they really, this was like a, an event. I mean, a big deal. And there's a, there's a point of contention. I remember Johnny Valentine being there in a wheelchair and, in a, and, and with a body cast and doing a short interview saying that he, he had a bad break, but he was going to come back. If there was any way anybody come back, he'd come back and he, he wanted to be there. Now, other people claim that didn't happen. But I remember him being there and giving a small speech, and everybody went, holy smokes, if anybody can come back, it's him. Of course, you know, sadly, he, uh, he never did. But I remember that clear as day. And I've talked to a few guys that were there, Dave Ruth and uh, Wayne Brower, and, and they were like, they don't remember it. But for some reason, I do. And we'll throw it out to your listeners if any of them were there or could remember it. But I don't remember everything about this show. But I'll tell you the things that I do remember the most is first off, Red Bastine and Terry Funk was a great match. Bastine was a real professional, real quick, real strong. 
I mean, he could go, and Terry Funk and him had a terrific match. Rufus fought Steve Strong. Rufus winning was kind of a shock. Um, we were kind of like, we didn't he kind of like the middle of the card comedy relief guy, but <laughs> what the hell. Um, Blackjack Mulligan versus Patera. Blackjack won, and that may have been one of the first matches Blackjack actually wrestled in the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, I was going to say, that's when they brought him in was after the plane crash, right? That's when George yeah. Scott said, leave the WWF and come here. That's right, and he was there, and uh, and he was, of course, you know, there was no bigger star in the Mid-Atlantic than that guy. Boris Malenko versus Dusty. Now, I'm a Boris Malenko fanatic. I love that guy. I thought he was one of the most talented heels I ever saw. And I was very fortunate because I got cable television in like 1970, and we got to see Florida. And they did it at a two-hour clip where you see last week's show and this week's show. And he was he was near the end, kind of near towards the end of his run as as a single. But he was terrific, and what a great interview, and what a what a tough guy. I mean, Boris Malenko was incredible. The fact that Dusty beat Morris Malenko was kind of a shock because I was such a Malenko fan. But you know, Dusty was you know well, Dusty was Dusty anyway. But I love Boris Malenko. I I remember like it was yesterday. He had a uh, he had a Malenko's army, and he was with. Uh, Sergeant Jacques Delay and Dick Murdoch, and those guys dominated Florida. I mean, for about six months or more, they beat the hell out of everybody. And then they did the angle on television where they had like um, the Briscoes and I forgot who else against Malenko and um, Sergeant Jacques and, uh, and Murdoch. And they turned on Malenko and left him in the ring and let the, let the Briscoes beat the shit out of him. And uh, I think Bob Roop was probably in that match, too. Was a, he was still a babyface then. But they beat the shit out of him and left him laying and wouldn't tag out. Then they went over there and said, you think you're a big deal? And Jacques Allais was terrific and a uh, terrific wrestler. And, and Dick Murdoch could do anything. You know, he may have had the big belly, but boy, could that guy go. And, they, and then at the end of the show, Malenko came out and challenged him and said he was going to get him. And they went. And that was a big-time feud. And then that was one of the last big feuds he had. And then he got, they kind of blackmailed him out of, out of Florida. But I was a big Malenko guy. But I remember being upset that, that Malenko lost. Anyway, uh, obviously Terry Funk beats Rufus, and obviously um, they had Blackjack and Dusty. That, I don't remember that match very clearly, but Tim Woods ran in with a cast and hit Blackjack in the head so Dusty could win. The superstar Billy Graham uh, Wong McDaniel match was a good match, except, you know, I think, I don't know how you feel about it, but superstar Billy Graham, I was such a big fan of him because of his interviews. I thought he was just original and crisp and funny. And, you know, Hogan built his career on stealing his shit. But every time I saw Superstar Billy Graham in the ring, he wasn't, he, he'd have mail it in. He never did anything. And uh, they put him they against did, Wahoo, did, of all people. Yeah, well, they did, they did the spot where uh, his big finish was the swing and neck, you know, full Nelson. And he put Wahoo in the full Nelson, and Wahoo, like, kicked off the turnbuckle and then fell back and then pinned Graham. And uh, and I was kind of like, well, you know, you know, I was expecting a lot more out of Graham. I thought, because you know, you watch him all the time when he was in WWF and he was the champ, you know, so you expected a lot. But you know, I, I could go on and on about how some of these guys with the reputations they get to Mid Atlantic and you suddenly realize, well, they're good, but they're not that good because Mid Atlantic had the best wrestlers in the world. You know, I mean, incredible. The match with Harley Race and Tiger Conway, I'll never forget that because Harley Race beat Tiger Conway's ass. I mean, that was one of the stiffest things. And what I remember the most about it is he slammed he, he slammed Tiger Conway in the corner, and he went off the top rope with the headbutt. First time I ever saw that. And when he hit Tiger Conway, it sounded like two bowling balls hitting each other from about 30 feet up. I mean, it made a noise that was sickening. And then Race just pinned him. And they stretchered Conway and took him out on the stretcher. 
And I'm like, holy shit, you know, this is this is going to be something. Was that Harley's first night back in Greensboro or Mid-Atlantic since he had lost the U.S. title to Valentine? In I would guess. I would guess. Yeah, yeah I would guess. Uh, but after seeing him fight Valentine, we all knew how what a big deal he was, right? So, you know, the, the, the last couple of matches, Paul Jones and Ole, I thought Ole would kill him, but then Paul Jones won. And then Weaver and Gene Anderson went time limit draw, and then they the officials gave it to Weaver. In case you're wondering, the judges, Fritz Von Erich, Joe Mernick, Les Thatcher, Wally Dusick, and a guy named Augie Wild. I don't remember Augie Wild, but I remember the rest of them. But they had a they had a five judges, and they gave the uh, they awarded the match to Johnny Weaver. Then Weaver fought Paul Jones. Well, that's no big shock to think Paul Jones could beat Weaver. And um, then they had the match with. Uh, Wahoo versus Race. And uh, that match was as stiff as you could imagine. Wahoo uh, loses the match to Race. Then Wahoo throws him out of the ring, grabs a chair, and just chairs the shit out of, Har- out of Harley. And Harley juiced, and blood went flying. And uh, Wahoo hit him with a couple of chair shots, bumped the referee, hit him with a chair. And then, then stormed out, you know, the old Indian temper, I guess is what they would have said. But that was pretty brutal because it was right in front of us. We were sitting about, I don't know, about 15, 16 rows up in the orange chairs. I mean, we, we had good seats. We could see everything. And then uh, then it came down to Race versus Paul Jones. And on the other side, you had Dusty versus Terry Funk. They would have intermissions during this time for just a break. And for some reason, Terry Funk was exercising in one of, behind one of the bleachers in the end zone. And uh, dumbass John, that's me went up and asked him for an autograph, and he started screaming at me. He said, can't you see? I'm getting ready for a match. What's wrong? Please grab And I started crying, man. He broke me down because I was I loved Terry Funk, and he, he, like, made me cry, man. He broke me. I swear to God, I've never had a guy that big screaming in my face with spit flying and everything and acting like I was a moron and calling the police to drag my ass away. And I was like, I'm sorry. And then, of course, my buddy Harry Nicholas runs over to the other side of the ring, and guess what he gets? Autographs from Ole and Gene Anderson, you know. <laughs> he gets autographs from everybody, and I'm getting screamed at by, by Terry Funk. Well, anyway, uh, Paul Jones versus Race. You know, Race goes out, and he's got his head all taped up. So, you know, he's going out there injured, and uh, Paul Jones hit him with a like a Thez Press kind of thing and got the win. And uh, from a fan point of view, Paul Jones was always been – you know, a tag wrestler. You know, he was with Tex McKenzie, and he was with uh, Nelson Royal, and he was with, uh, you know, he was always a tag guy. So for a tag, but I guess they decided that since Paul Jones was a local guy, they wanted to see if he could possibly make a run as a single. That's the only way I ever figured it. So Paul Jones beats Race, and Funk beats Dusty. Uh, Terry Funk beats Dusty. And then um, and then they did the old fake finish with Terry Funk, where, where Paul Jones had him pinned. And I still remember the judges yelling and screaming at the referee. And then Terry Funk won, which another big shock. I mean, Terry Funk didn't wrestle in Mid-Atlantic a whole lot, and yet he goes to the Greensboro Coliseum and wins the title. So we all figured there's big plans for Terry Funk because, you know, he always had a reputation of being kind of a wild guy. You give him the U.S. belt, you let him run for a few months and see, you know, how he does meeting his dates, you know, drawing crowds, you know, all that stuff. And uh, and then they were testing him to see if he was ready for the NWA title. That's the way I always figured it. I'm sure the old timers will say, "Ah, Hitchcock's full of shit." Well, you, no, but uh, but you there's listeners, something there. You listeners know that I am full of shit. Okay, so don't <laughs> don't you know? Now you know. 
No, but well, anyway, you know, the that's idea, what... you know, you brought it up earlier that Greensboro was now on the map. You know, for so many years, the Missouri State title was kind of seen as a stepping stone to the NWA title. And it's really this period of time where you have Harley coming in as a champion. And Florida. But really, I think it's the Missouri because of Sam Mushnick. And that's being mm-hmm. the, the center hold of the NWA. But with the advent of the U.S. title, you really see the U.S. title in many ways become that stepping stone. Terry Funk gets it less than two months before he wins the NWA title. Flair gets it mm-hmm. before he wins the NWA title. Harley has it. You know, although he had already had his first short title reign, he wouldn't have his another his next one until after Terry Funk. So really, the U.S. title really becomes in many ways the premier secondary title to the world championship in the NWA. So, you know, that was that was it was it was one of those nights, though, the crowd was I, I still remember the place was was I bet it was like 80 or 90 degrees in that place because there were so many people and everybody was so fired up. And uh, and so what happened was, of course, they like like you just mentioned, Brian, they bring a uh, funk back to defend the U.S. belt against Paul Jones. And don't get me wrong. I love Paul Jones, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Part of it is because his interviews for a period of time when he was a manager was the most overdone things you ever saw in your life. <laughs> And yet they were great, you know. I mean, they were great. I mean, he would fume and and all this stuff, and I just start. I go, man, this guy's funny as hell. But you know, you got to get it over somehow. Anyway, uh, so they had he wins the title, the U.S. title, and then Funk goes on to win the world title. And you know, you piece this stuff together as you kind of go along. God knows you couldn't ask Bill after Mags. They you never learned anything with that. But anyway, good pictures though. Um, and so uh, they had the first match with Paul Jones defending the U.S. title when the main event was against the ever-popular Angelo King Kong Mosca. You know, I will say this for Angelo Mosca Sr. You know, he was a pretty formidable-looking guy, and he threw a great elbow punch kind of thing. But he'll forever be hated in the Mid-Atlantic because he brought his son to the Mid-Atlantic, and there was never anybody worse than that guy. Mosca well, Jr.? No. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God. He was he – was, he was, we called him the, the, the brow. He had one big eyebrow. <laughs> We didn't like him. He was he sucked, and uh, well, I should not say he. They're worse, you know. There's worse guys than him, but no, he was horrible. Um, though. You could say it. He was horrible. Well, what happened? What happened was kind of funny. Is so they put Paul Jones in the main event against Mosca, and they went from a crowd of of like sixteen or like I said, they put up those bleachers. They probably had sixteen to seventeen thousand people in Greensboro, and the next main event with Paul Jones as the title holder defending against Mosca was like. 8,700. It just dropped like a rock. And we all looked at each other and said, Paul Jones ain't keeping that bill. It's not. It's, he's not drawing. And real quick, you know, he loses the belt. Probably was Blackjack. But, but anyway, he loses the belt, and, uh, and he goes into the, the series with Steamboat, right, where he's tagging with Steamboat, which, you know, what a godsend that would be to, to have, you know, they, they were terrific. So, um, no, but I don't want everybody to think that I think Paul Jones stinks because I don't. I love Paul Jones. I think, you know, I, I, I always thought that, you know, he was the, he's like the consummate professional guy who, who could do anything and was, and was just terrific. So, And it's really interesting the way they set things up because, of course, Terry beats Paul to win the tournament. And then Paul beats Terry to win the title back. And then when Terry wins the NWA championship and he comes to Greensboro, I think his first two defenses were against Paul Jones. It was perfectly set up. Yeah, and um, you know, because Paul Jones at that time you know, used the Indian Deathlock, which was uh, which was a really excruciating hold. You can ask my little brother; I used to slap that shit on him all the time. <laughs> I, I, no wonder the kid, no wonder my brother doesn't talk to me anymore. I think not, the Japanese belly hold was the one that he hated the worst. We always put the claw on people. But um, yeah, it was really an amazing night, and 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 the and like I said, there was never a hotter crowd. I mean, I mean, everybody was on their seats, and and the Crocus did a great job of. 
of handing out program booklets with the with an extra sheet of paper in it that had a list of what the matches were going to be, and everybody had pencils and stuff, and were writing it down as it happened. I mean, it was really cool. I mean, it's um, you know, once again, you know, the, the attention to detail on that thing was brilliant and it set up a lot of stuff you know it brought in blackjack and it kind of it was it was just it was just one of those really really cool nights i've always been a big fan of tournaments because of that but most tournaments aren't all that great but that one sure was i mean it was one of those nights incredible there it is front row section d making a triumphant return to the program talking about paul jones and of course dusty Rhodes. but before we move on scott Paul Jones, you any any thoughts about Paul Jones here? Yeah, I think that uh, in the last couple of weeks, even coming on the heels of the passing of Bruno and and so many other greats, it's important to sit and uh, and uh, remember about the contributions of someone like Paul Jones. And I think a lot of people, rightfully so, point out what a, an amazing career he had, how many great matches and major titles that he won. But I think it's important that we don't forget the ridiculous side of Paul Jones. <laughs> well, he was one of the most ridiculous I, I, I managers. Every way. <laughs> yeah. He was a ridiculous manager, and he had one of the most ridiculous stables. I think we could say that. Yes. <laughs> you talk about potential characters, uh, neo-Nazi manager Paul Jones. <laughs> well, I don't know. I wouldn't consider him a neo-Nazi because he didn't have a shaved head. No, that's true. Just Nazi Nazi. <laughs> but even people that love him who telling that story that he had a full mustache and then we had the military again and he kept shaving away and then mustache until somebody said, Oh no, we're we're not gonna go there. Just shave the whole damn thing. I think it was Dusty. <laughs> Dusty was yeah. the model of restraint in this case. <laughs> uh, but I met Paul Jones uh Oh, boy. Over 10 years ago at Cauliflower Alley in Las Vegas. And he was very, very nice. Uh, good to meet. I got a nice picture taken with him. Uh, there was something about it when I asked for a, when I was talking to him, that I asked for a picture. I, I don't know if Bruce Swayze was standing nearby, but he kept saying, well, Bruce Swayze tells me to take a picture with you. I'll take a picture with you. What are you we got to ask Bruce Swayze. <laughs> I'm Bruce Swayze. Beautiful Bruce Swayze. So he must have been nearby he was cutting up for some uh <laughs> unknown reason but I, if, I i don't recall meeting Bruce, beautiful bruce swayze but i did meet uh number one paul jones and uh uh thank you and so long to number one paul jones do you have a favorite version of his really bad stable <laughs> it's well as, as a valiant fan I, i'm trying to think who was in his stable <laughs> during, during the never-ending war with <laughs> with uh with a uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant. It's hard for me to imagine. I, I, I of course, I focus on the, one of the most obscure members of his stable ever, Mighty Wilbur. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's my favorite. Uh, I, I loved that story that he had this big, lovable uh, lug <laughs> in his stable. And the guy was just so down home country and sweet. He didn't have it in him to be a, a terrible, nasty heel. And, and he hung the, uh, the memorable name Puddinhead <laughs> on Paul Jones. It's just something that still cracks me up about that. What a, what a weird dynamic that you have. Essentially, a, a babyface wrestler that's making you look, trying to make you look funny and lovable. <laughs> There's actually his reaction to that over-the-top uh, anger at that was uh, was very, very funny. And I want to throw in that uh, that had a far-reaching influence to, to the point where uh, – 
friend of the show, Dan Leonard, down in Australia, says that he still calls his children Puddinhead to this day. Because of that, or it's an Australian expression? I'm going to go with because of that. <laughs> I'm going to get Australian historian Ed Locke on the show to yeah. find out about the history of Puddinhead as an expression <laughs> in Australia. It's actually As Jim Barnett who brought Puddinhead over to Australia in 1965. <laughs> well, what better uh what better segment to move on to from this hilarity than a <laughs> conversation about the Pacific Northwest. And this is one of our popular roundtable segments with Kurt Brown, aka Vandal Drummond, and Jerry Gray, the golden boy. And at the top of this, we want to remind everyone, Jerry is battling stage four cancer. Every little bit we can do to help him really does help him. He's depleted his funds. If you enjoy what you're about to hear and you want to help a brother out, you can go to tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. That's the GoFundMe page for Jerry Gray. All of the money goes directly to Jerry. It goes right into his account. And he's actually been able to use the money that has come in so far to help pay for his medical bills. So if you yeah. enjoy this, help out. Once again, tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. And with that said, get ready for over an hour of craziness. Here's Vandal Drummond and Jerry Gray talking the Pacific Northwest, the Owens, and so much more. We're back with another of our popular Super Podcast Roundtable segments, and this one may be the rowdiest one, I think, because we have two uh, notorious tours on the line with us right now. Of course, first is a man notorious to the 605ers from way back. He, of course, is famous for this. The 605 can stress anybody else. Okay, all right. As well as, of course, <laughs> this. Yeah! And that is my friend and yours, Lucky Pierre, Vandal Drummond, Rockin' Jerry Brown, and a list of names I don't wish to say here at the top of the show. My friend and yours, Kurt Brown. You mean you don't want to say the abortionist? You don't want to say venereal Drummond? You don't want to say baby bitch? Come on. Hare Krishna. <laughs> and oh. the, the other uh, part of the round table, over here on the other side of the table, uh, we're going to discuss Portland wrestling and Pacific Northwest wrestling here this week, is a man you know as the Golden Boy. But you also may remember him for this. Don't drink the piss, Jake. Or perhaps this. <laughs> is it pharmaceutical or off the street? And that is my friend and yours, the golden boy, Jerry Gray. Welcome back to the Super Podcast, Jerry. Yes, sir. Not golden showers, golden boy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink the piss, Jake. <laughs> well, uh, a little bit about the genesis of this segment. I saw you two, I think it was on our Mothership Facebook group, Having a discussion in a thread, it just started, I think maybe it was a Portland clip, and you guys started going back and forth, and I said, you know, I've talked to Kurt a little bit about Portland, and I know I've talked to Jerry a little bit about it. I mean, last week we had the uh, the whole Tom Pritchard, Mondo Guerrero, milk, acid, ring rat extravaganza. <laughs> I won't go any further because Kurt has not heard that yet. I don't want to play spoiler oh, here. God. But I wanted to get you guys together because I know the time periods don't necessarily overlap, but it's almost as if it's one right after the other. I know Kurt was there first, and Jerry, you were there after Kurt had already left, but you guys were wrestling fans, and you grew up knowing about Pacific Northwest Wrestling and hearing about some of the guys who were up there, like Moondog Main and Stan Stasiak and Dutch Savage. So I want to talk to you about your experiences with Pacific Northwest Wrestling with the Owens brothers. Can't forget them. And 
I guess if I have you both here, we got to talk a little bit of Dr. Jerry Graham as well. And why don't we start there? And I guess we always have to start any discussion about the doctor with Kurt. Kurt, uh, this is the roundtable. I'm going to let you take the lead here and you and Jerry discuss the good doctor. Absolutely. Uh, mm. Well, you, as I understand, you met Dr. Jerry Graham just once, right? Yeah, I wish I, wish I would have got the hung around. I think he might have lived in California then. They flew him in from probably California. It was 82, I think. Was he out there then? Uh, yeah, you know what? He, I think he left for, was this in Florida? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember he uh, left for an indie promotion. and Yeah. Uh, he, he was planning on staying holed up in Florida for a while, and then he just kind of uh, uh, wound up back in L.A. And I, I never knew was uh, – did the yeah. promotion fold or the promotion sake uh, – go back to California, Doc, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think the promotion ever got going, but he, he worked one. He wrestled, actually, on the TV thing they did, TV taping. But um, yeah, I'm sure you have a was lot more stories. Was the promotion I wish that I had Pac-Man? Uh, that was Tony Marino, right? Wait, no, he what? Wasn't. Oh, that was Tony Marino. Okay. Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. Did you say Pac-Man or Batman? There was there was a wrestler called Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, wait, he was and... Pac-Man too. Wait, wait, hold Tony on, Marino. hold on. Tony Marino was the bullshit Batman in Pittsburgh, and then later on, yep. when he was older, he was Pac-Man. Yep. Come Florida. on, I love it. What, what, is, <laughs> what, what is Pac-Man the wrestler? Yeah. What what are his attributes? Uh, I didn't get to see it, but I just heard he it. He gobbles him. you up, sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember because it was in some of the fan sheets, and I remember uh, a lot of the wrestlers, even though they denied it, would always look at the fan sheets if uh, my friends and I had some. And, th- and the talk of the town for about three weeks was, what the hell is this Pac-Man? So these are people no. who never saw Argentina wrestling, so. Except for Ed Moretti, God bless him. Oh yeah, is he still around, Ed Moretti, or did he? Yeah, he's uh, up in Northern California. He knows his wife Dale, oh, okay. who've been together since the late seventies. You know, yeah, one of those wrestling marriages. That... Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. No, he, was he was one of the nicest not... guys that I met. I met him oh, through yeah. uh, uh, when he used to wrestle for Antone the Ripper Leone, and oh yeah. I think I think he was the first he, he was the first guy who actually encouraged me to try to get in the gym and you know get in the ring. Yeah, very few Antoine people Le- took me seriously on that. <laughs> yeah, didn't Jerry Graham commentate for uh, the Ripper too? Some of the TV commentating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where I met him. He commentated for I think two TV tapings, and on one of the TV yeah. tapings, somebody slapped on the sleeper, and he says. I'd just like to point out that that is the same hold that the LAPD has murdered 15 people with, <laughs> and they'll murder another 15 if the citizens don't stand oh, up. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he was, I don't know which stories are true, but I think most of the stories are true with him. You know, Dory Funk told me a lot of stories about Jerry Graham, but um, when he used to get arrested, he'd tell him his name was Richard Hertz, Big Richard Hertz, Big Dick Hertz. <laughs> Big Dick Hertz, yes. Yeah, that's it. Sure, when I was, the first couple of months I knew him, yeah, he got he got arrested using the the name Big Dick Hertz. And uh, <laughs> these particular cops, I guess, had a sense of humor because uh, when he uh, was checked out of the Who Scout the next morning, he went to <laughs> claim his stuff. And they said, yeah, I'm Jerry Graham. And they're saying, well, we don't have anything for Jerry Graham. We have something for somebody named Richard Hertz. 
And I would have loved to have been there because I could just picture this puzzle look on his face like, what, what? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah I did that big dick thing again. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and then he was uh, mad. No, I just, I just, I, what's that? I said one oh, time I say, before I met the doc, I heard a couple <laughs> were melting yeah, each other. Oh, hey, yeah. you guys, hold on, hold on. I'm going to take the lead here because you guys, uh, by the way, meltering each other. Kurt Brown said that, not anyone else here. I just yeah, want to point that? out who said that. But I, I, I credit that to Alfredo Esparza because he used to crack up how Dave Meltzer and the guests used to talk over each other a lot. And Brian Alvarez <laughs> would scream, hold it. Well, <laughs> oh, really? let's hold it here for a second. Jerry, what were you saying? Um, I was saying Dusty Rhodes, when he first started, Jerry Graham was his manager for a little while. And then uh, I don't know if you ever heard the one where Jerry Graham uh, puts a pill in Dusty's mouth when he's selling. And he said, swallow it. He never heard this. Yeah. And then Dusty said, what is that? And he said, nobody knows. Nobody knows. (laughs) 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 I know exactly how he I know exactly how he said it, too. He said, nobody knows. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's how he'd oh, always God. say it. He'd, he'd put a finger up and Did stare he? at us and, and say, but nobody knows what I just told you. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's probably what he said. No. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's pretty wild that yeah, you two guys have never spoken before, and yet you have like little keys no. that fit into the locks of the story. You know, because yeah. like, everything matches up so far that you guys have talked about. Yeah. Not that either of you. Before I met the doc, I honestly thought that the stories I heard were like, you know, great exaggerations. And the first, the first night I rode home with him, uh, I've told this story before, before Bakersfield, you know, it's like late at night and he says, Oh, let's stop at the liquor store. I want to get a couple of beers. And (laughs) he came out with a couple of beers, a couple of bottles of liquor, a few bottles of wine and, uh, dozen or so of cigars he stole from the uh, liquor store. <laughs> and I saw him oh do his Jek- Jekyll and Hyde the very first night. <laughs> <laughs> did Dusty say what was in the pill? <laughs> no, no, that's what I said. I don't. He never did drugs, so he probably never did know what it was. I didn't hear the end <laughs> of the story, but he, just the way he talks, you know, Dusty, it was funny, just his voice alone saying, what is this? And Jerry Graham, <laughs> like you said, nobody knows. <laughs> Oh, God. That's funny. Dory had a lot of good stories about him, Dory Funk, but I can't remember a lot of them. One of them was when he oh, worked out Amarillo. Amarillo. Um, he was a manager, I guess, then, too, and they told him they needed to get a different suit. It was white, I guess. And then what he did was he died in the hotel room, in the bathtub. <laughs> but I guess yes, he I heard about in the that. Suit. Did you? Okay. He stayed he in the suit and bathed in it. Yeah. yeah, and he was blue everywhere. Everybody's car was turning blue and all this stuff. Precursors of the blue meanie. That was true because uh, Dory Funk told that one. He doesn't exaggerate. So. <laughs> yep. Crazy. Yeah, the, the one that always surprises me that people exaggerate about is the the whole story that's been documented about him taking his mother's body out of the hospital oh, is yeah. strange enough. But yeah. I've met so many people who are not content. They they make up an extra extra yeah. wing to the story. Like he took the body fishing, or he was trying to bury oh, it in a vacant lot three miles away. And I'm yeah, <laughs> stupid. 
It was in the newspaper. Yeah. Somebody posted. Was that you that posted that? Somebody did a while back. I remember. Yeah, somebody <laughs> else did, but I remember I, I yeah. heard the story. I heard the story, but yeah. I didn't have it confirmed until about 20 years ago. Tom Burke yeah. was the first person I know who got a, a an actual newspaper copy yeah. of it and sent it to me. <laughs> yeah, jeez. I don't know if that's true either about him being related to uh, Billy Graham. Is that true? The yeah, of I, Billy Graham? yeah, I do have my doubts on that one. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was like, yeah, come on. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, there's his, enough his, truth. His mom was pretty uh, politically active, so there might be some truth to the Barry Goldwater having some involvement in this Cub Scout troop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most of the stuff's true. I think they just might exaggerate a little bit, but it doesn't need to be exaggerated, really. Let's yeah. <laughs> Did he ever work in Portland? That's what I was wondering. I think he think... might have briefly. I don't know much detail. He liked Don Owen a every... lot. I think he was everywhere one time or the other. Oh, yeah. He'd been around so, so I... long, you know. I remember at one of the Cauliflower Alleys about six or seven years ago, uh, Princess Jasmine was there, and he always would talk glowingly of her. And so, you know, the majority of people, he says, oh, yeah, they are okay, but, that, you know, I, I wish they were six feet under. <laughs> but So whenever he talked glowingly about somebody, I love to go up to them and just say, hey, Doc, love you. And she yeah. says, she says, oh, Dr. Jerry Graham, we did a tour for Johnny Starr. Oh, God, where was it? Nigeria or something. I'm probably wrong on the geographical location, but yeah. she said uh, she had just finished the match, and I guess there was really no security there. And she said some guy, some fan just grabbed her, picked her up, and was trying to abduct her. And she's screaming, and she says Doc came out and had like this big like hunting knife. And said, you know, I'm here, Jasmine, I'm here. And said the guy just like booked and ran out of the arena. She said, Jerry is ready to gut him. Yeah. And then she said she thought she almost saw the last of him because I guess they were on some pier by the water and he just shed his clothes and dove in and went went for a swim. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) He was a good swimmer. (laughs) Yeah, I I never saw it, but I heard he was a great dancer. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. <laughs> oh my god, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I wish I would have been around him a lot longer than that, but heard enough stories about him. So, when did There's, you live in Eugene? Eugene, uh, what I lived year? in Eugene. I Eugene. moved there in 1980. Uh, oh, okay. okay. I left there right around the time Piper uh, uh, left the territory when he had the final angle with Buddy Rose, and so. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I was there for one year, and most of that time, the uh, the feud centered around uh, Buddy Rose and Jay Youngblood, and it blew my mind yeah. that they could keep that feud going. Uh, I think it started maybe around October or November, and it lasted until April or May. I mean, every Friday night, they it, it seemed like they were having a match that would involve Rose, uh, you know, with Rose and Rip Oliver against Jay Youngblood and Joe Lightfoot, and oh yeah, it, it stayed fresh. It never got old. In fact, when they did the blow-off match when uh, Jay Youngblood left the territory, the following week, uh, <laughs> the crowd was like a quarter of the size it was the weeks before. Is that the Lane County Fairgrounds? That same yes, building? that's the one. Okay. Yeah. Those dressing rooms were like, a, I mean, the smallest you could ever imagine, like a closet. Really? Really? 
Yeah, and El- Elton would come in there. Did you ever get to talk to him much? Or Oh, my you know, God, no. yes. I talked to him <laughs> twice, and I was like, I, oh, uh, Jesus. in hindsight, I wish I turned the, my tape recorder on. I was like, wow. Oh, my God, I know. He was like, if Elmer oh Fudd like w- and Andy Warhol had a baby together, that's what you get. Yeah, <laughs> and W.C. Field a little bit there too with the big red yes. nose, and he wore that, he wore that possum, <laughs> dead possum on his head. Remember that tape with toupee? <laughs> yeah, head? Yes. Like, <laughs> was, oh my God! And the trip. suit coats he'd wear, you know. Was... <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, we. Uh, he was horrible too about paying off, you know. So he would always killed the you know the heat too like if the hills would try to get some good angle going on the heat and everything he would at the end of the show he didn't want the fans to be mad so he would come in there oh, and reverse funny. the decision yeah he'd reverse the decision and say disqualify the hills all this stuff it's like <laughs> you gotta be kidding you just killed all the heat and then one time they knocked his toupee off somebody did i can't remember one of the hills pushed one of the babies into him on purpose and knocked his toupee off knocked him off the apron and then he uh <laughs> He was always drunk, you know, always drunk, and he tried. Oh yeah, yeah. I said the only thing brighter than his sports coats were his cheeks and his nose. (laughs) Oh God, he was always drunk, and then he he always thought you're gonna steal the money, and that was only like what? How many people you think that held? Maybe four or five hundred or something. That building. Yeah. No, but yeah, it's a passionate four or five hundred, but. (laughs) Okay. Did they have? Do you remember a fan in the front row named that they called Slim? God. And and Eugene. Yeah, he was this tall, gaunt man who looked like he had passed away several years earlier. And he God, he was no, always in the front know. row. Every match from the opening to the – he would he would limp <laughs> up to the ring and start pounding his hand on the mat and screaming to the referee that the heels are misbehaving. <laughs> I think I remember that kind of – yeah, okay. Yeah, and then uh, – but Elton would be drunk, and then he would always. He, did he have the ref, the the uh, baby faces referee then too? He was too cheap yeah. to pay the referee. To, okay, yeah, that's because he was too cheap to pay fifty bucks to a referee to come to his towns, you know. So he'd make that's, us referee oh my God, all, yeah, all yeah. the babies. They would always wear the the referee shirt in their wrestling trunks. It was a, it was a very yeah, surreal look. Stupid. Yeah, and then because uh, I had just worked in like mid south for you know the Marines of uh, wrestling for Bill Watts and big territories like that, and then I come there and I was like, what the hell is going on? We get to Eugene and he's like, okay, you're gonna referee. I was a heel with Buddy Rose, and he said, you're not gonna be. He called it different. He said, dirty fighter in my town. You're gonna be a clean guy. You don't look like no heel. So on TV, I'm a heel. And his town's on my baby face, and all the fans are like, oh, "What the hell's going on?" And that's a, that was weird. And then he uh, he'd give you five bucks extra. I remember if he refereed for good attitude, five bucks. No way. Yeah. Five bucks. And then you know and... you know that office he'd go in. I think it was like an office, might be where they sold the tickets. Yes, I don't, yes, I don't know. the, the ticket go, booth. <laughs> he'd go his, in his wa- afterwards. Go ahead. <laughs> Which one? His wife was a trip too. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> They, they all tried to kill him, all the guys that always say. His wife, he always couldn't figure out why he almost died, and his wife's always trying to kill him. He's married a few times. <laughs> and then all the time he shot himself. Did you hear about that when he shot himself? No! You were Wait, what's this? Well, he was trying. He was always worried someone's going to rob him after the show, too, you know, because he was so drunk and everything. I wasn't there mm-hmm. this time. Before I, got, before I got there, I don't know what year exactly, but the, all the guys laughed about it. But he walked out, and I thought somebody was going to rob him, so he had a gun in his pocket. And he either shot his balls or his foot, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a big story. Everybody talked about that. There's a big yeah, difference between the balls and the foot. I know. I don't know. Yeah, but you know the exaggeration, so I'm sure it was probably his foot. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it happened, though, definitely, because everybody was always – and then, oh, God, the stuff they did his cigar – Cause we were all mad at him cause he wouldn't pay. 
and you tell him the crowd looks good tonight, he'd get mad at you. We know how to get him going. You know, you come in the dressing room, crowd's good tonight, Elton. He'd be like, what? He'd say, no, it's, they got big coats on. It's cold outside. Or the kids are freeze. Only reason that looks like. And then he, he'd get They've so got mad. they got big coats on. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said sometimes. They're big coats. It looks like they're more people. And then, because uh, he didn't uh, want to pay a penny extra. So then he'd lay a cigar Eugene, down. Eugene, Oregon, the town of, the town of oh, too many God. water coats. Yeah, yeah. The one and time I he, met Chris Cole, it was in Eugene. And I remember, oh, I remember when I finished the interview with him. Uh, uh-huh. I, I, I'm just saying, a lot of interesting people in the biz, yeah? And he says, yeah, and he says, and then the one, one that comes to mind first is Elton Owen, and, and Chris Cole, of all people, oh, says, he says, is Elton even a human being? There's, like, what the <laughs> hell? Oh, and I had my tape recorder running, I said, would you expound on that? And he says, shut that off. <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. Yeah, he was, uh, he was the weirdest promoter I ever met, definitely. And I remember he, uh, always I mean, rattling off baseball and basketball scores in between the matches. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I didn't listen to half the stuff he said because he's like in a that poor pig voice. Oh, Mickey God. Doyle he, told me that, um, you know, he had a son who was gay. And when I guess his son huh. came out, I guess that night at wrestling between <laughs> matches, Owen took the mm-hmm. mic and did this big rant against uh, homosexuality and how it's oh, destroying Jesus. the country. <laughs> He did? Oh my god. Yeah, I can hear him. (laughs) Jesus. He'd have those cigars. Remember his cigar he'd always be smoking? I remember those, yes. Okay, well, you don't know what was on them cigars, because for some reason he'd lay them down, too, when he'd be get mad at the guys in the dressing room or whatever. We'd get him going, and then he'd lay a cigar down and start cussing you out, and then Matt Bourne one time stuck it up his ass. Turned it around a bunch of times, and, and he wasn't the cleanest guy either, Matt Bourne. So, and then Elton picks it back up a little while later, and this happened a bunch of times. And he's like, "These things taste like shit." And then, <laughs> and it, I'm sure it smelled like shit. And then somebody else did something. They did all kinds of stuff to his cigars. It was so damn funny. They'd spit on his jacket like uh, the guys that dipped, you know, spit tobacco all over the back of his yes, jacket. Yes. You remember that stuff <laughs> hanging off his jacket? I don't remember that. I, I wish I did, but. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> when and I was in he, Eugene, I still didn't really know any of the boys and stuff like that. I was more just kind of coming <laughs> with my camera, snapping oh, tips, yeah. and then Betty got mad at me because uh, I wrote an article for a Betty. magazine about yeah, yeah. I wrote a mag an article for the magazine about some of the local wrestlers, and she she was like, "This has not been approved by Sandy Bar. We might have to remove you from the <laughs> arena." <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, god! Yeah, okay. She was drunk. She was drunk half the time too. Betty. Damn, I wonder what Christmas was like there. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was. And then he got mad at me. I first came from other territories, you know, big territories. And then I was taking a lot of big bumps and stuff. And afterward, I thought he was going to give me extra for that, you know, all these big bumps I took. And he goes, quit taking them damn big bumps. You're breaking my fucking ring down. And I was like, what the hell? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm breaking the ring. <laughs> and I have a question. I, and I have always wondered this. Did you ever see... Uh, him and Dono and communicating with each other because I always found it so no. odd that they were brothers. <laughs> Never. He didn't even talk about him. And then uh, only thing was Flair worked there, you know, one time in Eugene. He couldn't stand it because that dress room was so little and he had his, his robe took up the whole dress room pretty much. And then and he was like, uh, he went and told Don the next night in uh, Portland, he said, don't send me your damn brother's town anymore. That damn dress room's a fucking like a damn closet. And this is the biggest joke I ever seen in that town. <laughs> he was so mad. 
<laughs> yeah, that was funny. Don didn't Don didn't talk about him ever or anything. But really, Don, he never. I mean, he didn't. All he did was handle the money and stuff. Even Don, I don't remember him ever coming up with any ideas. The boys are the ones that did really. Cause, yeah, because there was no Booker there until like later. I guess the official Booker one after I'd left uh, the Grappler was finally, oh. you know. But when I was there, it was just whoever had uh, Don Owen's ear, and that was always Buddy Rose if he was there. And if he wasn't right. there, it'd be like rip some of the heels, rip Oliver. But it was Buddy Rose did whatever he wanted. And then uh, it, yeah, that's kind of no where I got though. lucky because I saw Buddy Rose. I think when Dutch Savage was still calling the show. I know most of the wrestlers uh, were not fond of Dutch, but that was back <laughs> when Buddy Rose uh, would would the word no show was not in his vocabulary at the time. He he even wrestled oh, yeah. Jay Youngblood one night, two out of three falls, and. In between each fall, he kept running to the bathroom to uh, to puke his guts out because he had the flu. <laughs> oh, and then, yeah, then a few years later is when he started no-showing events. Hmm. I think it was, yeah, like was 84 when he started getting into the coke and stuff like that. That's when I was there, and I don't want to talk bad about him because I like Buddy because he's the one that gave me my uh, – Billy Jack sent me there, and then Buddy oh, no was there at first. Yeah, yeah, from Florida. Yeah. And then, well, uh, had, well, they had a little – he had a lot of troubles later in life, but I got to say, man, he was what made it worth going to each week. I mean, oh yeah, he was over. Because sometimes he'd be in the he'd be in the second match wrestling one of the guys like Eric Embry, who was like enhancement mm-hmm. down at the time, but he still yeah. know how to make him shine and just knew how to pop the crowd and then calm them down when they got too dangerous. You talking about Buddy, right? Mm-hmm. Which one, Buddy Rose? Oh yeah, Buddy, Buddy Rose. Is Buddy, fun. no, he yep. yep. <laughs> I was gonna say Billy, but uh, Buddy Rose, yeah, he was one of the best work guys I ever worked. Definitely, I mean, he was underrated. Definitely, but Jerry, he, uh, Jerry, so hold over. on, hold on, Jerry, you noticeably groaned before at the mention of Dutch Savage. Why? Oh, I, I, I never even met him, but I just heard so many stories about stuff he did. But I, I never met him. He was never there when I was there. I didn't even know his brother was the, that big tall referee. Remember Luke Brown, one of the Kentucky? oh yes. I do that remember brother, that, yeah. Right? Yes, it was. He didn't even talk. Yeah, he didn't even talk about Dutch at all. I didn't even know he was for a long time. But I was there with Stan Stasiak. He made a lot of trips with us. He was a nice guy. And then, uh, like I said, though, Billy Jack sent me to Oregon, and then Buddy Rose wasn't back yet. And then he, when he got there, he told me that uh, – because they had me, like, in the second match. He goes, no, Billy told me that he wanted you to come out here on top, not in the second match. So then – he teamed me up because, like I said, he did whatever he wanted to do out there pretty much. He told Don make us the team, and then we worked with Hack Sawyer and Tom Pritchard. They were the tag team champions. Oh, and then, cool. uh, Yeah, and actually we uh, – God, what was it? Buddy came up with so – he pretty much ran it. When he was there, he, he ran it. And then uh, he said, let's uh, – Hack Sawyer was getting ready to leave, so they – Buddy said, let's uh, do an angle where we cripple you and he'd leave, he'd leave the uh, Northwest. So we did a power slam off the top rope. Like um, Dick Slater and Orton used to do. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Where you hand them to him, suplex, hand it to the guy, and then I come off the top with a power slam. Yeah, Buzz was a tough guy, but Hack Sawyer, I don't know. He seemed like a cry baby about everything. He's trying to say it. Was he really? He doing? <laughs> yeah, he was squirming all over the place. I'm trying to power slam off the top rope, and he's moving all over. I can't hardly do it. And, and then did he you tell them, we don't know this is the first time we're trying this? <laughs> yeah, it was, too. <laughs> but You're anyway, our guinea pig. He was that like he was hurt afterwards and everything. I was like, oh, my God, come on. Buzz wouldn't do that. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but, no, no, no. So anyway, yeah, Buddy was a good guy, but he, I don't want to say nothing bad about him, but he, uh, 
I thought he was a scientist when I first met him because he wanted to come into my room to cook some stuff on the uh, stove in my bomber motel. (laughs) (laughs) He had one of those test tubes and everything. I was like, what the hell? No way. He he made his own. I have even more admiration for him. It probably wasn't the that. Because I'd never seen it. And I was like, what the hell, Richard Pryor? I know it just something happened where he caught on fire from something like that. And I was like, what's he going to do? Blow up this fucking hotel, man? Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was pretty weird. Sounds like something the doc so, would have done, actually. <laughs> yeah, it does. He wasn't around that stuff, though, I don't think. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I heard Doc did, the, the, the doc told you the story about Johnny Valentine uh, giving him a, a bit of a gift in bed, pissing on him. Oh, oh yeah, he pissed shitting on, on him. Uh, Valentine. Oh yeah, he shit on the uh, doctor, but the uh, doctor pissed on him to start it. Though that was Valentine. Oh he yes, yes, that sounds right. I just remember <laughs> Doc telling me this, me the story incredibly tanked, and he oh, he talks about wake waking up, and he says, "And I had shit on me from head to toe." <laughs> And he oh has this God. puzzled look on his face, even as he's telling the story to me. And he says, I said, no, 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 I couldn't have shit myself this bad. <laughs> and oh, I, I just I just lost it. I was laughing so hard I was in pain. And he's just looking so, at me a little confused, like, well, I'm, I'm trying to tell you a story, funny. kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So he didn't know Valentine did it, you don't think, or? I don't no, he know. knew that Valentine did it because Valentine, I guess, was waiting in the hall for him to wake up. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I think jo- either Johnny or Greg told me that, though. Doctor didn't tell me that one. Yeah, Johnny Valentine. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he lived in Houston. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Valentine was so crazy. Johnny Valentine was so crazy, even when he was older, you know, when he had the he'd walk with the, the you know the the cane things and the, he uh he still ripped people back then even he uh he yeah. fed his own son he he fed his own son uh greg and hercules um dog food told him it was chili or oh something. man no wonder they're so greg's so tough <laughs> well when greg first started he didn't live with his dad when he first started though he was just wanting to go on the road with his dad he was like 17 or something and then uh johnny just left him on the side of the road I mean, didn't even come back and get him. He just left him, and then the other guy seen him later and said, he's got to learn someday. Johnny told the guy, what the fuck? Tough love. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was crazy. Funny as hell. Yeah, but I think yeah, I could have done a, done, done a road trip with either the doc or Johnny Valentine, but both of them together, I don't know if I would have done that. Oh, Jesus, no. I don't know, <laughs> no. Doc, he didn't rib that much, though. Doc, he just did crazy, funny shit. But Johnny Valentine did too many ribs. You don't know what the hell was going to happen. Oh, yeah. There were there were times I, I – if somebody came and told me, hey, that guy, Dr. Jerry Graham, you knew years ago, he was actually a performance artist who did a 30-year project that he lived 24-7. I mean, because – I, oh, I yeah. mean, there, there was time when he was so ripped that he would get it out a cigarette. One night he had a box of matches – and just like in a silent comedy, he would light the match, and by the time it got to the cigarette, the match went out. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he went through the whole box of matches like that, and just going, fire, fire, I need fire. Oh my and so God. he gets a little <laughs> cigarette lighter from my car. He takes it out, <laughs> handle side, and then he puts the hot side in his other hand. And about three seconds later, just <laughs> big scream. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> who was the one saying that he, he hit? Who was the one saying that hit? Who was it? He and he and Wahoo hit somebody and ran him over. Was that you telling that story? Tom Hankins. Yes, uh, he, oh, he had okay, mentioned that, that story okay. to me too. Oh <laughs> like, my god! 
<laughs> yeah, he already said, drive, drive. And Wahoo's like, we can't just leave. Nobody's going to miss him. Drive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is fucking crazy. <laughs> I believe it, too. Oh, my God. I believe it. Yeah, but Northwest was, um, yeah, it was just so weird because I don't know. Nobody ran it, really. Don Owens, I never heard him say one idea. He didn't decide who goes up and does the interviews on the TV taping. Nothing. It was just whoever had his ear at that time. Like if it was Buddy Rose, he's the one that came up with everything. Pretty much the guys just came up together with everything, you know. I was going to say, so there was no – I didn't realize there was no formal booker. No, no. That's why I couldn't believe when I got there. I was like, is this fucking for real? I've been on Independence. Better than but it, it, but it was, And it was a good territory too. I mean it was Oh, yeah. Consistent. That's the weirdest thing. I can imagine. And, and meanwhile, Mike LaBelle, Mike LaBelle had bonafide bookers, and it was a disaster, yeah. almost no matter who booked. Yeah, I can imagine Oregon, though, if somebody would have actually, you know, like a Bill MD or somebody like that would have came in there and ran it. Jesus. It was yeah. just like nothing else going on back then, though. Remember, there was no other, what, sports teams except for, what, the basketball Portland Trail? No, Trail that's Blazers. true. Yeah, there was nothing to do. That's so true. Wrestling was like that was like the stars to them, the movie star. <laughs> Buddy Rose was. Yeah, so it was. It was, them. and it was similar how like guys like Moondog Main and uh, uh, Buddy Rose were household names, oh, yeah. just like Blassie and Tolis were down here in L.A. Yeah, and Buddy Rose, um, he was so over because I'd ride with him every day, and nobody else really had the guts to ride with him because he was the craziest <laughs> driver ever, crazier than Harley Race. Anyway, nobody ever. No way. Oh. No, he was, I mean, he wasn't a bad driver either because we never wrecked, but you wouldn't even believe. And then he would just be, everybody would be pulling off the road wrecking and everything because he'd just drive, I mean, around the, you know, the side of the road. I mean, going like 100 miles an hour too. It wasn't like just passing slow. I mean, like 100, weaving in and out of people all the way to the trip. And then uh, cops would stop and finally because people would be, you know, on their CB radios or whatever saying this guy's trying to kill everybody. So cops would stop him <laughs> and see his buddy roads. He never got any ticket. Right when they see who it is, you know, it's just like, oh, like he's a, like Dusty Rhodes or Hulk Hogan of uh, was, was he, And was he still was he still blaring Donna Summers uh, at at top pitch when he was driving? <laughs> well, Mondo rode with us too, and he he always he was really into like uh, Hollywood. Uh, Mondo was in a few, you know, he was doing a lot of stunts, but he was in a few different movies too at that time. I can't remember which one, Scarface or something. But Buddy Rose was asking him about the movies a lot. He's talking about that a lot, stuff like that. He wasn't uh, playing the radio. We were talk, talking mostly. And then the craziest story ever was the time Kurt Hennig and Buddy Rose, me and Mondo make a trip. And that's when Buddy Rose, I didn't know his mom had died. And he was kind of like uh, Jerry Graham a little bit. He was, so he went in the store mm-hmm. to get some candy. <laughs> this is when Buddy Rose gained a lot of weight, you know. He went in there to get uh-huh. a bunch of candy. And he had a whole bag full of candy and popsicles and stuff. And then, and Kurt Hennig told me, he said, he, he wants to die because his mom just passed away. And I was like, oh, my God. And that's why he's driving like this. And then, uh, so we're, like, oh freaking God. out already. Plus, they're doing everything, you know, the t- test tube stuff all, all the way, you know. <laughs> back in that. So he's in the mountain somewhere in Oregon, how big those mountains are. And anyway, I don't remember where it was, but we're going down this mountain. And he's he's going too fast this time. It's the only time I ever seen him almost went off the mountain. And then Kurt Hang and Mondo are in the back, and I'm in the front. And it's like we're just screeching and all the way all to the edge of the mountain, almost went off. And then we're I just said get the hell out. We had I had to get out his side, the driver's side, because it was so close to the edge of the mountain. And then uh, they Whoa. said, Yeah, you drive, Jerry. <laughs> you drive, Jerry. <laughs> so we had to kick him out. You ain't driving no more, man. That was almost death that time. 
yeah, he was so. Crazy. So you got several things that night. You got uh, you got a good oh, whiff geez. of nature out there in the mountains. You got a Formula yeah. One uh, f- uh, car ride and uh, a chemistry <laughs> yeah. lesson too. You know. Oh yeah, everything. <laughs> Learned a lot out there. <laughs> that was funny as shit because we were all babies too. We were baby faces. Me, Hennig, and uh, Mondo, and Buddy was the only heel, but nobody else wanted to ride with him. We were crazy, and then so he. He would do all that, you know, get all wired out, and then he would take a bunch of downers to come down. So what he did wow. was supposed to be cafe, but back then, you know, you cafe, but it was like a Seattle or somewhere we we're going to. And uh, afterwards, we're supposed to—I forget what we we're going to do—walk a little ways down. He comes and picks us up, you know. And then he passed out in the car though, and all the fans are out there. So B. Hennig and Mondo come out there, and Buddy's passed out at the steering wheel, and we can't figure out how to get in the car wow. without breaking breaking cafe. So then we said, "Oh, let's just act like we're." Jumping him and beating the shit out of him and kidnapping him. So then that's what we did. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> the, fans, the fans are looking like, what the hell? What the hell's going on? We just pushed him over and act like we beat him up and then drove away. I was like, what the hell? I guess the fans are going to think, damn, Buddy Rose got kidnapped by all the babies. <laughs> that's the night he almost killed us. <laughs> I don't God. think I rode with him anymore after that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's such a shame because I remember when I used to see him, you, he was always there and he's always. Always maybe a little uh-huh. too serious, but he was all you oh, could tell yeah. this was a guy who took his work seriously and um Oh yeah. I it, it's he funny was... I, I I had wondered if he was starting to get into stuff cuz he he was famous for like not drinking and that kind of thing back in oh, the yeah, 70s. He I heard he didn't do but, anything except for uh, listen to loud music. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I, I remember when I met him, I met, saw him at the L.A. Sports Arena um, in 83, and then uh, mm-hmm. a friend and I were hanging out with him afterwards, and he calls another wrestler over and hands him a stack of money, and he says, uh, tell the guy uh, uh, thank you, for, uh, but ask him how much it cost a little more this time. And my first thought was, oh, that's, so that's oh, why he's God. losing weight. Because <laughs> that was when he was yeah. actually losing some weight, and I figured, well, I get, I heard that. Some people take that to assist in that as well as a uh, recreation. Yeah, I heard he was real straight before I ever got there, and he just listened to loud music. So all he did to get high, you know, like that's what he got off on. But then it must be when he went to New York's when he got and, somebody got him started. And, and, on and the, women, uh, I heard he was. Yeah, I think I heard Piper women. I heard he, he he that was his other addiction was women. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. Of course, a lot of wrestlers that <laughs> he was true, but I heard I heard he, he was, was even above some of them. <laughs> What were you going to say, Jerry, oh, yeah. about Piper? Piper told you something? Yeah, no. Buddy told me, the Piper, uh, when I first met Buddy you know, in Oregon, he was telling me, because he was kind of like, he didn't like to be on that stuff he was on, you know, The Rock and all that. And he goes, mm-hmm. he told me the Piper is the one that got him on it. He said, he told me. Really? Riding down, I'd always yeah, wondered. Riding down the road. He said, I never did wow. anything before. No drugs, nothing. <clears throat> and then I was just like, Jesus. And then, uh, yeah, that's what I... A lot of people said that, really. I don't know who started it, but snuck in all that Oregon back in those yeah. days. One, one, I, I was going to ask, because I was always a huge uh, fan of Ed Wiskowski, and unfortunately, he was oh, never yeah. there up in Oregon when I was there. He, oh, yeah. I, I heard he was quite the river. Is that true? No, I never. He was real serious really? when I knew him, but he was he was good, though, to work with. But he... Uh, he used to get mad, though, I remember, because I'd go, I'd go real fast, try to go fast, you know, like I didn't want to do that old style, like you no, know, it's like he does, yeah. kind of like. But it was, it was good though, kind of like Johnny Valentine style, where they make you sell on a hold, you know, and all that. But I wanted to go fast, and then <laughs> he gets so mad, and then finally I learned. <laughs> <laughs> He's not gonna do it unless 
big guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, every time uh, I'd meet him at Cauliflower Alley, he'd come up and introduce myself. Hi, I'm Charlie Pullins. <laughs> doing the old. Oh yeah, he's Pullins funny thing. now. I heard yeah, he's funny yeah. now. Yeah, but back then he wasn't too. Yeah, he's pretty yeah. crazy now. I, I, heard. I know I'm in the minority, but I like him a lot more just as Ed Wiskowski than the Colonel. <laughs> Oh yeah, I do too. I, I didn't like that gimmick. Uh, he was great, way better. Yeah, Polish Prince. He was Absolutely. a good worker too for a big guy, big guy too. Yes. But him, he had him and Buddy together, a good tag team. And then, yeah, the um, who else was out there? Um, I worked somebody. I worked uh, what you call it? That guy. Well, I told you I worked Chris Colt before, and I don't even remember because he was so easy. It's like that's weird. I usually remember a, a match like, but. I'd seen him when I was a little kid, so it was kind of like big to me, you know. Wrestling Chris Colt, the time machine, him and Count Drummer. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ohio I think I was the then, only uh, person at the Lane County <clears throat> Fairgrounds. I was on cloud nine the first time I saw Chris Colt. There, yeah. And everybody else was yeah. looking at me like, what are, you, what are you into him for? I'm saying, this guy's like a genius in the ring. Yeah, they never pushed him out there for some reason. Because like, Don didn't like local, local people, you know, Don Owen. He... He wouldn't push a lot of guys that were from out that area because uh, <clears throat> he he was from some. Where was he from? Seattle or uh, Chris? Uh, he was oh. in somewhere in Washington. I think he grew up in yeah. Oregon, but I think most of his adult life he was in Washington. Yeah, because he was big everywhere else. I mean, like uh, in the plus East Star way back. I mean, J.J. Dillon's first match was against him when he was one of the uh, Hell's Angels. You know, I loved um, watching that match, Arnold Skoland and Jim yeah. Dillon. Jim Dillon, I yeah. love that match. It reminds me of when I was a kid watching TV studio wrestling. For some reason, I know. that's like... Good. I know. It is. Yeah, the archetype of uh, what pro wrestling was when I grew up. Yeah, I don't understand how that exists and the stuff later than that doesn't even exist. I don't know who kept that one. <laughs> the black and white one they have there. <laughs> That and it always really makes you wonder work. what else is, what other videotapes are languishing in a vault somewhere that will get discovered. <laughs> yeah, somebody has it. Because I know uh, Ron Martinez, um, the one that his dad ran, that Ohio Buffalo wrestling, uh, yes. Pedro Martinez, he said that uh, the Sheik drove down here in his big, I think it was a, whatever, a limousine or something. He And he had his trunk full of tapes and sold them to Pedro. That's why Ron Martinez had the... Cheeks promotion. Oh wow! Because I I can remember when yeah. all those tapes suddenly went on sale. Like everybody yeah. I knew, all the sheet readers would get yep. the catalog that had all those. It was it was like a gold yeah. mine at the time. Yeah, <laughs> PM film and tape, but the sheik just had a trunk full of them, like it was drunken. Just sold to him cheap, he said. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, so, Jeff yeah, Walton the, told uh, me that everybody kept telling Mike LaBelle, "Why are you erasing the TV <laughs> yeah. tapings every week?" He says they might be worth something, and LaBelle just, like, laughed them off, and <laughs> he regretted oh, it later because that guy loved money more than anybody. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I never met him, but I heard about him. He even he even sold bootleg copies of his own stuff later in life. Uh, Was that his real brother, Gene? Pat- <laughs> What's that? Is Gene his, his real brother? Or? Yeah, he is his real Gene brother, LaBelle? although you wouldn't guess it because they, they were not exactly fond of each other. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> So. <laughs> Gene oh was the God. life of the party while uh uh <laughs> Mike looked like the undertaker. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. I like that story. How hands on was Sandy Barr? Um he when I was there he only ran um Salem. I think it was on Thursday, Salem, Oregon, and he uh 
I don't. He didn't talk much, really. I mean, he's. I don't remember any uh, any ideas either from him. He was like the referee, but he'd always want to, you know, get some heat on the the heel at the end of the match, yeah. punch the heel or whatever. But, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Because that's what I remember him. He seemed like the jack of all trades there. Occasionally he'd wrestle in the openers or be the referee and just kind (laughs) of. I think he did the the ring and everything sometimes. Yeah, but he, I don't remember him talking a whole lot. So, like I said, the boys pretty much ran it. Whoever the most experienced heels were, if Buddy was there, he ran it. Because I remember when Buddy was there, he'd always make sure Billy Jack wasn't there when he would come there because... Something happened where he owed Billy Jack a bunch of money, like ten grand. And wow. uh, so when Billy would come <laughs> back, you know, once he'd come back every few months, you know, when he'd leave whatever area, you know. And then he'd uh like when he'd leave WW or wherever he was at, uh Texas world class, and then Billy'd come back to Oregon and then Buddy would kinda say, I'm not gonna be working for a little while here now because <laughs> he owed the money and then and then oh, on the big one, remember, remember, remember the Portland, uh, what was it called? The Memorial Extravaganza, whatever that was, the big show they had at the Coliseum. With I remember when that happened. The 60th anniversary okay. show, right? Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. He, uh, so Buddy wanted to be on that show because he was against Piper, you know, he's going to get a good payday. And then Billy was on that show against Flair. I guess, yeah, Flair. So then that's when he knew, Billy knew Buddy was going to get a good payoff. So then, like the next week, he's in the dressing room. I remember he cornered Buddy. I was like, oh, no, God, don't beat Buddy up, Jesus. And then uh, uh, it almost happened. That's one guy I don't think happened. I'd want to owe money to. No, no. It almost happened, <laughs> but then Buddy, you know, Buddy got out of it. He begged off him. <laughs> forget what he did. He got out of it somehow. Billy was like, used his charm. <laughs> he worked a oh, worker. Yeah, he had to. He had to with that one because Billy Jack wasn't nobody to mess with, definitely. I've seen the. Uh, wow. Billy Jack, one t- I seen, I never seen him back down from anyone. And then girls must have been terrified of him though, because he wasn't too nice to some of the girls I seen. Some of the arena wrestling fans, really? girls, <laughs> not rats. Wow. Anyway, they, yeah, he'd get kind of mad if they didn't like him, because Lance Vaughn or uh, what you call uh, Ricky Vaughn, Lance Vaughn, Eric, he had a big van that held like eight, ten people, so all the babies would ride with him, and that would usually come back with a couple girls in the van with us, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Billy decides that he likes the one that I like to, you know, and she didn't like mm-hmm. him though. He actually threw her out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, like Holy Oregon, somewhere late at night because she didn't like him. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's kind of rough, man. Yeah, that is rough. No. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say no because he looked like he's turning into a maniac. He was yelling at her. Bitches like you are a dime a dozen. I don't know what he talks in a house. Like, Jesus, wow. like, calm down, man. God. <laughs> he was a little, he was nice if he liked, if he liked you, but uh, some people he didn't like. I don't know. Were either of you around mm. Matt Bourne? Yeah, I was. Was you? Never met him. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. he, he, he worked the territory while I was there, but never, I don't think I ever said word one to him. <laughs> He's another guy, too, even though he was a real good worker that Don wouldn't use him very good. I mean, he might have earlier when he did that, the angle with Buddy Rose, because Buddy's with his, with his, with his um, what, sister, I guess it was? Yeah. Buddy's was with, yeah. Uh, yeah, Matt's sister. So they did an angle that time, but then when I was there, Matt was like first match, and you could just tell he had kind of like, he had a little bit of attitude. Because when I got there, I had bleached hair, right? And then everybody, mm-hmm. I didn't know when I Every other heel there, everybody was bleached hair. It was like, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me! Everybody here's got bleach blonde hair. 
So there was like Doug Summers, Buddy Rose, everybody was bleached white hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I thought it was going to be different out here. And then uh, so suddenly, so suddenly uh, Tom Peterson was the guy who stood out <laughs> instead of yeah. the bleached blondes. <laughs> yeah. And so Matt Bourne had bleached hair even then too. Everybody did. And Matt Bourne said some smart comment. I remember when he first met me because he was kind of mad, like a a guy's coming from another territory, and then I haven't used him like first match or whatever. But he said, another bleach blue, some shit, and I dyed mine back brown, I remember, or whatever. <laughs> so anyway, he, well, he's, uh, he, he, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. He's one of those guys I never met, but just almost everybody I know who encountered him, with a few exceptions, yeah. said he did, he did not play well with others. Yeah, that's what they all say, but um, he said that one smart comment when I first met him, but then he was nice after that. He was just, he's cool I know, after he that. Yeah, he was always. We had a couple good matches. He was really good to work with, I know. But he, then uh, he was the only guy I ever seen light a joint in the locker room. I mean, he was smoking <laughs> pot right there. I was like, "What the hell? He don't give a shit." He was. He reminded me. He tried to be Buzz Sawyer. It's pretty much what he uh, he acted like him and wrestled like him and everything later. Oh, that's you know, funny. So he acted like him, even the way he would laugh, everything. He was Buzz Sawyer. Oh my God! Because he because <laughs> he looked he looked up to Buzz Sawyer and you know, on. Did he scam people out of money too? Uh, I don't know if he did that part, but he, uh, he, uh, (laughs) I know Buzz Buzz used to beat the shit out of him, and he he would try to keep up with him. Buzz always beat him, you know. But they, uh, I heard Buzz, yeah, when Terry Allen first started Magnum TA, you know, he, uh, I I remember I was in Florida with him when he first came here to Florida, and he was talking mm -hmm. about Buzz Sawyer, what he what he did to him, you know, all the money that Buzz cost him. (laughs) In yeah, fact, uh, I didn't know this until about three years ago, but uh, I saw Terry Allen's very first professional match, which was in Eugene. Oh, yeah. Okay. And and I remember there was an indie worker back east named Terry Allen, and I remember calling Tom. Oh, Burke, yeah. Like, hey, is your, is your friend out here? Uh-huh. He goes, no, no, he's he's not in the business full time right now. Yeah. And uh-huh. so – there's Terry Allen, you know, super good looking guy. He, the funniest thing, he looked like so shy, like he looked very sheepish. But he and Buzz Sawyer, they, they were in the opener, and it was like this just hold for hold match, uh, and it was like really good. Then never saw shoot. him again, and then, and then I I, I was on Facebook, uh, and you know we're having a, co- a conversation in the comment section. And I said I think I saw one of his early matches. Uh, in mm-hmm. Eugene, and then th- a few comments later, there was uh, Terry Allen saying that was actually my very first match, no, and <clears throat> yeah, so I felt like I suddenly felt really cool that I saw his first yeah. match, and then later I heard uh, the story behind that was I guess Buzz started training him somewhere else in another region, and uh, gave mm. him a few lessons, then took off with his money and. Uh, Terry Allen actually yeah. found out where he was and, <laughs> and yeah. went up to him yeah. and Buzz said, oh my gosh, like, I can't remember, like, I lost your number or something like that. <laughs> I can't see Buzz being afraid, though. Yeah, He's that's such, the thing. I, mean, I can't believe Buzz backed down. I don't down. believe it. Yeah. No, I don't believe it. I was around him and he, I mean, he, <laughs> he even talked to Dick Slater, like, they were good friends, you know, yeah. but he didn't. He didn't back down from Slater even when the Well, it didn't we sound like he together. so much was threatening him physically or anything. He's just said, Probably like, just, hey, I gave you all this money. And he says, oh, yeah, I lost <laughs> yeah. your number here. I'll, I'll I'll get you in the ring. And he got him in uh, the ring. Oh, so. well, he probably wanted to – I think I know what it was. He probably wanted to get more money out of him. <laughs> so he yeah, well, that was <laughs> – I was telling Brian on one of the – I was telling Brian on one of the podcasts – Buzz Sawyer yeah. was the first person who didn't kayfabe me, like what? Because it was like 1980, yeah. very strict kayfabe, and he yeah. right 
a way is telling me like, oh, wow, I'm hoping uh, they give DiBiase the strap. Um, and he says, you think they're <laughs> going to give it to Slayer, though? And I'm like, uh, 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 you know, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and now in hindsight, I'm, I'm sure he was friendly with me because he thought, yeah. well, you know, this kid might have a few bucks on him that he can uh, forward to me. And yeah. He looked good then, didn't he? Was that when he had his he body and hair, oh. long hair? Yeah, yeah. He was a good worker. And it was too. funny because well, he he was a baby face who worked very much like a heel, and yeah. it worked. Yeah. It, was, it, it was really he good. Was one, he was one of the best. I mean, I've seen him have matches with the guys that were no, – that's why you know how good they are. Like he'd work some guy that's not even good at all, and it'd be a great match because of him, you know. So he uh, – and then there's a guy on the Facebook. I don't think it's really him saying he's Brett Sawyer, but – I tried to test him and say, what's your real name? And he said, he said the right name, but anybody could find that out, you know, Bruce Wayne right. or whatever. And I said, where are you Wayne originally from? Yeah. yeah. So where are you originally <laughs> from? And he, he said, St. Pete. And I said, wasn't it Ohio? And they were originally from Ohio. And then he said, you're right. You know everything. Just writing oh, back yeah. and forth. St. Petersburg, he, Ohio. I was born there. Yeah. Who taught yeah, you how to freebase? This is the part that made me like say, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Brett. Brett. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. live in a, a free, free base, free base, New Jersey. Thank yeah. you. You know, thought, yeah. that's the answer. He has to know. He, he won't know that one. But the first thing really made me think: either he's lying like hell, or he, what he said. Oh yeah, my brother when he tried out with the Briscoes, he stretched both of them. I was like, come on, that. I don't believe it. Don't think Jack so. Briscoe. NCAA champion. I mean, Jerry maybe, but not Jack. I don't believe that. Oh my God! He stretched both of them, and then they liked him. I was like, Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that at all. So, <laughs> you know, that's the biggest lie. Oh my God! Yeah, I always call that little rascal syndrome because I remember when I was a kid. Every couple of years, you'd hear about somebody who got caught trying to say they were one of the little rascals and oh, uh, autograph conventions and stuff. <laughs> Or it's always a mask guy. It's always the, the mask guy. I used to be the assassin. I used to be the you know the medic. Always somebody. <laughs> the the hangman guy. You know. I, oh yeah, that one too. I never the hangman. That. Yes. <laughs> okay, We're getting it. nostalgic <laughs> no. now. The six oh five glory yeah. days. It's always the old timer says it used to be. It's not like his name. It's like a, I was the one of the medics. I was one of the assassins. I said, like, "Oh, is you Tom Ernesto or which one? Jody Hamilton?" No, I was the different ones. They had different ones too. <laughs> you know, it's always something like that. But yeah, Buzz was good though. He was in Mid South um, eighty eighty five. I guess it was once later was the Booker Buzz Sawyer, and he uh, he was nice to me. I don't know people. That's why I said a lot of people say this guy's an asshole or whatever, but. I mean, he didn't say nothing to me ever. He's just laughing all the time about something. And then he, uh, one time he tried to pick me up. It was the funniest shit ever, though. I had a small Camaro like a girl would have, you know, my hair was long. And then we're, I'm pulling mm-hmm. into the hotel late at night. He's standing out there wasted probably in front of his hotel. And he, I uh, drove by in my Camaro. He didn't know what kind of car I had. So he sees the long hair, thought it was a girl, right? Hey, baby. <laughs> yelling for me. Coming after the car. Hey, baby, baby. And I said, oh, fuck. I don't want to see him because I don't want to embarrass him or me. <laughs> So I just went to a different motel. I was like, this has never happened. I mean, he's really trying to pick me up. He's like, he would have freaked out. Yeah, like, oh, you might have missed a good experience. Who knows? I mean. No, not him. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, mania. But he. Uh, yeah, Jake would have gotten jealous. Everyone. Oh, God. Jake, what is, I think he was there, too, actually. Yeah, he was. That's funny. Uh, I can't believe Slater, Slater never did kill him for some reason over that woman. Ex-wife. <laughs> but anyway, oh, man. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, talk a little Close bit about story. that anniversary show, though, the one where Piper, even though oh, he was main eventing, yeah. 
WrestleMania that month or the month before, he was there, yeah. which was a big deal at the time. Against yeah, the fans' guess, orders, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's, he said Don Owens is the one that gave him this, even though he started more in L.A., right? And then he went to Oregon. But um, mm-hmm. he, uh, I guess he said he's going to do it anyway because Don Owens and then uh, helped him, you know, so much. And then, yeah, it was Piper against Buddy Rose and then Billy Jack against Ric Flair. The Road Warriors were against Kurt Hennig and Larry Hennig. And uh, there was a lot of matches. I can't even remember all of them. I got the program still somewhere. I worked, uh, his name was Phil LaFleur later with Doug oh, yeah. and Doug Furness. Yeah, his name was Rocky yes. Ventura out in Oregon for some reason. I don't know why they called him that. Rocky, Rocky Ventura. Ventura. Yeah, nobody knows it was him. Phil LaFleur. Yeah, when I, when I went up to work for Al Temko, uh, yeah. I, 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 ho- I hope he didn't stay up all night thinking up my name. It was Jerry Brown. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah I remember Jerry Brown. Oh, Jesus. I was going to have Kurt's Jerry Brown was based more on the governor than uh, the wrestler. Oh, okay. Oh, I could have fun with a gimmick like that. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you get me oh, with yeah. old school Linda Ronstadt, darling. <laughs> oh, God. Flair loves her, but that um, that was Van- <laughs> Vancouver, Canada, right? Vancouver was that Tom? Yes, Ford? yes. <laughs> Did he run that big yeah, building remember, there? I don't know what the name name of it was. The big I don't the one in Vancouver. It was kind of like a, a mid-sized building, kind of a if I remember right, had almost like oh. a circular look to it inside. But yeah, I was only there for, for a few for a few shots. I, I was a, I was oh, pretty really? small, and so he said, "Off you go." <laughs> What year was that? So I went and hung out in Portland for a few weeks and just uh, just uh, tooled around there. <laughs> what year? What year did you come back to Portland after that? What year was that? That was '84, and I just kind of hung out with friends oh. for a few weeks. And uh, yeah, it was the most eventful thing. Not actually wrestling in Vancouver, but actually just seeing some some awesome work in uh, in Portland. <laughs> yeah, maybe I was there. I don't think I was there till the summer of '84, though. I think it was. Yeah, it, it, I think. Uh, because uh, I stopped by to say hey to Tom Pritchard because I knew him a little bit in L.A. And oh. uh, so he was – oh, that was when he was teamed with but with uh, Brett Sawyer, I remember. They were oh, kind of okay. like so that's, the top baby okay, face team. Before I got And there. Oh, that yeah, was the okay. first time I ever heard about, uh, you know, Buddy kind of starting to have problems was uh, from him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't ever see the and, Bomber ho- Motel, or did you? Did I was, yes, yes. <laughs> I was, Were you? yeah, that's oh, where, because I, I knew that's where Pritchard was staying, so I just went and knocked on his door, and he's just like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> oh, and God. I hung out there, and I always wanted to see that place, because I'd heard about the Bomber for like three years <laughs> yeah. previous. <laughs> so you remember that, that door you went to is the one that got knocked down in the story you hear coming up? <laughs> you never heard, you ever heard what? That? Oh, yeah. The yeah, story has the to door. come up now. Let's hear this. <laughs> yeah, you well, I just stole it already. It'd be a rerun now. Yeah, no, no, you got to listen to the that... show, Kurt. Sorry. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Well, then I have <laughs> to. Long I don't want to be to listen to tonight. Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> it really happened, too. I don't know if Tom remembers it, because he still thinks that a, a dog threw up in his room. Uh, let's keep that. It wasn't a dog. It was a girl. <laughs> anyway. Oh, wow. Now I'm really yeah. looking forward to listening to that. Uh, <laughs> I know. No idea. I never could figure out what the hell he's throwing a dog throwing up in his room. <laughs> She was she looked pretty good. She wasn't a dog either. So anyway. Well, on well I mean, that note, hey, yeah. hey, everybody, everybody's got to have a fetish, right? <laughs> I mean, why not? Oh God! Speak, <laughs> one more story. One more story. I hope this guy doesn't hear that. You ever remember Steve Pardee? Yeah. Steve Pardee. Uh, oh, oh God! I'm almost scared to ask 
about this story because I knew him. Yeah, I knew him a little bit. Yeah. You know him? I don't want to talk. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, They're not no, friends. I, They're I, not I, friends. Weird. I mean, we're not. Yeah, no, no. I, I want to say that uh, I, I know his friends. <laughs> Ed Moretti is one of his friends, and I'm very good friends oh, yeah. with Ed Moretti. But, but after I learned no, I like stuff him. about Pardee, I don't really want to no. see Pardee. <laughs> no, I like him, but he's just the uh, – I mean, it's like the craziest story I've ever heard. It's nothing to do with anything except for he had a girl, uh, just a girl in the parking lot, 7-Eleven or somewhere, right? He tells him – we thought he was just bullshit. You know, He said, I want that girl to run over my hand with her car, right? Over his yeah, hand. I believe it. You, you, he did it, I swear. And you've seen the tire tracks on his hand. And I ain't going to tell you what he did afterwards. Because he didn't want to touch the girls, right? He just wanted them to punish him. Yep. And then then you know what happened. <laughs> <After> that, <you> know. <laughs> My favorite part everybody. about seeing part, and I, and I have to say he was always. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, nice Kurt. Hold on, Kurt. Hold on. Well, finish your story. He's Jerry. a nice guy. Oh, well, I can't. It's kind of My favorite part of that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What, were you starting to do another anecdote? Well, Let, let's hear. Let's hear. One, one little part, because it's not very good. Just let him, you know, run over his hand for what? You know, well, he wanted the girl to punish him. So then he went in front of all of us on Ricky Vaughn's, you know, eight passenger van or whatever. You know what he did, you know, pleasured himself over the pain yep. in the hand. So we're all sitting there like, please don't do this right in front of us, okay? And then, and then one time he had one more story about him. One time he'd like it though. I'm telling him. He told me he used to go to like shopping uh, grocery stores and wait till a woman. He'd see one that goes in. He liked the way she looked, and he'd wait till she backed out and act like he's checking his tire and his whatever, and he put his hand under her car, stuff like that. Oh, just that's so she wouldn't even know she ran. Yeah. <laughs> I never heard of that shit. specific thing he did, but I totally believe it. Oh God, that's the craziest thing ever. I mean, I've seen him do it. But yeah, he did that. And then I ain't going to tell you the other one because he had me get a girl once. I'll just tell you this. He wanted to see a girl with shoes, you know, crushing a back like she's killing a bug. So I'm talking to this girl. Mm -hmm. She thought I was the weird one, right? He's underneath this door <laughs> in some closet or something, looking underneath <laughs> at her shoes. And so I'm telling her, what would you do if you seen a bug right here? He's wanting me to do all this for him, you know? So she's like, like, I just step on it. I said, show me how you'd step on it. So she thinks I'm the weirdo, right? And he's underneath the, you know, the closet, looking underneath the door doing you know what and then she's like this guy's fucking weird jerry <laughs> it wasn't me oh my god <laughs> yeah i uh weird. my favorite part about a steve pardee match was after the finish uh -huh. because i mean he's a great worker he's a really good worker but yeah oh yeah when the match was done we love to see him return to the dressing room because he always got lost <laughs> was this where was this at? Seriously. Or la uh everywhere every uh, <laughs> really? uh last time i saw him work was oregon i he, well, he is with Brett Sawyer. He's tagging with Brett Sawyer then, so I guess yeah. he had somebody to guide him back. But even a Strongbow Stadium <laughs> that just had two dressing rooms and was a place that oh seated maybe fifteen hundred people, he would he would start he'd get out of the ring he'd start walking and realize he's walking towards the concession stand, and then he'd yeah. look around and have this really serious <laughs> distraught look on his face, and Damn. then he would see where the dressing rooms are are and he'd try to. Uh, figure out which one oh. to go into and I remember, I remember he just happened to be by me he says i'm saying steve what's wrong he says uh is this the faces <laughs> dressing room i go no it's the other one he goes oh thank you thank you <sighs> oh my god and then we didn't yeah, see him for a while we different. saw him wrestle on a wwe show in uh, um in los angeles and oh. one of the openers and he had his yeah. match and again he started walking oh, towards the exit really of got, the building <laughs> he probably really got lost on a big building then jesus yeah, he was, one more story. One more story about Eugene, Oregon. This is the funniest thing I ever seen happen in the ring. I think you remember Billy Two Eagles. He was uh, 
Yes, yes, in, uh, I remember him. Southwest. What was that name he used in Southwest? Was he the one that was a pretty buff, a pretty buff uh, guy? Um, I might be thinking of somebody real. else. He wasn't real big, but he he was in uh, Southwest wrestling when they first had USA Network. But he had a Mexican gimmick. He's Mexican. His name. Oh, okay, was I think I'm thinking of somebody else. <laughs> R E L Relampion or something. He worked with uh, Relampago Leon. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he became. Uh, he also became Santo really Negro. Was- Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I was thinking of somebody else. Yeah, he was in Oregon as Billy Two Eagles, an Indian gimmick. He did, I remember but, um, him being a pretty good worker, or at least visually. Yeah, he was real good, real good worker. But he, uh, the funniest match I ever seen, because Eugene, of course, Elton's town. I had to referee it. The babyface had to referee this match. Uh, it was Mondo Guerrero babyface match against uh, Billy Two Eagles, right? So Mondo's cheats mm-hmm. pretty much making me laugh anyway, just the way he talks and everything. So. They're they're doing this match and Billy Two Eagles had like the flu or something, so then he mm-hmm. uh, he he Mondo sitting on his he's got Mondo sitting on his butt like and then Billy would jump up and then kind of like sit on his neck you know what I mean that move where you yeah you know, yeah explain what it is. okay that one yeah like we, he's sitting on Mondo's head kind of but he jumps up high in there and comes down on him so then he had diarrhea Billy did and then it oh, went he hates when I tell the story <laughs> but it went I'm the three too. So they went, I mean, Eugene, Oregon, you know, I mean, everybody could see from the building wasn't that big. So it's like the white tarp or whatever. Diarrhea all over Mondo's back, all over the Oh, my God. I I couldn't stop laughing. I'm the referee, right? So (laughs) I I can't stop laughing. So then Billy Tugas gets mad, and Mondo's like, ah, man, like Cheech, you know, what the hell, man, shit. (laughs) And then uh, Billy's like, shut up, Jerry, shut up. So I'm laughing harder because he's telling me to shut up. And he starts trying to wipe it off the mat while he's got him in an arm bar. Like like, nobody's going to see it. Like nobody can see it. It's all over everywhere. And I'm I'm laughing so damn hard. I had to go to the turnbuckle with my face on the turnbuckle laughing because he was getting so mad at me. Shut up, Jerry, be quiet, be quiet. (laughs) <laughs> and Mondo don't want to touch him because it stunk so bad. Oh, my God. And, of course, the other guys had to come in. They never even cleaned it up. The other guys had to come do their match all through the night. <laughs> and then nobody cleans it up. <laughs> that was, that was, uh, that oh was my the weirdest God. thing ever. So damn funny. Because <laughs> the fans are probably like, what the hell is that? <laughs> that, oh, that's that's shit, funny. that was a shitty match. Shitty match. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note, well, what a better way. Told you it was going to be. Yeah, Three hours. no better way to end this segment than uh, that story. But this was a lot of fun. We should probably do this again pretty soon. And that's it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say before we wrap things up. Anything you guys want to say? I just want to say it's, it's, it's just so awesome to get to cyber meet you here. Um, you yeah, know, we cool, had man. me years ago. You sound like a blast, man. Yeah, man. Same here. I wish I could have seen you when you lived in Eugene, but you moved away before I ever got there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I missed the smog in the cities of Los Angeles after a year. <laughs> uh, Eugene was a really nice. Eugene. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was nice, but it was not happening too much, really. Yeah, yeah, not too much happening, <laughs> but it was the only place I ever lived where uh, almost everybody I met, including the senior citizens, were smoking pot. So you know, it was a, it was a very <laughs> oh unique God. place. That's what I that's what I said. It's like the '60s. It was back then when I was there, like the '60s still. Exactly. I remember yeah. hanging out with some couple, and their their uh, <laughs> mother comes in. She's like seventy five years old, and uh, she's just like, "Oh, son, could I have a hit of that, please?" <laughs> I'm like, and she just looked like somebody's it. grandmother. I was like, you know, nineteen eighty. Yeah. That was pretty extreme for me. <laughs> you didn't see yeah, that in Los I Angeles. It. I believe that for <laughs> sure. 
Well, before we wrap up, I, we're about to go another hour, and I see it here already. <laughs> so before we wrap well, things up, though. I got a few though, anecdotes if you're ready for them right we, now. We. <laughs> <laughs> we, yes, we do. We do. We each have many anecdotes. Well, like I Ryan, said, get yourself get yourself a cup of coffee. Uh. Well, like I said, we may have to do this again because it was good. But before we wrap things up, oh yeah, Jerry. Uh, of course, we want to tell everyone tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy takes everyone to the GoFundMe page to help you in your battle with stage four cancer. Anything you want to say to the listeners before you leave this week? No, I just want to thank everyone still for, I mean, everybody keeps helping me out a lot, and it's really helping a lot. I finally get to go to the doctor again tomorrow, actually, and see what's going on. I haven't been able to go for a while now, but like I said, uh, everybody's been helping me. You, Brian, all the guys, Kurt, Travis Echo, all the people on the mothership and 605 have been helping me tremendously, and I really appreciate everything. There you hear it, another edition of the Super Podcast Roundtable, this time with Vandal Drummond, our pal Kurt Brown, and of course, the golden boy Jerry Gray. Once again, whatever you can do to help Jerry out, it really is a help for him right now. He's battling stage four cancer. He's depleted his funds. He's really going through a rough time. If you enjoy him on this show, or if you're just someone who appreciates humanity and you want to help him out, Go to tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. All of the money goes directly to Jerry Gray. That is his official GoFundMe page. tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. And another great roundtable discussion. I was thinking we should do a Smoky Mountain Fan Week roundtable pretty soon, Scott. I would love that. Yeah, I got a few people. I got to see who we can get that would uh, be really good for it. But uh, something I'm thinking about. But before we continue on with the show, it is time... For Book of the Week! What are you doing? <laughs> Can you hear that? I heard that. Was it just Book of the Week twice? Did you Let's... have to press each word individually? No, when I pressed it, I think it, it played again. Let's go back and do that. No, no, no. Let's keep it in. That's what made it funny. <laughs> well, book of the week. And this week, because it's the third part, the final part of our conversation with Dr. D. David Schultz, once again, book of the week, Don't Call Me Fake by Dr. D. David Schultz and John Cosper. If you've enjoyed the previous two parts with Dr. D right here on the Super Podcast or his appearance on the Jim Cornette Experience, then check this book out. It's filled with lots of stories and some really cool pictures, including one with Mr. T. And we're going to talk about that shortly. A lot of people have been wanting to know what David has to say about when he was fired by the WWF. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But once again, Book of the Week. Don't Call Me Fake, The Real Story of Dr. D. David Schultz by David Schultz and John Cosper. You can get that book at Amazon by going to tinyurl.com slash superpodamazon. By using that link, you support this show. Anything you add into your cart after you use that link, we get a little bit of love and support for. It's a way of Amazon seeing that the listeners of the Super Podcast support this show. You don't spend any more money than you would normally spend. You do the same usual shit you would normally do when using Amazon. It's just they say, hey, Super Podcast, the mothership, and we get a little bit of credit. 
What's better than that? This show is free. We don't jam it filled with fucking ads. We don't hit you with sponsors you don't want to hear from. If you appreciate that, then the least you can do is use tinyurl.com slash superpod Amazon for all of your Amazon purchases. Mother's Day is coming up. The 4th of July is coming up. There's always some fucking thing coming up. There's always some fucking reason to go to tinyurl.com slash superpod Amazon. Lots of other shows have links they want you to use. Lots of other shows just try to exist and they just don't seem to be able to make it. But when you come down to it and you have to ask yourself, which show should I support? Ask yourself, which show each time it comes out delivers content better than anyone else can produce? I think the answer will be quite clear. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to quality, when it comes down to them or us, fuck those guys. Support the super podcast. Support your super podcast. That's not my dad. And with that, Scott, let's go to part three of my discussion with Dr. D, David Schultz. I want to go back to 1983 because that's really just such a pivotal year in wrestling history. And here you are, you're in the AWA, you have hit so many territories for the few years before that. You were in and out of Stampede, obviously, all the Tennessee territories. You were all over the place. And now you're in the AWA and you're one of the top heels and you're feuding with Hogan. And Hogan is at this point in time, the biggest baby face in wrestling. He's a huge star in the AWA. You got to see in New Japan what a big star he was there. Huge worldwide star, and Vince McMahon comes, and he makes the deal at the end of 83 for Hogan to come in and become his champion. The story's yep. always been that Hogan said, I'll do it, I want you to get Gene Okerlund, and I want you to get David Schultz. To the best of your knowledge, what exactly happened with Vincent Hogan then, and also, how exactly did you handle it? Did you immediately make a deal? Did he ask you not to give notice to Vern? What happened at the end of 1983? That time, Hogan was, uh, they met him at the airport. I forget what airport it was, Minnesota, probably Minneapolis airport. And they, guy come out and said, Vince wants to talk to you. And uh, he got a hold of him, and then he told me, hey, Vince made me a heck of a deal. I'm going to be leaving, but don't tell nobody. We'll keep it between us. And after I go, you'll come in after me. So during that time, Hogan told me I'm leaving in two weeks. And nobody else knew that. So... Our matches that we had in all the top sh- spots with PWA, uh, Barangana, we had rough knockdown, drag out, juice matches, blood, everything. And Barangana said, y'all are going to make people sick out here. So much blood, you know. And then a couple of weeks later, Hogan gets gone. Now, we're made of been everywhere, you know, like uh, L.A., uh, Las Vegas, the uh, Winnipeg, Canada, just everywhere we went, we made a bench because we had a big feud going. So Hogan leaves, and I'm making interviews for two weeks after he's leaving, and nobody knows he's leaving. Even Byrne didn't know he's leaving. Nobody knew. So I'd go out on interviews, and i say, Hogan, I'm going to track you down. I'm going to find you. And when I find you, it's gonna probably going to be in Winnipeg, Canada, on a certain, certain day, and if you don't show up, I will shave my head and I will burn my tights and I will never get back in another wrestling ring as long as I live. Burn would come up and say, well, what are you doing, David? Why are you, talk- what are you doing that? I said, well, it's just a good interview, you know, that people know I don't mean half stuff. I, I, I don't know. So we do the same thing. I do the same kind of interview all the way around, like Denver, different places, right? And then the next week after the show showed, uh, you know, on TV, the tape and everything, 
the next week we go there and Hogan didn't show. Now I come back on interviews and I really laid it in on him. And I said, I never know the coward that would run. I never know a man that would stand up for somebody and pay his dues and, uh, you know, blah, 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 right? And it's all, everybody said, oh, Hogan didn't show up, was wrong, and burn on you, come on with something about some kind of problem he had or something, you know. So we set it up for the next week. I said, he ain't going to show this week either. He's a coward, he's yellow. His mama knew he was yellow from the day he was born, you know, and then blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we went in to do interviews on the next time that he's done this, uh, that one show all the way around. Now we're coming up in Burns, so you wrestle one time a month in each town. You know, you had all these big towns you did, but you'd wrestle about three or four days a week, but they'd be big towns, you know. And I went back in, and I'd say the same, same thing. We went in to do tapes, and Vince called me and said, David, Tell Vern you quit today. Don't do interviews. Don't do nothing. Just quit. Come on down. We got everything laid out. We got your spot with Hogan. And don't worry about money. You know, uh, you're going to make $500,000 a year. Rest your life. Ain't got to worry about it. Everything good. Okay. Another lie was told. But anyway, you, you, you would think after all them years of being lying to, you would think, you'd never believe anybody else, but yet you want to believe that they're going to do what they say. So I leave and now Vince goes into all these towns. I worked over there about, I don't know, a couple months, just beating people left and right and asking for Hogan, trying to get Hogan. And all these towns we were made have been in finally comes up, me and Hogan, after about four or five months or whatever, we worked up to it, you know, sellouts everywhere. And uh, we'd have double countouts, and we'd have uh, disqualifications. We'd come back next time, you know, none but sellouts, me and him. And then poor Byrne over there, which really started dwindling then because McMahon was going into these big towns that he had and selling out, and they wouldn't go back to Byrne because they knew Hogan was with WWF. And it wasn't just Hogan, but if you were watching the AWA show and all of a sudden in your town is the WWF and they have Hogan versus Schultz, Gene Okerlund's on commentary or doing the announcing on TV, it's pretty much the same show you were just watching, just a different promotion. That's right. And uh, covered a lot more area too. Because Vince bought all the TVs up, all the wrestling towns and everything, you know. He was going in everywhere where promoters had been in for uh, 20, 30 years, and he'd find out what they was paying for TV. Now, this is what I heard, that he'd find out uh, what they were paying for TV to say they're paying $250 a week for TV. He'd go in, buy a year's worth, and pay them $500 a week in advance. So automatically, that town, I mean, that promoter's out. He don't have any TV anymore. Vince took over, and, and that, that went on all over. Everywhere, the way I understood, you know, and that's when Vince was talking and the guys was talking and, you know, the different one, Hogan was telling, that's the way he got all the territories. He went in and bought off all the TV. And these TVs say, well, wrestling, they ain't paid us in six months anyway. So they sold to Vince. And all out front money for a year or whatever. And these TVs loved it. Yeah, let them have it. And these local promoters was out. Nothing. You know, so that's how Vince, and he had USA TV, which went national all over. First one that ever went national, I think, was USA. And uh, that's how it all began. And Hogan was his uh, 
guy, and they got through with me uh, after I got Hogan over good and everything, and that's when he had to get rid of me, and he had no way to get rid of me because I never, never did it. I never missed a shot. I was always there on time and everything, and he, you know, Hogan was afraid I was going to beat him, and, you know, I don't know. Hogan was always scared of me anyway, always. Ever since the first day I met him in Panama City, Florida, he didn't have a place to stay. He had to stay with me and my wife because he didn't have no money to buy a hotel room. And, I mean, you know, this guy come way down to all that, and then he just dumped everything, dumped everybody and everything. And now I guess he's paying for it. I heard he's in pretty bad health. Uh, you know, I heard that, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I heard he had several different things wrong with his knees, shoulder, and all kind of stuff. But uh, I know he's had some surgeries, like hip replacements and stuff. You know, a lot of wrestlers, you know, I was going to ask you how you're feeling. How's your body holding up? Oh, I'm great, man. I'm great. I just... Uh, so put that wheelchair you know, away. Oh, no, it's out there. It's got, <laughs> I think got flowers on it right now. It's just sitting there, you know. And it's a good conversation piece, you know. I told my yeah. guy from Bates Hotel, and there they go. They start. Oh, yeah, Dr. D's got a Bates Hotel chair up there. <laughs> but it's... Uh, no, I'm I'm doing fine. I've been uh, I've been run over by a tractor trailer in the middle of the highway. He's doing 75 mile an hour and hit me in the rear. Whoa. And... Uh, yeah, I've had about 10 operations, uh, but I'm still in good shape. I mean, you know, they have to replace what's broken, but, you know, I never stopped. I just kept working, kept going, and uh, things happen, man. I mean, ain't no sense to lay up and bone and groan about it, you know. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I was, in a, I was in a tractor truck, and a guy come across the hill, went to sleep, and hit me. Mm. He was running about 70 mile an hour, hit me in the rear, and I was sitting still. But, you know. That was uh that was a rough one to overcome, but I I did. Uh, I did. Yeah, I got through it. I got through it. I stayed out of work for about three weeks. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was uh, I, I had to park a truck that I owned and all that for a while and then uh, I don't know, I think it was eight or nine, ten operations I had. Um, you know, different things. I mean, it lucky I lived through it. But uh as I got out of the truck I'm standing on the highway in Louisiana and they drive off and leave me. The state troopers drive off. Everybody drives off. Hammers drive off. Never say nothing to me. I'm standing on my bag, like hitchhiking from Nashville or something. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then the director pulled over and said, "Man, you want to ride up here to a phone booth or something?" <laughs> I said, "Well, I guess so. Since nobody's <laughs> going to do anything for me out here, Louisiana, different entity too. You know, they say, yeah, money. You want to get all the highway down here? Said, huh?" What? <laughs> they got their own Cajun talk, you know. Yeah. And uh, but in and all, it come out okay, you know. And uh, then I guess the guy after it's all over, the guy sued me and the company I was driving for for three hundred thousand dollars or something like that. What for did me you do? being in the you were... me being in the road. Yeah. yeah. For me being in the road, I was. I mean, <laughs> he said if he wasn't in the road, I wouldn't have hit him. And you know that insurance company paid that guy, no. I think it was $30,000 $30, to call the suit off. Oh, come on. Because they didn't want to go through all that stuff for the next seven, eight years, ten years. It's easier to pay $30,000 or whatever and, you know, then go through it and prove that he didn't get it, didn't need it, didn't want it, his bogus suit and all that. So they'd rather just pay it off. And I said, "That's I have never heard such stuff. He said, well, that's the way they do. 
I said, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy hits me, runs over me, found guilty, everything, and uh, then sues us for, uh, I think they said 300000 and he got 30000 That's crazy. Well, that's he got 20000 the lawyer got ten. so, yeah. you know. That's the way the judicial system goes. The insurance companies, they don't want to pay. I mean, can you imagine taking a claim like that and running through all the lawyer fees for the next five, six years? Gonna be a lot more than thirty thousand. Oh boy, will and I guess yeah. that's I guess yeah I guess that's what they say. We'll pay him off, get it out of here, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's life. That's <laughs> life in the United States. <laughs> it, yep. cer- it certainly is, Doc. I want to take a step back. Uh, I want to ask you about your departure from the WWF. All the different rumors about it in a moment. But I want to take a step back to your departure from the AWA. You mentioned a little bit of a confrontation in TV with Vern and Greg. Can you go into what exactly happened? And all these years later, I mean, it makes perfect sense, everything that happened. You were promised a lot of money, so you made the jump. You ended up doing it the way Vince wanted you to do it. It didn't work out, but you have a wife, you have a family to support. You made a move that you thought would be best for your family. But with that said, when you look back now, do you regret at all the way things went down between you and Vern as you left? Yeah, well, the way I know it happened now, I look back, I say, yeah, it was, uh, you know, if I'd stayed with Vern, I would have been with Vern because Vince was going to squash Vern anyway. Any which way he could, he would. If it hadn't been me go over there, yeah. it would have been Jim Brunzel, it would have been uh, Andre or somebody, would eventually all of them went anyway. He tried to know? get Blackwell, I heard. That's right, yeah, uh, Jerry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, you look back and you know the consequences now, you say, well, I did the right thing, but I should have handled If I knew, like now, if you could foresee all this, I would have handled it in a different situation where I wouldn't let myself get in uh, the John Stossel predicament for Vince, you know, I mean. But Vern is in elbow that he was going to, boom, he was falling. I mean, they were taking, he was, Vince was going to take everything. He didn't care who he had to walk over. He was going to take it, you know. And when Hogan left, Byrne had nothing left, you know. And when I left, he definitely didn't have nothing left at that time. And uh, it would have been a bad deal to stay with Byrne if Hogan had stayed there. But we was, I mean, we we had a long future there, me and Hogan, you know. But I guess Vince promised him so much he couldn't turn it down, you know. But uh, it's hard to say, though, looking back and everything, you know, it was, uh, you know, you make the best decisions and you say, well, I've been lied to all these times. Maybe this is the truth. Maybe the guy's going to tell me the truth. You know, maybe this is going to be real. I mean, you get promised all your life, you know. Oh, yeah, we're going to give you top spot. You're going to get to that. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. We're going to make you money. And then pretty soon after about a year, they, another guy, oh, listen, uh, you know, Fuller wants you over here. He said he's got a top spot for you. Talk to him, same thing. Blah, 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 blah. I guess they just train themselves to lie to people, make them want to go. But, you know, it's just a constant lie from the time you get in pro wrestling till the time you get out. It used to be. Now, I don't know. I don't stay in touch with other guys, not interested in talking to them. So it's just a bad situation. So. I guess I guess you look back uh, on your life and you know the outcome now. A lot of things. There's not many I would do over. I mean, if I had to do it again, I'd do the same thing. I, I mean, you know, I always live with what my consequences. I put myself in that position. I lived with it and dealt with it. You know, the best I could. And sometimes it gets where you can't deal with it no more. 
you just have to say, well, that, that, that's it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah, we, uh, you know, like I said, man, I ain't got nothing. I mean, you know, I, I mean, our daughter, she's got a master's degree. She's got two kids and a nice family, big company, American and Eating company. And they're doing great and everybody's healthy. And that's about all you can uh, ask for. And, uh, got a great wife, 48 years. And, uh, she got me, so yeah, that just takes all that there, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it can be a rough life, though. But I I enjoyed it, and uh, like I said, this book is uh, is great. I mean, people, everybody I ever t- I talked to that bought the book or got the book, they said, "Man, this is fantastic," and I, you know, it, it's it's all of it's true. I mean, stuff in this book is true. It ain't no uh, make believe. Uh, it's no play. It, it's probably ninety nine point nine percent true, and that one little one percent would be somebody's name misspelt or something. You know that we couldn't figure out how they or remember what they went by at that time or something. You know, but the stories are true and they're fascinating too. And they uh, shouldn't give away all my secrets though about what's happening to all these guys that want to mess with me in Canada. <laughs> all my little tricks I played on them, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, one woman told me, Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Why? <laughs> she said, I just don't believe you did that. I said, why? You know, I was swimming one time in Connecticut, good friend of mine, next door neighbor had a pool. We're out there. And I said, I'll, I'll get these guys tonight. So we got in there and all the kids in the pool and everything. All of a sudden, I raised up and said, Carlette, where's your bathroom at? She said, right around the corner there, David, just up there at the house. I'm say. And I had some Kool-Aid in my pocket, some green, yellow lime Kool-Aid. <laughs> okay. And I put it under the, the air mattress I was on and just let it go. And I said, uh, never mind, I don't have to go no more. And the kids seen that Kool-Aid in that water. And man, you ought to seen everybody get out of that pool. I don't know why they just, you know, but I thought that was the funniest thing I ever did right there without doing anything, you know, without doing anything, you know, just, yeah. I said, I ain't got to go no more. <laughs> uh, besides my grandson was up there, uh, they from New York, upstate New York. And I hollered at his mother, my daughter said, Hey, I tried to tell him not to eat that yellow snow. <laughs> She said, oh, my God, Daddy. Whenever she run out there, he, uh, you know, he didn't have no yellow snow, though. <laughs> after, you, um, after you went to the WWF, you did a few tours with New Japan. What was that like for you? Because that's such a different style. The guys are super stiff. And also you were working with some of the revolutionary junior heavyweights of the time, like Tiger Mask. Yep. What was it like for you to go work for New Japan? It was great for me because, you know, like I told you before, you know, you go to these places, they try you. They tried me first night, and I showed them that, hey, mm-mm, you ain't going to do that to me. I'm going to hurt you if you do. And the word got out real quick, and I had no problem. I enjoyed working with the guys, man. They were all fantastic working with me. And, you know, it's because they knew that if they hit me hard, that I'm going to hit them twice as hard. And if they try to hook me, they're not going to succeed, and I'm going to hurt one of them. And they knew I could hurt them, and they didn't bother me, you know. 
And a lot of times you had a partner, American partner against them, tag team, whatever. Anoki was fantastic to work with, you know. I loved working with that guy, even though he was rough and tough. But, hey, we had great matches, man. He, uh, you know, I loved working with him. I don't know if he loved working with me or not. You know, but, yeah. but I figured the guy, if he can't take it, he should get out of the kitchen. That's what I'm saying. If it's too hot for him, get out of the kitchen. Because go in the ring with me, we're going to have a match. We're not going to go out there and try to hit somebody and miss them six inches. Or somebody swings at you and miss you and you fall to the floor. No, that ain't the way. No, no, no. No. I never did that. I don't think I can ever recall a match on a tape or anything else that I missed somebody when I swung at them. I mean, I've looked and looked and looked. I said, have I ever missed anybody? And they, uh, uh, sure in the hell. Like the hell out of a bunch of them, but, you know, hey, if they can't take it, they should be home on the porch in a rocking chair, you know, or something. They shouldn't be out here trying to, I mean, people, the fans are paying big money to see these guys. They don't want to see a bunch of phony punches and phony, uh, you know, just their money's gone, their family, you know, it costs a family of four. I'd say a couple hundred dollars to go to matches now. It's so expensive now. It's ridiculous. Wrestling was exactly. never like this. Yeah. And now that, I mean, you know, if you're going to have to pay that kind of money, man, you want to see some action. You want to see stuff. And, uh, I mean, you don't want it pushed down your throat that you got to believe this guy got hit with a chair. And, you know, I mean, that's just, no, uh, I always believe in giving the fans what they paid for. You know, that's what they want to see. That's what they got. You know, well, that's one of the things you're really known for, Dr. D, is believability. I mean, it was very hard right. for someone to watch you and say, Dr. D is not real. I mean, it was almost impossible. And in fact, in 1984, <laughs> there were several segments that are still talked about to this day on TNT. There was the one where they went to your house. There was the one where you shot off the gun. There was, of course, the yep. wedding of Butcher Vashon, where I always thought this was a shoot. You tell me if it wasn't. You put the cake in Vince McMahon's face and you said, I wanted to do that a long time. A long time I've wanted to do that. Was that a shoot? Yeah, that, yeah, that was a shoot with me, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was supposed to throw a little at him, but I got the cake right there and I just had to go ahead and do it, you know. But he was okay with it. He knew it'd draw money. He knew that it'd make me a bad guy. And he once told me he wanted me the baddest, baddest bad guy there was. And just like the house, my wife and stuff, that wasn't my wife. That wasn't my kids. <laughs> a lot of people think it was. A lot of, of people think that was your family. Yeah, but that wasn't that. You know what they did do on that? I was told that they come to the WWF office that Monday with arrest warrants. The sheriff did was come into my house and arrest me for spousal abuse and child abuse. <laughs> wow. And Ben's told them, said, no, that's a show. That was not. That's what they told me anyway, and I believe it, you know. Because it was so bad that, I mean, bad meaning that people called in. They said their phones wouldn't quit ringing. And, you know, the way I treated them and all this. And they wanted to check on me, the welfare department, uh, DCYS, to check on them. And they said, no, 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 no. That wasn't his wife. That wasn't his kids. And oh, <laughs> I said, well, and that was, that was ad-lib the whole time. Had no script at all. Then said, here's a house. It's yours. Uh, here's your wife and kids. And he said, do a, do a show. And that's what we come up with. What about when you shot the gun off in the studio? Shot the gun off. That was, uh, Vince McMahon uh, knew it, that there was uh, cornmeal in there instead of the buckshots. 
and Lord Alfred Hayes was hitting the ground. He didn't know nothing about it. And, you know, <laughs> I was pointing the gun at him. He, oh, God, yeah. he's hitting the floor like some whiny ass baby or something, you know. But he should have. Anyway, I was pointing at him, pulling the trip back, you know. And I said, I, I know a different gun. And I got that shotgun. I knew the cornmeal was in it. And that was Vince's idea put the cornmeal stuff in it. I believe it was. Anyway, he was trying to make me bad and stupid with guns. And I'm pretty good with guns. I'm expert. And uh, when I pointed it at him, now that I asked me a while ago, would I change anything? Yep. I would have shot him with that if I had to do over. I'd leave him with a face full of, uh, I'd leave him with a face full of. Uh, cornmeal. Cornmeal. Yeah. They call him Muffin Boy. Uh, something, you know. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it was uh, Albert Hayes was a funny one there, though, jumping around, falling on the ground. But all that was planned, you know, just like John Stossel, Vince McMahon, and everything. You don't do anything unless Vince tells you to do it. And, you know, every once in a while, you got to ad lib a little bit. And they had, them guns wasn't mine either. I wouldn't have that cheaper guns, you know. <laughs> but anyway, when I shot it straight up, that was uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. I thought he was a heart attack. He thought he was dead, you know, and and that's what it's all about. Uh, what was that Tuesday Night Titans or something? Yeah, Tuesday Night. Titans. I think it was Tuesday Night Titans. Yeah. Yeah. And they had several more I was on that people forget about. I know that wedding was good, and there was one in the ring about the wedding, but the cake was great. And Vince again, Vince said, "Hey, go out and make a show. Be a bad guy. I want you the baddest guy around." So, and that's the intentions he had with Stossel, I think. But he wanted to get me. He wanted to get rid of me, and this would give him a reason to get rid of me. Well, and let's talk about you know. that because that's that's a really interesting thing. Like I said before, there are lots of stories that have been out there about why Doctor D was fired from the WWF. In 1984, yeah. you're really in the mix because if you really look at it, there are three big tours all going on at the same time. You have the Slaughter Chic Run, you have Piper and Snuka, and then you have Hogan versus various challengers. You're often one of those challengers. You're also in the mix of the big Piper feud with Snuka because of your alignment with Piper. You're one of the top heels in that company. You have great heat. Everything's going on for that company. They're expanding. They're bringing guys in. They're taking over territories. We're at the end of 1984, beginning of 1985. I'm going to tell you the stories I've heard, and then you tell us what happened. The stories okay. I've heard range from Hulk Hogan and Dr. D had a falling out, and Hogan didn't want to work with him anymore, to Vince McMahon, for whatever reason, didn't want to work with Dr. D anymore, to Dr. D was fired because of the John Stossel incident, to Dr. D was fired because he tried to work his own angle with Mr. T, to Dr. D was fired because he attacked Mr. T in Los Angeles. So those are the various stories, and I'm sure you've heard them too going around, but what actually happened? Well, uh, Vince actually got rid of me because he asked me to sign a paper saying that my actions in the ring was mine and mine alone. After when the Stossel, you know, like a month later or something, after I got back, he was going to send me to Japan, Egypt, different places and let it cool off. And then when I got back, he wanted me to sign a paper saying it's my fault. I did it all on my own. And I said, no, 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 no. Uh -uh. I'm not signing no papers, and I hit anybody on my own. And you know you don't go out and do an interview with anybody. And everybody in the dressing room heard Vince tell me to do this, Lee. But nobody wanted to speak up. This was in the dressing room in front of everybody that he approached you with this? Well, I was on the side, but, you know, he said, hey, there's a reporter out here, David. Uh, I want you to go out and blast him, tear his ass up. He's making a joke out of the business. Be Dr. D. Stay in character. 
and I'll get you. Wait right here, I'll get you. You know, and then they call me, come out. But everybody in the dressing room heard this talking to me. And if you look at the tape, you see Fuji and the oh, Iron Sheep. Yeah. And they're standing there, and they're leaning against the wall. I slap him twice. He runs by them, and they are still leaning against the wall. They never moved a foot either way. And you know, uh, well, as I know, or you should know, if something happens like that on TV and they don't know nothing about it, they're going to go, hey, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute, what's going on, you know. I also know that if you want an enforcer, you may get the Iron Sheik to stand there. That's right, exactly. But they were standing there watching, you know, because they knew they could do something. And uh, they never moved a lick, not an inch, either one of them. And then, uh, you know, the Alpha Seeker was in the dressing room. They heard it. They wouldn't say anything. They said, brother, we can't say no. We lose our job. All the guys said that in the dressing room. We can't say anything. And, you know, and they're right. Vince would have fired immediately. But, you know, it was, uh, and then and the Mr. T thing, let me clear that up. Me and Mr. T had a picture again. Matter of fact, it's in the book. Me and Mr. T together in the hallway at Los Angeles. When they hogtied me, I had no resistance. There was a probably, I'd say there was seven, eight police officers there. And they told me to get on the ground. I did. They handcuffed me and handcuffed my feet to my handcuffs, you know, hogtied me. Picked me up, took me out of the arena, and held guns to my head all the way back to the dressing room. Whoa. Um, oh, yeah. Guns was cocked, too, because Chief Strombo had told them that I was going to hurt somebody out there and be careful that I was a very dangerous guy, you know. And they come over there and had guns in my head. I forget who it was. It was one of the English wrestlers come out and said, hey, man, y'all don't need to put guns in his head. He ain't bothering me. He's hog tight. He can't move. So they took him off and pushed me out the back door and put my bag out there, and that was the end of that. I tried to get a lawsuit against the Los Angeles Police Department, and they said, no, it was, uh, nobody wanted to touch it. You know, they said, no, yeah, uh-uh. he was, they were told to do that from Jay Strongbow, and that was the night I was officially fired because Jay Strongbow said I was endangering the lives of people and Mr. Tate. And me and Mr. T were talking for the match. Like I said, you'll see the book. And, uh, of course, in the ring, I told him I'll make him shine my shoes. And they didn't like that. And Mr. T got up with Tanaka, toward Tanaka. And Tanaka was a very good friend of mine. And he was, like, trying to come to the ring, but he wasn't. But the people was all agging everything on. And, you know, that's where Jay Strongbow sent the cops out to get me. And I got back. That's when Jay said, Doc, Caesar said you're fired. Okay. You know. Had to leave. And Caesar being Vince. Yeah. But, you know, stories get started and told and everything, but he, you know, he really got rid of me because I wouldn't take the blame for Stossel. Well, that's and, what I was uh, going to say. Do you think it was a setup? Because, I mean, the story's always been that you tried to attack Mr. T. If you're saying that didn't happen in the pictures in the book, and I've always yeah. heard, I've heard different things. Look, you know, as well as I do, different guys have different thoughts on Jay yeah. Strongbow. Some guys really liked him. Some guys thought he was the biggest office stooge there was. Do you think yep. I mean do you think just it was a complete setup in Los Angeles? I think it was, yeah. They already had a guy to replace me to go in the ring that night. Because see, when I went to the ring that night, I'd already got dressed and undressed and went back to the ring and that's when I hollered at Mr. T on ringside and I had my clothes on, street clothes on. Because they'd already had a guy to replace me in my match before the match has ever started. So Vince already had a guy there to replace me. Because they knew they were going to fire me that night. And this was a perfect thing. If I go to the ring or get involved with Mr. T, 
fire me. And Jay Stonewell got so scared, he told the cops, he's a dangerous man. He'll hurt somebody. Better watch him in there. And, uh, you know, but Mr. T was no problem. I mean, you know, he was, I mean, we had a good long talk back out in the dressing room. And then after they drug me back, see, they brought my bag out and put it outside and put me outside and put my bag outside behind me. Said, don't come back in here. The cops did. So I got a cab to the airport and came home. And that's when I went in to see Vince. And he told me, uh, yeah, he told Dave Pine, I said, Mr. T, all this, but I need to get this paper signed here. This here. Said, oh, no, I'm not signing. No, 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 no. I'm not signing anything for you, taking any kind of blame because it wasn't me. You told me to do what I did. You know that. I know that. And you got recorders going on your desk, so why don't you let them see the recordings? And he got real mad. And, you know, He said, well, you're not going to work for me no more. And I walked out. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, this guy's an egotistical piece of garbage, man, my opinion of it. And, I mean, but a man's got billions of dollars. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't fight him. Yeah, you, there's not much you could do. But you have the records. No. I mean, you have all those court transcripts and everything. In terms of the timeline, because the 2020... 2020 aired after, obviously, after it was taped and was taped a little while before the whole Los Angeles Mr. T incident uh, or lack of incident, as it were. So do you know when Stossel first either threatened or actually did sue Vince? Would it have been before he tried to get you to sign that sheet? No, I think it was after. I think it was after. uh, I think he waited a while because this, uh, this thing happened in, I think it was December, and they didn't show it until February yeah. or March, March of the next year. And he waited, I don't know if he waited after WrestleMania or I don't remember when that was. It was the first one, though. And I was supposed to be on it, but I never did get on it because of that. And I think he waited until after WrestleMania, you know, getting sued by Stossel. I'm not positive, but it went on for a while. Then he paid him off, and that was it. You know, my lawyer called me and said, well, you're in the clear. You ain't going to suffer no no damage at all. And he paid, Vince paid him off, and it's all over, and you're in the clear. Do what you want to. And then I had seven more years of hell after that because of this, suing me for different things, you know, because he could. Got money, lawyers, and they don't care if they win. They just want to sue you because you're a problem. And uh, I just... Uh, you know, when I became a bounty hunter, I understand. Oh, I mean, I got more familiar with all the laws and the way the judges and lawyers and all this works, man. And it's sickening. It is sickening how the judicial system works in this country and other countries, too, probably. It don't matter what you did. It's how much money you got and who you know. That's right. Do you think and, what, what chances do you or anyone else have beating the McMahons in Connecticut in court? None whatsoever, because he got everything wrapped up in his in his little corner, you know. And uh, you know, when he went to New Jersey, you know, you know about that. When he went to New Jersey and declared that wrestling was entertainment, yeah. So he didn't have to pay the athletic commission any longer. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Can you believe that? That a man would go just to save a few dollars every night in New Jersey, and he didn't run that much in New Jersey, but he didn't want to pay because now it was entertainment. It was no longer a sport or anything else. But anyway, that's, you know, it, uh, it's pitiful all that stuff goes on. It just continues and continues, you know. But uh, I'm glad I'm away from it. 
and I'm just trying to do a few, you know, personal appearances, and I meet a lot of people in these personal appearances, man, and they they all congratulate me and everything that's here, that's here, wishing I was back in there, wishing I was here or whatever, and I say, well, you know, that was my other lifetime. You know, that's what it feels like to me. But, you know, you have a, that's a hard uh, life, you know, to just put aside. But I did, I did. And uh, then I went to Bounty Hunter, and now I put that aside, and now I'm a professional put aside. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good business to put I know, to, I know how to put it all aside and just laugh at it, you know. Yeah. But. I can get my gun and just go out here and shoot trees or whatever. And, you know, I don't kill no animals. I don't let nobody uh, hunt on my property. I have about seven, eight deers that come out two times a day against the fence back here. And they eat, I feed them corn and people want to come kill them. I said, no, you can't kill them. They're pets. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, rabbits and squirrels and rat collie. I got so many animals on my place. that's just unreal. Every time I hear a gunshot, I take off and find out where it came from, you know. But but anyway. It's interesting, it, though, because it, it's a dichotomy between that and what people, I think the average fan thinks of for Dr. D. David Schultz. They probably don't think of you being someone protecting animals. You know, I think the common perception would be that you'd be out there shooting all the animals, but it's the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not shooting. No. Let me tell you, the only way I'd shoot an animal is if I was hungry. You know, if I had to have something to eat or I needed something to eat or uh, some way I, I would go shoot even a rabbit. Uh, now, a squirrel, I'm tempted to kill some of them because they're eating all my pears every year. <laughs> yeah. Squirrels are different. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to shoot them with BB guns, and they don't even pay attention to you and uh, pellet rifles. But uh, I hate to kill them, but they need to get off my – and, you know, it's hard to keep a squirrel out of a tree now. Yeah, I'd rather have them in the tree than on my roof, I'll tell you. Yeah, oh, yeah, they'll get inside your roof <laughs> oh, yeah. and all that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're nuisance, and, uh, but I still don't, I still don't kill them. But I, I don't kill good snakes. I kill copperheads or, you know, rattlesnakes or whatever, but we don't have many of them. I think we found one copperhead here last year. He went about six feet long, but, you know, he was sleeping, so he didn't know what hit him. I think he was, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and you know, you gotta watch them. I don't kill good snakes. I mean, you know, uh, chicken snakes or king snakes or whatever. I don't kill them there. They will kill the bad ones, you know, but, uh, my wife says a snake's a snake. I said, no, no, no. I'm about convinced her now though. She's, <laughs> I said, just go around him. He ain't, he ain't bothering you. Mm. And I said, he's going to bother you, just a little king snake. He's not going to move when you go around. Just give him enough room, you know. But uh, <laughs> it sure has been good talking to you, though. I yeah. just, uh, you know, I, I, I like to talk to people who've got sense, you know. And there ain't a lot of them out there no more. <laughs> Do I fall into the category? Do I have sense according to Dr. D? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> seem like a pretty nice fellow now. And uh, when I listen to the podcast, I might be calling you back. Uh, my number will be changing <laughs> no, in the next week. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, man. You've been a nice guy. I enjoyed talking to you. I hate to run off, but uh, I think my battery's going to go dead here in a minute. You know, I got a little cheap wind-up phone here. You got to wind it up and talk on it. Cell phone? No, I don't. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! 
There it is, Dr. D, David Schultz. I had such a great time talking to the doctor. He may be on again at some point, so stay tuned for that. I also want to thank my good friend John Cosper for setting me and Dr. D up, and I want to commend him on the work he did putting together this book with Dr. D, as well as all the other books he's done. I still talk about Louisville's Greatest Show. It's a book I really enjoyed, so thank you to John Cosper. And with that, Scott, it's time to wrap the show up. Anything you want to say here at the end of the show? No, thank you for having me uh, on here again. I hope people aren't getting sick of me in the co-host chair, but uh, <laughs> always a pleasure. How that happened? <laughs> That's what most people say. Is that for true? Could be. Are we having fun, people? Always. Yo, yo, yo. What's up? What's up? What's up? You're doing the uh, the greatest hits of Cauliflower Alley right now. Who are you and what do you want? A good question that I don't have a good answer for. I heard what you were talking about over there. <laughs> Homosexual Jim. <laughs> Antipress is the number one. I think he's poised for a big comeback at the uh, Antichristo. Don't drink the piss, Jake. <laughs> Hello? Gravity! Well, there it is. I wanted to see how, who was going to break the pause first, you or me. Oh, you, you threw me by the putting... Transition it, music, it threw you. Yeah, yeah, interstitial music, yes. I didn't know what to do. That was my trick. <laughs> and this is a Budokan solution for the homeless people. Mm. You piece of slime! It's a good week to play that. But anyway, uh, how could the listeners follow you on Twitter? They can follow me on Twitter at Scott Cornish two on Twitter. <laughs> the wrestling humorist Scott Cornish at Scott Cornish two on Twitter. There's so much humor in that address. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you. Of I, course. Think I, I think I looked up my my uh, person on Twitter who is named Scott Cornish to where I can't be Scott Cornish without the number two following me on Twitter. What you couldn't uh, have been Scott Cornish one. No. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is he Scott, is Scott, he, Cornish, Scott Cornish without the number is number one. And somebody beat me to that. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. The other Scott Cornish, right? You're at Scott Cornish too, correct? That's your Twitter handle. That's my handle, yes. The other Scott Cornish, the fake Scott Cornish, although his name really may be Scott Cornish, I assume, because it was there before you were famous. Right. The not famous Scott Cornish. Look at me describing you as famous. Do you ever think you'd get to this point? But anyway, the Scott Cornish, who no one listens to, is is he at Scott Cornish? Or or is he at Scott Cornish 1? He's at Scott Cornish. So who's at Scott Cornish 1? No one. Why didn't you take that one? Why did, good, why did you go right to Scott Cornish too? More distinctive. <laughs> that right. guy, that guy beat me on. That guy beat me on Twitter with the Twitter handle, and uh, I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. All right. Well, with that, it's no better time to end than I don't know what I'm talking. about I would right also now. like to mention S Cornish two <laughs> on Instagram. Well, there you go. Because you do graphics. I do just what people do on Twitter (laughs) and on Facebook. 
Uh, to be honest, you probably don't tweet enough because your tweets are always uh, really humorous. I really enjoy them. So uh, get on that. But as we wrap things up, a few notes here. Of course, you guys can subscribe on iTunes. And if you do so, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help the show out as well as give a thumbs up to some of the other positive reviews. And there have been several hundred of them. And thank you all so much for that. We really do appreciate it. But if you don't want to go to iTunes, if somehow, for some reason, you have a problem with Apple, you can go directly to 605pod.com to download every single episode of the show. They're all available at the site, 605pod.com. Also, you have access to our RSS feed, if that's what you want. But we're available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, you guys know that. I also want to make special mention of the show wiki page, which is tinyurl.com slash superpodwiki. And I want to give, I can't even begin to thank this guy. Jace Nakarado has gone above and beyond with the Wikipedia page, as well as some other help he's done for me with the show. And I'm very, very appreciative. And, and I want to publicly thank him here and... uh and say he's really, he's just a man. He's killed it with that wiki page. And everyone should check that out. It's a work in progress, much like this uh, audio setup here. Once again, go to tinyurl.com slash superpod wiki. And uh, once again, also major thank you to Jace Nakarado. Great, great job. Glad to see he was representing the show at Cauliflower Alley. Of course, you guys can follow the show on Twitter at 605pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. You can follow the show on Facebook at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash superpodcast. Vote for the top 10. Get show updates, see show photos, exclusive Travis Heckle artwork, and so much more. The central hub for social media for the Super Podcast, facebook.com slash superpodcast. And remember, if you're a longtime Super Podcast fan, a longtime 605er, and you want to join in the conversation beyond classic wrestling, you can go to the Mothership, the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash superpod talk. You have to already like the main Facebook page. And if you do so and you answer a few questions, you could join the Mothership Facebook group. So check that out. Of course, and in the unlikely event that you decide to leave the mothership page, make a big deal about it, please. <laughs> Someone just did that uh, in the last couple of days and uh, then immediately sent a request to join again. So uh, it's funny the way some things work out. But uh, going back into this, Scott, I want to remind everyone, tinyurl.com slash superpod Amazon. That is the official show link for Amazon by using that link. Everything you purchase, we get a little bit of credit for, and we really do appreciate that. This show is free. We're not filled with ads. We don't have a premium tier that you have to pay for. If you appreciate that, then please appreciate it by using tinyurl.com slash superpod Amazon. Of course, if you want to support this show by wearing one of our shirts, and now we've got the 605 logo shirt in black, 605 logo shirt in gray, Yo Mamba 605 shirts, and those shirts I'm not getting reprinted. We're running low on those. I've decided that is one that when it sells out, it is gone forever. So the Yo Mamba ones we're getting down to the bottom with those. We have the 605 Super Podcast logo shirt in navy blue or black. And now, of course, the new Mothership 
T-shirt. The only shirt guaranteed to make Jim Cornette groan. Wear it whenever you see him, wherever you can find him. (laughs) Of course, the baseball-style shirt with three-quarter sleeves came out so good, better than I ever expected. Those are already shipping, and the T-shirts in black and gray ship next week. Limited edition stickers come with each respective shirt. You can get all of those shirts and so much more, including stickers and magnets, at tinyurl.com slash superpodstore. There's also a tab at the top of the Facebook page that says shop here. Click that and go to our store. If you appreciate what goes into this show, if you appreciate that it's not filled with ads and you really like what we're doing here, consider supporting the show monetarily. You can make a one-time donation to the show by going to paypal.me slash superpodcast. Or if you'd like to contribute on an ongoing monthly basis, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash super podcast a lot of shows have patreons where you have to pay and then you get premium content we don't do that if you want to support the show and help us out and keep us the way we are you can go there and make a donation but you're not getting access to something that everyone else isn't we don't tear off our listeners we want everyone to be able to enjoy the same content so once again patreon.com slash super podcast of course, the top 10 is brought to you by Ramsor Records. And don't forget the Ruin Brothers. There they are again. All of my shit. All my, I can't speak. All my shades of blue is the name of the album. And it's the name of the single. And it comes out on June 1st. Go to ramsorrecords.kungfustore.com. Don't forget the Ruin Brothers. You can go to. Oh, and I just pressed something. And I don't know what just happened. The music stopped. Uh, oh, I know what I pressed. I pressed this. Let's see if I can get it back. Let's go here. Hey, there's the music. And I think I made it louder than it was. We're blowing the end of this show. But once again, you can get the Ruin Brothers, All My Shades of Blue. I'm just going to stop it because I'm doing something wrong here. At iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you find your favorite music. The CD is out June 1st. The LP comes out June 22nd. Check that out. If you want to send something into the show, you can by sending it to the 605 Super Podcast, P.O. Box 1242, Morristown, New Jersey, 07962. That's the 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership! P.O. Box 1242, Morristown, New Jersey, 07962. Of course, the 605 Super Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network for Scott Cornish. I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!